Welcome to Trove Talk, your weekly gaming and getting to know you podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Starkey from trevortrove.com, and joining me this week, I have Josh Brown from Toys for Games. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. It's so good to have you on. Uh, we've we've kind of interacted uh, online throughout the last year or so, uh, mm-hmm. both as kind of, uh, uh, I mean, largely coming from the kind of funny community and uh, and the specifically the Lego Dimensions uh, uh, niche of the kind of funny community where sure. we've kind of uh, connected. Uh, we met at I don't know if we I don't know if we actually met at your panel at PAX East, but we definitely met at the PAX South or PAX West one. I definitely um, noticed you there. Yeah, I, I snuck in. <laughs> I snuck in uh, after uh, Greg had nearly broken his ribs in the Paxomania. Yeah. <laughs> I came in, snuck in, sat down next to Kevin, and and enjoyed the uh, the tail end of your guys's panel there. Um, but yeah, I don't think we actually really interacted too much one on one until, um, uh, well, probably until I dropped a whole bunch of money to buy uh, <laughs> your your custom figures for uh, for the take this. Uh, uh, auction that you guys did right. um, that year. Um, so just kind of to we'll we'll go on to we'll go into it um, uh, way more in your getting to know you topic uh, later in the show. But just to kind of introduce people to who you are, if they don't know you, go ahead and give kind of the little rundown of of uh, your little spot on the internet. Uh, sure. Like I said, uh, my name is Josh. Um, I come from toysforgames.com. Um, we have a a podcast called Toys for Games Cast. Uh, we are 102 episodes into that now. We started a couple years ago. Uh, since then, we have branched into several different spin-off podcasts. Um, it, it started primarily focusing on like the toys-to-life uh, genre of games, um, but we have quickly built a community that has enabled us to, to go many different directions with it. So, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, my little uh, corner of the internet is just podcasting and um, writing, I, I dabble in writing here and there. I, I miss writing, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I'm and uh, kind of funny community lurker. Like I, I'm not super interactive. Um, I, I don't work a desk job, so I'm not able to like watch the morning show. Um, I, I don't get to catch a lot of the live stuff um, and really be a part of it as a lot of you fantastic folks out there are. Um, but I mean. As far as those two, like Greg and Colin, and you know, I've been following them since Podcast Beyond several years ago, and have been with them on the sidelines, you know, this whole time. Um, but definitely haven't been able to be as interactive as as many of you guys out there. So, well, we still get to we get to see you at at things like packs and stuff, and sure. you know, yeah. maybe you'll maybe you'll make the trek down for kind of funny live three this year, and yeah. we can all add you into the. The big uh, cadre of people all hanging out there sure, uh, just, in San Francisco. In. Yeah. Absolutely, I, I mean, like every everybody's welcome. We sure. we like yeah. at, at, I mean, like uh, I always uh, kind of touch uh, point to him as as an example of the show. But Brandon Gann um, kind of uh, is is a is a prime example of like a uh, a friend that I've made through this community that we haven't met yet, but we're hoping to at uh, at kind of funny live three. Right. Obviously, you and I have have, have met and interacted at this mm-hmm. point, but still getting to like. Like if you were to come, you would absolutely kind of be folded into sure. um, to whatever other insanity we're we're trying <laughs> to do, um, and trying to hey you know San Francisco great city for trying to you know deal with ten fifteen people <laughs> at a time, yeah. 
So let's yeah. let's like quadruple that and say, hey, uh, let's try and squeeze sixty people into this tiny bed and breakfast or uh, this tiny brunch place because totally. that's that's gonna work great. Right. So yeah. Um, <laughs> well, like but, uh, last week, you were talking with Joey about like the kind of funny community and how sometimes you guys feel like there's a lot of people that aren't within that like core inner group that feel like they may be left out because they're not able to attend all those things and. Sometimes, like, I know that feeling. Like, it sucks not being able to watch the show every single day and and know everything that's going on and and catch it, you know, the podcast a week after the fact and all that kind of stuff. So I I do understand that that part of it. um, But you guys, like, nailed it, like, absolutely where you do your very best to make sure that, like, nobody feels like they can't just immediately come into that inner circle if they want to or if they're able to. You know, yeah, it's not a closed door thing. Yeah, no, it's it, we we definitely try and keep it. You know, like I again, as I, I always touch on, like I love the fact that um, I can't go to uh, to something like PAX and have a conversation with you or a handful of other, other people that I haven't really ever spoken to um, extensively outside of um, that that particular event, and I have kind of like in a in a. Harry Potter. Oh, it's, I I don't want to give this because it's a spoiler for like a season or like book six. So I won't I won't ooh, say it because yeah. I know you I know Stay one of your that. shows. <laughs> I know one of your shows is is about uh, your your kind of experience reading through Harry Potter. Right. Um, but I like there are there's a feeling of like I'm going out and kind of collecting new friends at each of these events in the way that you might collect Tsum Tsums or Amiibo or or Disney Infinity characters sure. or right. everything else that's behind you yeah. in the, in <laughs> in the shot here um so it's it is kind of like oh I'm going to get a limited edition Josh uh collectible from from Pax right. uh, yeah. West and we're going to hang out and visit for a little bit um uh, and then I'll and I'll come in and sit on, on your guys' panel or something like that. So sure. it's been it's been delightful, kind of building that those friendships up over over the last couple of years um, uh, in a way that like I've certainly never experienced in any other community. Yeah, it's strange, um, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the the closest analog I would have is from doing theater as as much as I've done theater um, in the past. Like I would make you know friends, new friends, kind of in each in each show, but it would very much be like. We're friends for a show, and then we all go off and do our different things. And there's very rarely do you actually like keep those friendships going from uh, from like outside of when you're just all crammed together for six weeks working together. So it is um, that I think like the combination of us having a digital era uh, with social media and stuff, where we can kind of at least keep tabs on one another uh, so much more easily um, and know kind of. You know, you, you like you'll pop up in my feed, and I'll I'll make a joke about oh oh you didn't I didn't get nominated for an award that's cool whatever <laughs> I came on did the show that's cool I was a guest whatever right. um, uh, just that kind of like we can just ha- have that little joke um, and sure. and and then that's like oh I should get Josh on the show and so right. it it triggers um, yeah. kind of the uh, the the you know the extended relationship throughout the. Uh, Throughout the friendships that we've kind of fostered, so we've come a long way since the AOL, AOL chat rooms. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> back, back when I was Af- Afro boy Trevor on the on AOL Instant Messenger. Uh, yeah, good good old days. Um, well, great. Uh, so. Uh, if you're just joining uh, us for the first time, uh, the kind of the rundown of the show is uh, it's a topic by topic show. We'll go through four topics. Um, they get released day by day on uh, on my YouTube channel, and then uh, every Friday we release the full episode. It tends to be a long show, so strap in. Uh, 
Topic one is uh, my guest's gaming history. Topic two will be we'll discuss their favorite game. Topic three is the getting to know you topic, uh, where we kind of talk about something that uh, that largely falls outside of the gaming uh, sphere. And then um, topic four is trove topics, where I put out a call to uh, for questions on Twitter and uh, and people. Uh, respond and we talk about kind of the the news of the week or whatever uh, other people ask us about. So uh, so that's the that's going to be the rundown of the show. So without further ado, Josh, uh, you are I'm 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 excited to hear kind of your gaming history um, because you are uh, uh, I certainly you are the oldest guest I've had on the show um, and. In, yeah, this, in, this is in, an old man cast tonight. In, exactly. In particular, <laughs> um, somebody who is older than me. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, to kind of hear your perspective as as you have a longer lineage and, and history with gaming sure. um, as as I do, as opposed to people that I bring on the show. And they're like, oh yeah, my first console was the Wii or something right. like that. <laughs> uh, young kids, gross. Yeah. So what? Where did where did gaming start for you, Josh? Well, let me ask you this first before we get into it. Do you want me to go the Zyger route and break down uh, day by day of my entire gaming history, <laughs> uh, or do you want me to go the Joey Noel route and start at Lego Dimensions and go from there? Uh, we can we. Uh, I I would say we can we can kind of go more chronological. Joey Noel did not have uh, she as 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 self identified. She's not a a gaming sure. person necessarily. <laughs> so she did not have nearly as an extensive as a gaming history um, to, to kind of go through. So I would say we can go the more Zyger route, but maybe not <laughs> the three-hour Zyger route. Um, yeah, that, that I, I, he, I don't that have my journal handy. That's, so. that's fair. Yeah. So, we, yeah, we don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to, like, go into the weeds, but we can hit kind of the high points and, and just kind of do kind of, like, you know, big, big, uh, big milestone games from console through console kind of cycle sure i feel like zyger's entire gaming history is like just my entire adult life at this point so like, <laughs> i don't have that kind of memory to go what he did but uh uh so i think um i was three years old when i got my first nintendo entertainment system which would have been 1986 um i, I want to say it was three there's a possibility i was four but i want to say it was three in 86 um uh, I got the um, the version with the Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers, of course. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you got anything else, like your parents did you wrong at that point. Um, Sega so- Master System. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor kids. Oh, man. Anybody that started out with the Sega is, is doomed for failure. <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> Take that, Greg Miller. Take that. <laughs> uh, little fish in a big pond. Um yeah, so, I, I mean, I started out playing the Nintendo. Um, I, I've always been a Nintendo kid. I never got into Sega. I had friends that had Segas, and I remember I would go to their house, spend the night, and, like, play the few games that they had, and be like, oh, this is this is okay. Like, I, I get this Sonic character, you know? This is pretty cool. But it's not Nintendo. It's not Mario, you know? Um I remember specifically I had a friend who, um, he was a Jehovah Witness, so uh, they didn't celebrate holidays or birthdays or anything like that. So one day at school, he brought his brand new game gear that he had gotten. And he was like, oh, my parents just got me this game gear last night. I'm like, why did your parents just get you this thing last night? He's like, just because. I'm like, this is the coolest religion ever. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take just because presents all day long, you know. Um but I remember, like, how, like, 
obsessed he was with this Game Gear and playing Sonic and everything like that. And I was, I remember looking at it and be like, well, it looks a little better than the Game Boy. But it doesn't look like you're having fun playing the games at all, you know? Like, there was like a, a, a he felt compelled to play them because that's what he had. But it never felt like he really loved the games. Um, where I don't think you can say that about Nintendo kids, you know? Um, there's a certain love and a, attachment that you have with the early Nintendo games, I feel like, that you weren't just playing games because that was the only thing you had. You were falling in love with games and playing them over and over again because you thoroughly enjoyed playing them. Um, so yeah, I mean, it started off with the Nintendo. Um, <sighs> playing everything. Um, I remember specifically getting Mario Brothers 3. Like, how that being just like this... Um, I, I think when I got Mario Brothers 3 was the first time I had a concept of there are new games being made and being released. You know, be, before then I was just to the point where there's just games and you could just buy them and this is all that you'll ever be able to play type of thing. Okay. Uh, but Mario Brothers 3, I think, was like the first time I realized this is a new thing that is just now available to purchase. And this is a very cool experience, like a, a new release, you know, like that wasn't a, a, a term commonly used by, you know, young kids to describe things that they were getting. It was just, you go in the store, you see Ninja Turtles, and hey, it's a Ninja Turtle. Not, oh, that's the new released Ninja Turtle figure, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so Mario Brothers 3 was like the first time I was like conscious of new stuff being released on, on some sort of cycle um if you will um man i played so many nintendo games so many nintendo games hours and hours and hours oh the uh, same <laughs> what's that I, oh the same i yeah. yeah i that was that was my childhood was you know from from five to ten it was basically like all i did was play nintendo mm-hmm. um uh when i wasn't like when i wasn't being forced outside to play soccer or right or t-ball <laughs> or something like that um it was like learning the ins and outs of Mega Man, um, doing like what would essentially now be speed runs of like Mario and Mario Three and uh, and stuff like that. So I sure. can I can certainly relate. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, like all, all the you know Ducktales. Um, there yeah. was a game that I had. Not many people remember, but I remember it fondly for reasons I will never really fully understand. It's called Dino Ricky. Okay, I, this is not a, this is not one that jumps to my mind. Sure, it, it's a top-down scroller, uh, and you're this little caveman dude, and you have very rudimentary weapons, and you're trying to kill the dinosaurs on your path to get to the end goal at the top of the map um, as it's scrolling down. Um, you one hit, you die, unless you have a power up, and then you just get knocked down a different level of power up. Uh, if you fall on water, you're dead. Um, the farther you got, the faster the map would scroll down. Um, and it's a game I p- put stupid amount of hours into for no reason whatsoever. It wasn't a good game. It wasn't necessarily fun, um, but I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, there's another game I could never remember the name of, but it has something to do with wizards, and it was a family of wizards. And you would start off in their house, and you would pick which character you wanted to be. There was, like, the father, the mother, 
the son, there was a daughter, um, it might have been like a crazy uncle or something like that, I don't remember. Uh, but then you would start off on your journey and you would like climb down the ladder and there'd be this, this map uh, and there would be doors and other ladders. And I don't remember what it was called, but I always remember I could play for like two or three hours and get to this point. And every time I'd get to the exact same point and then just be done because I couldn't figure out where to go. Like it just closed up in itself and I couldn't figure out ever how to beat it. And of course this was back before you could just like Google something or watch like a let's play on like, how do I get past this level? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your, was, your, your best bet was like maybe Nintendo power. Well, um, that was the thing. It was but, such a weird game. It, that, yeah. Like, it wasn't one of the, it doesn't sound like it was one of the big ones that would have made it to Nintendo no, power. <laughs> no, there was no hotline covering this game specifically. Um, oh my God. The hotline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do I get past this? This will be $3 and 99 cents per minute. Um, <laughs> So I don't remember what it's called. If I looked it up, I could probably find it. Uh, but that's a game that like sticks out as being <sighs> frustrated at video games in ways I, I wouldn't understand until later on in life. Because I'm sure there's a stupid easy way to get past that particular point. But there was something about the design of the game that I was not seeing as a kid. Um, but it started to open my eyes to, like, there are different kinds of games other than, like, Mario and Mega Man, where left to right, you try to get to the end and then move on. Um, games could go left and right and up and down, and there could be puzzle aspects to, to games. And it, it really started, like, challenging my critical thinking as a kid, and I think that's when I really started to fall in love with video games as more than just... I'm going to sit here and play with my friends and then go outside and ride my bike because I'm a you know, young kid and that's what I do. It's like, no, I love these things. I love figuring out how they're put together and how the, how the pieces solve this puzzle type of thing. So, um, Nintendo Entertainment System is, is like will always be near and dear to my heart. It's just like that. I, I've been in love since then with video games. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and I can I certainly can relate to that like that frustration of like I know there's a way to beat this experience. Um, I just can't like I, my brain is too young and and mm -hmm. dumb to figure it out. Like right. like you're telling that story, and I'm thinking of like something like Shadowgate, where I'm like, I know if I went and played that game now, I would have no <laughs> yeah. problem figuring out what I needed to actually do. But yeah. back when I was like six, I'm like, I like this make none of this makes sense to me. Why? Why am I not just like attacking things in right, here? Right. Like, I, what I, what do I need to? I need to go left. Nope, I died. How, how, what do I need to do? Sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. And but also that like that breakthrough where you have kind of that realization. And I was I like I always go to like um, I, those really hit for me with the Super Nintendo with like Final Fantasy two II and three, sure. four four and six now as as, uh, as we can now in normal name and <laughs> nomenclature. Um, not not us Western nomenclature, right. um, but yeah, those those were the kind of my first experiences that made me think of like video games as like a bigger thing, um, where I was like, oh, this like I'm actually growing as a person and learning from mm -hmm. video games, right? Um, in a way that I was not learning, you know, like in in a way that I learned from books or something like that. I was sure. I was yeah I was I was developing because of the video games, and I think my parents saw that and kind of were like, oh, okay, this. Like, yes, it would be great if he's not sitting, like, super close to the TV because we don't know what that's going to do to his eyes in right. 20 years. 
fast forward now and we've got like VR right on our face. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the, uh, they, they kind of, they lean into it and said, okay, like we're going to still like treat it with moderation, but we will like, we will, um, you know, honor the spirit of, of which you're enjoying this kind sure. of content. Yeah. So, um, and let me take your, your viewers back on a, a little history, uh, uh, tour that many may not be familiar with, but there used to be these things called blockbusters. Yes. Okay. Um, fantastic, wonderful place where you could go and you could actually take home video games for three or four days at a time. For... You can even do it with consoles. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a whole <laughs> different ball game. Um, you know, for a, a few bucks uh, of rental, um, these were these were pretty big because this is before Gamefly this is before Redbox um, but I remember I I remember working the system like when my parents didn't want to buy me a new game uh, family didn't have a lot of money so it wasn't like uh, it wasn't normal for me to get new games it usually relied on grandparents and uncles uh, for new games but shelling out three or four bucks for a weekend rental of a video game was doable and like Tech Mobile I remember renting that game consistently. Like, there was a point during one summer where I think I would just go and re-rent it as I was turning it in probably five or six times. You know, like, the amount of money spent just to rent that game easily could have just bought the game. But it was the little tiny transactions, the microtransactions. Um, <laughs> way... it, was, it was a free-to-play element. It, it was, yeah. Um, we'll have its time. Um, but yeah, like, renting video games at Blockbuster was, was an experience. Like, I remember having my own Blockbuster card so that I could ride my bike to Blockbuster with a couple dollars cash and go be able to pick out a game that I was going to play for the next three or four days. And back then... If you have three or four days to kill, you could get through an NES game two or three times. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially if it's like a co-op and you have friends over. Like it's the best weekend experience of your life. You know, at that age. Uh, so the blockbusters like are, are pretty special, and I, I'm sad that it's gone in a weird way because that's a part of my childhood that kids nowadays will never understand. Um, but there was something special about like br- walking up and down those aisles and looking at the awful, awful box art and trying to decide if a game was good or not, or had you ever heard of this game? Was it in Nintendo Power? No, I don't remember it being Nintendo Power, so should we try it? I don't know. It looks pretty cool. Oh, it has a number next to it? Oh, there must have been another one before. So if there was another one, this is the new one. It has to be good because it's a sequel. Yeah. That's somebody somebody else <laughs> liked it enough to make another one. <laughs> yeah, no, like I it's it's come up a couple times on the show um thinking about like that like the N64 era was kind of the last era where we really had blockbuster um mm. was was the like that was how me and my friends would go and pick up like the South Park game for for N64 and we would throw snowballs at each other and say wow this game sucks <laughs> but we would still have like because we had it for the weekend we would sure. play through it and and make what fun we could of it right, right. um so yeah it was, it was certainly it was certainly a different uh, like a different time for us mm-hmm. um and yeah we had i had one right down the street so it was the same kind of thing like i had blockbuster card we had a hollywood video um here as well so it was sure. like we would and that would be like the the treat for the weekend it was mm-hmm. okay we'll go to hollywood video 
Um, we will pick up a game, and you will also get a box of candy, and that's your treat for, for the weekend, so pick wisely and enjoy. Yeah. And so it'd be <laughs> like, I would pick up some stupid Super Nintendo game and a uh, box of nerds and <laughs> and be all set for the weekend. Yeah. There was that, uh, that anxious feeling that you had, though, like picking it out, because you knew when you got home if you p- picked the wrong game. Like, probably, like, ten minutes into the game, you're just like, oh, this isn't the game I wanted, you know? Yep. I don't want to play this, but you're stuck with it. Like, that's yep. it. <laughs> yep. Enjoy it, beat it, and, and you know, move on to next week, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, N- Nintendo, the regular Nintendo, is special and always will be special. Um, I-, I think that's fair to say for a lot of gamers my age, that was, um, that was the revolution of video games. I remember... Finding a box in my closet as a young kid, um, probably when I was like five or six, that had an old Atari in it, and I remember like wondering what that was and having to be told that I was like that was a pre Nintendo because at that point Nintendo was like the first video game, like yeah, video games did not exist before Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I pulled this Atari out of the box and I realized, oh no, there was stuff before Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo Power never talked about Atari, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, couldn't have happened. Um, I remember plugging it in and trying the games and thinking, nope, nope, these aren't video games. These are, this, this is something else. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, over the years have learned to respect older video games. Um, obviously, like, Pac-Man is an all-time classic. I play that in an arcade whenever I get a chance to play Pac-Man in an arcade. Um, and that was one of those games I played on my old Atari that I found in my closet. But as a kid, you're looking at like the graphics of Super Mario Bros. 3 and then Pitfall and Pac-Man on the Atari and you're like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that that whole uh, that coolness of going retro and playing older stuff wasn't around then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, you know, I, I didn't really wasn't able to transition uh, backwards. Yeah, we weren't we weren't super eager to get like uh, to get Pong playing again. <laughs> did you? Uh, uh, speaking of like retro and, and going back, did you get? Were you? Uh, have you managed to get a, an NES classic? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. When they showed up on uh, Amazon Prime now. Okay. Uh, and co-host of Joys of Games, Colin, he lives in Portland area, and Amazon now delivers to um, Portland. So he ordered it for me as soon as it went up, and then he was like, hey, you owe me 66 bucks for this thing. I'm like, that's cool, because I live in Vancouver, which is right across the river from Portland. Um, it was probably a, a shorter drive for them, but crossing state lines and everything like that, they just don't deliver. So... Um, I, I was able to secure one that way uh, about a week before Christmas. So, nice. and, and it's it's just a flood of memories just coming back. Um, yeah, yeah. It's I, I miss the door. I miss the cartridges. You know, the little nuances of the console. You know, blowing into the cartridges, which did nothing. Did nothing, <laughs> but it felt like you were doing something. Or you would have that cartridge that that wouldn't work at all, except if you put it in. Not all the way, but just enough to where it would like scrape like the the edge of the door when it went down and dropped into. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it made that like very satisfying click. Like it wasn't all the way in and super loose, but it had to be snugged in there just right. 
and then magically it would start working. And if you didn't get it in that right position, it would never work again. Yeah. Um, or the the games that would like mysteriously only work um, if like you had the game genie. Mm, uh, like yeah. I couldn't get the game to work, you know, just natively. But if I had the game genie in there and then had the, the game, even if I wasn't using a code, the game would, would still work. So right, yeah, right. it was the like looking back and understanding a little bit better about how the pin connections were like dealing with all that stuff and the fact that like actually pushing a game down and closing the thing like was probably doing more damage to any of those <laughs> games than anything. It's like oh. <laughs> Why did we think we were supposed to do all these things? Oh, I mean, some of it, like that, we were told to do it. Sure. Um, but it's like, why were we told to do that then? Right, right. <laughs> if yeah. that was actually hurting the pin connections. Yep. Those, Whatever. Uh, the, the cleaning solution kits, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you, you put the solution on the pin chip and, like, set it in the thing and all kinds of crazy stuff. Game Genie is funny. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was the first time as a gamer I ever felt guilt about gaming. <laughs> okay. And, and to this day, I still, I, it, I associate it a lot with like the anxiety I deal with because I, I, I adored using the game genie on games that I couldn't beat, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game. Because unless you had a really good co-op partner, which my little sister was not, you couldn't beat that game solo. It was too impossible to get through. But using the game genie, you could run through that thing no problem, which was fun. But that's when I started having, like, serious guilt about cheating on games. Because I felt like I or my parents or family members or somebody had spent money for these games. That somebody had made at some point. And now I'm using this other thing to make it easier to play the game and cheat my way all the way to the end. And I never was fully satisfied beating the game with the game genie. I never felt a whole lot of joy in doing so. Like, I, I felt shameful for it. Like, I would never... If I told somebody I beat the game, I would never tell them I beat the game with a game genie. And then I would, like, get even more guilty because then I'm lying to people about beating the game. It, man, Game Genies wrecked me. As you're having this, you're having this existential crisis as a ten year old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I would I would say think about it this way: you got to experience parts of the game that those people worked hard on that you wouldn't have otherwise got to experience. Sure. Oh no, I, I tried um, talking myself into that logic, <laughs> and I'm like, at least I'm seeing the end. Like at least I'm getting through it. But you know, then you know, I started feeling bad that like I'm not a good enough gamer, um, or. Like, it's just, I, I felt like I was devaluing the games that I was playing by cheating don't, in order to play them. Don't worry about it, Josh, because everybody that was talking to you on the playground about having beat those games was also beating them with the Game Genie. None of us, <laughs> none of us beat Battletoads naturally. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't use Game Genie, I'm sorry, no. Yeah. You like you have friends over for a sleepover and you hide the game genie to, yep, to yep. And, and the and the, the that that blue and orange book that had all the game genie codes in it. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I was uh, there was a there was a fascinating article on uh, on Waypoint, which is Vice's um, like video game kind of side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, that was talking about like the death of the cheat code, sure. and it was talking about like it it, it exposed me to like what was actually going on with Game Genie codes and how they worked and, and what 
like what made them work and it was a very fascinating read because it's it talked about basically like the reason you had game genie for nintendo and super nintendo was because it was manipulating like the pin connection it was it was finding out okay when you get an extra life what happens um oh this pin connects to this pin so let's manipulate let's throw an extra electrical current using this game genie thing into that connection to give you like 30 extra lives or something like that and with the advent and move towards like digital or or optical media like you just don't get that as much sure. uh, you don't have you don't have the ability to manipulate that kind of connection and so it was a very fascinating read as that because it was one of those things I always wondered. I was like, how does this random gibberish numbers do what, <laughs> what Game Genie is doing? And how did somebody figure that out? Right. Um, yeah. And so, like, reading about kind of this is how those those codes were created um, in that, like, era. It was a very fascinating read. I'll try and, uh, I'll try and find it and, and yeah, link it in, cool. the, in the description here. And I'll send it to you if you're, if you're interested. Absolutely. Because, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was definitely, like... The, the headline itself of, like, what happened to cheat codes, I was like, yeah, what did happen to cheat codes? Why don't we get those anymore? What the hell? Um, and, and I like, I dove in. It was, like, a, a, a really good kind of, like, history of gaming piece sure. um, that I, that is very, like, on point for this conversation. So, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's weird, though. Like, that, looking back at now, um, that whole anxiety that I suffered with Game Genie, I, I think, propelled, like, how I would go through life with other media i never pirated music not once i've never illegally downloaded a song or a movie in my life like when napster was big like i i stayed so far away from napster i'm like that's cheating that's illegal like i don't like i I started having like all those feelings come rushing back and it was a total different thing than what game genie was but i i felt that same like i'm cheating somebody out of something by by doing this a different way than intended mm. you know um i'm, I'm messed up I'm... <laughs> yeah i mean that's like i missed out on so much good music <laughs> <laughs> it's we were we were a kazaa family um mm-hmm. and uh we like i used it to find like because i was really into i was in choir at the time and so like i had like acapella music was like my that was my jam sure um and so i couldn't find that you know it at my local store or something like right. that. So I would find those tracks, but my parents or my, uh, and my dad would like, he would, he would scour for like the newest movies that came out. And I remember in particular, we were downloading Spider-Man two and, uh, and we got like a cease and desist warning. Mm. And I don't know if it was like legitimate or anything, but like, that was basically like that we're, we're done dealing with Kazan <laughs> cause we don't want, we don't want the FBI coming after us or anything like that. So um, whereas now, like of so many things, yeah. N- now, now, like <laughs> I, I'm very much that way. Like I, at this point, I'm like, uh, if I want something, I will pay for it. I don't need sure. to, uh, like, I don't need to to t- try and pirate anything. But I have elements of my family that still will, like, they'll they'll go to torrent sites and find, um, you know, Star Wars Rogue One a week after we've seen it sure. in theaters. We'll at least see it in theater, but they'll also then go grab it and right, rip it right. and download it and like disperse it around my family, like. I'm good, guys. I, yeah. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just buy it when it comes out if I want it. Right. Well, I mean, and stuff is so easy to come by these days for a cheap price. Like if you want to check out a game, like you don't have to download it illegally. You could just go to Redbox, pay two bucks, test it out for a night, and see if it's something that you want to invest more money into or not. You know? Yeah. Like there is a certain element to where things are easier now um, than they ever have been as far as obtaining things non illegally. Um, 
But I think some of that definitely is. As, but I mean, yeah, like society. it's also <laughs> way easier to obtain things illegally than it's ever been. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of the where you have like the that's that's the the price of the digital era. I think. Yep. Is, yes. Is that yeah? It is like so easy to um, to pirate all that kind of stuff if people are so inclined and like I'm I'm against it because like I, as somebody who who does try and create things even though I'm not creating things for money. It's like sure. I, I mean, if I wanted to charge people. Like, if I wanted to create a Patreon or something, like, for this, it'd be nice if people, like, actually paid to consume the content instead of just ripped it, right. you know, freely <laughs> and, 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 like, didn't respect the, the work I put into it. Sure. Your, your show is going to be the first show I pirate ever. Just <laughs> There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's fair. Absolutely. Just because. Um, Absolutely. Eventually, I got Super Nintendo. Um, again, I, I had a Game Boy, too. Um Game Boy, uh, you know, Tetris, Pokemon. I mean, what more can you say about that? That hasn't already been said on your show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> po- Pokemon, like, Game Boy tends to be the Pokemon system for yeah. many of my guests. Yeah. And, and like, even, even when I think back, like, I remember, like, I played Link's Awakening, and I, because I was a big Final Fantasy p- fan, I would play, like, the Final Fantasy Legends games on there. But, like, they, it was never I owned them myself. It was I borrowed friends' copies sure, of sure. some of those Game Boy games. Because yeah. that was also, like, it was a golden era for, like, oh, your friend has this game, you have this game, let's trade, and, and you mm-hmm. can do that if, if you don't want to, you know, take the trip to Blockbuster for the weekend. Right, that's right. how I... That's how I got introduced to Dragon Warrior. Sure. Um, was I traded my copy of Final Fantasy 2 to a friend for his copy of Dragon Warrior 4, and then my friend moved away. Um, this was like in fifth grade. That's he moved away, now? and and Dragon Warrior stayed my game. And I was like, "But David, I really loved Final Fantasy two. So I, I went out and bought Final Fantasy two again. Sure, sure. That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, Pokemon Blue, because um, Reds for chumps. Like, oh, bring it, argument. bring yeah. it. <laughs> I was a red. Like my sister was. The, my sister had blue. I was red. And then we like kind of both traded off on yellow, but sure. mostly it was my yellow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like with the Game Boy, like I remember. What are you gonna the... do? What are you gonna do with your like your meowth? <laughs> yeah, get out of here. <laughs> we had, I had Ekans. Bring it. Uh, Squirtle's still the best starter, so it doesn't even matter. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, unless you like cheating, and then you could go red and be the fire, and you know. Dominate. I mean, to be fair, like I, I, I like I. My sister and I did the that thing where like we would. I, well, I would play through both copies to get us all three starters. Like, right. I would just play that first, you know, hour or so of the game six times and just trade everything back and forth. Sure. Um, and, like, Charmander, for as, as much love as he gets, like, people are lying on that. Because if you start with Charmander, that is a hard beginning of the game. <laughs> because the first two gyms, are you're screwed. Like, you have no strengths there. Bulbasaur is easy mode, and there are way more people that went Bulbasaur than will ever admit to going Bulbasaur. That's true. Yeah. Because Bulbasaur gave you a free pass, basically, first past the first two gyms. Sure. And by then, you could, like, get everything else that you needed to get for the rest of the game. So, right. like, there's a lot of revisionist <laughs> history on Pokemon. I, I, I'm just loyal to the Squirtle squad through and through, so... There you go. Um, uh, but with the Game Boy, like, I specifically remember the accessories for the Game Boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, the the magnifying glass that would clip on with yep, the lights. And, and it, like, folded open. Yep, it had, like, the spotlights beaming down on it so you could, like, see what you were playing. Because if you weren't in direct sunlight with that thing, you weren't seeing a thing. I remember having that in the car so many times. 
you couldn't play it. Like, it yep. was meant to be played in travel. There's no way you're playing that. You know, asking your it parents was, to turn like, on the dome it, light. Exactly. It didn't work in direct light, and it didn't work in no light. Right. How did we do anything with that game? Like, how did that Poor work for dude. us? It, how, it didn't how did anything exist until we had, like, the backlit Game Boy Advance? Oh, what goodness, what was know. happening? I, I don't know it was accessories point. like that. It was like, okay, well, here's a thing that will give you the light <laughs> in just the right angle that you need it. Yeah. So, so here, like, pay an extra $50 for it. Yep. And, and that had batteries also, which yeah. <laughs> that went through batteries quicker than the actual Game Boy. And I think it was different, but I think those were double A or triple A. Um, they were definitely different than the Game Boy itself. So you like have like this entire bag full of batteries if you wanted to go anywhere with it. Yep. It was a mess, but man, it was fun. Um, Super Nintendo. I, I remember getting a Super Nintendo for Christmas. Um, again, consoles were like a Christmas present, it seemed to be. Um, yeah. Uh, it came with uh, Super Mario World and the Super Mario All-Stars. Uh, so it was like the combo. It wasn't both games on one cartridge. It was two separate uh-huh. cartridges packed in. Uh, gone are the days of packing games. Um, uh, tear. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> Only 90s kids will remember. Um, <laughs> but like the Super Nintendo was... It was a thing that was... It blew my mind as a kid because this whole time you're playing games with like two buttons. Unless you were a Sega kid, and shut up, nobody played Sega. Um, <laughs> you got an extra button, good yeah. for you. <laughs> Which didn't really ever do anything in the games anyway. Um, it, but now it, it helped in in like Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter, where you had like the high punch, the low punch, the kick, or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, but like the Super Nintendo, like having the four buttons, like that was. It was a big thing, and I remember like and L and R and yeah, the shoulder buttons. Um, so like transitioning from the basic NES controller to this thing with so many extra buttons. As a young kid, like that's a hard thing at, initially to grasp. Of like, I'm doing so many more things than I used to be doing with video games. Um, but it definitely opened the world of video games up because suddenly you could do more with the characters that you were playing. Um, like you said, Mortal Kombat. Loved Mortal I'm a Mortal Kombat fan. Mortal Kombat over Street Fighter. Any day, I will take that debate. Um, I, I have an appreciation for Street Fighter, but there's something about uh, fatalities with Mortal Kombat that's just immensely more satisfying as a fighting game. Like, just knocking out your opponent and then just saying, oh, KO, I won because your health bar is low. Yeah, sure, okay. But, like... Physically ripping off the head and spine of your opponent and leaving them into a, a, a bloody mess on the on the floor, that's a whole different ball game. When it yeah, comes to it's fighting. it's it's the difference between like yeah, you scored a touchdown, but now you scored a touchdown and you get to do a dance. Yeah, exactly, and that's it. Like you, you can't get any better than that, you know. Um, so I, I have always preferred Mortal Kombat over other fighting games for that reason. There's just that that little extra. I won, and now I'm going to gloat about it in, in cool and fascinating and somewhat gory ways. Um, if you knew how to do it and didn't accidentally mess it up and just, like, right. then, like low-kick them, and then they just fall down. Right. Well, here's the thing. I remember, um, it must have been Mortal Kombat 2, 2 or 3, um, on the Super Nintendo. I remember having, um, borrowing a magazine from my friend that... Whatever issue it was, they had the entire rundown. Actually, 
Yeah, it was just a magazine. It wasn't like the strategy guide. Um, they had the entire rundown of every character's uh, finishing moves and friendships and babalities and all that stuff. And it was like probably like 10, 12 page long spread in this magazine. And I remember taking that magazine, going to a print shop, having color copies made <laughs> of these pages so that I could keep them at home. And as I'm playing them, I have them like all laid out on my lap. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be Kung Lao. I need to do this move, and like I'm preparing, I'm reading it as I'm fighting. Like I'm not even paying attention to the match. I'm just like trying to memorize the button combo that I need to do to do this cool fatality, and like would finally win. And I'd pull it off, and like, yeah, that's cool. That's that's awesome. <laughs> but I didn't feel like that was cheating because that was like built into the game. I just didn't know how to do it, and the game wasn't really good at ever telling you how to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But yeah, I would have like pages just laid out just in front of me of like, okay, which character do I want to be? Who am I fighting? What do I want to do? Um, and then having people over friends and like any like relatives that would come over and be like, you need to see this. Watch me freeze this guy and then shatter him into a thousand pieces. Nobody really wanted to see it, like except like my stupid friends. But like it was fun to like show off that like special thing that you were doing in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, what other Super Nintendo? Uh, Donkey Kong Country uh, yeah. was pretty special. Uh, that game was, I-, I think, way ahead of its time. Um, as far as like looks and design go, uh, and music, like I-, I think that game was the first time I had really started paying attention to music in video games. Uh, there have been plenty of video games that had great music before then. Um, but as a kid, like, I, I wasn't, I didn't care. Like, I, I was just like, I, I'm the visual learner. I need to see what's going on and enjoy it. But, like, Donkey Kong Country had music that made me pay attention to what was going on, and it fit with the atmosphere of each level yeah. in ways that I thought was incredibly special and made me notice it, you know? Like, that. that's how I always associated with being special um, is it made me notice good music in video games and, and like going back now like all that like 8-bit stuff on like the NES games like there was so much good music back then but I was a dumb kid I didn't care you know yeah it's it's the kind of thing like back in that era especially back in, in like those eras they're, they're ingrained in us because like the the they had to be simple enough that you're basically just getting the melody on mm. it. So and and you get that melody thirty times before the level's up. Right. Um, so it's just you're hearing the same thing on on loop. So it's just like like beamed into our brains. Um, whereas like as music has gotten more complex and complicated, it's it's lost a bit of that like that magic because you're you lose the melody a little bit when you throw in like an entire orchestra to kind of support it. Um, but in, in NES and SNES era, it was like, okay, the limitations (laughs) say like, here's what you're going to get. And so, yeah, you get like for, for Donkey Kong country, you get like, or whatever the, the, like the tropical, like feel and vibe Mm. of those first levels. And it's like, yep, like this, this makes sense. And it's, it's like just pared down to the essentials and that vibe of of the level right um, and then and then when yeah you, when you move into another kind of area of the game it you like when you're down in like the the 
underground areas with the carts and stuff and you get that music it's like oh this is a different feel like mm-hmm. in the same way that like mario it's like okay you've got the overworld stuff and then you've got da 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 yeah and yep. and you, like it's like oh this is there's a new sense here sure cool um so yeah that's that's i like i i in a same in a similar vein like that's when i started getting fascinated by um by the music of video games it was like i knew obviously i knew zelda and i knew mario and tetris and that right. music just because it had been like just ingrained in my head repeatedly and ducktales you know i heard it as much in the game as i had in the show um <laughs> uh more so i had it, i heard it way more in the game than i ever yep. heard it in the show um but it was kind of the the super nintendo era where, where absolutely there was like an appreciation for um how good that music was compared mm-hmm. to like the rest of the game and it was like oh i just find myself humming that stuff outside of anything Right, right, yeah, With without Q. Um, going back to Blockbuster, uh, this is going to be the most Blockbuster references on any show you probably ever have. That's quite uh, right. Do you remember the Donkey Kong Country tournament that they had? I don't. I mean, okay. like, it's, I mean, they're, like, stuff like that sounds familiar, like, because, and, and part of me wonders if it was, like, just local stores would do their own local things, because, like, we would have Pokemon tournaments at my Blockbuster, I mean, it was more like a thing that they just ran or like Toys R Us would have like that store would have an event on a weekend. Right. Well, Um, they actually came out with a a tournament edition of the cartridge. Okay. Um, And it was like a little bit after the release of the game. And like, so I had been playing the game for a while and I knew all the secrets, you know, all the different, you know, areas to drop into that didn't look like they were secrets, but you you go collect extra bananas and whatnot. So yeah. then Blockbuster hosted this tournament um, where you'd come in with your um, Blockbuster card and you would get one run on um, Donkey Kong Country. And you'd, it, it was to get the most uh, the highest score, the most points. No other explanation than that other than you get a controller, you get one life to go as many points as you possibly can, go. So I walked in there so cocky. I'm like, I got this. You know, I am. I have played these first levels backwards and forwards more times than I could count, right? I'm going to knock this out of the park. And I walked in, showed him my card, got up there, grabbed the controller, started playing it. And I went to drop down into, like, the first hole that is a secret. That doesn't look like a secret, but you just drop down there and there's extra bananas and whatnot. So I'm like, I'm going to drop down here. I'm going to get all these extra bananas and all these other suckers probably are missing. And I dropped down, and I died. And that was it. And I was like, hold on, wait a second. And come to find out that it was this tournament edition of the game to where all the normal secrets in the game had been closed off, and it was just like kind of like a speed run through the main level where you collect all the bananas that are visible, you try to get through the level as fast as you can, and that's how I accumulated your score. I didn't know that. Nobody told me that, so I'm going for the first secret I know of. I die. I'm done in, like, 15 seconds. Done. I, my, my, my glory days are gone. I was so bummed, Trevor. I was so upset. <laughs> no King I, of Kong documentary for you. No, well, I came back the next day with my cousin's Blockbuster card. <laughs> because I'm like, okay. I'm going to game this system. <laughs> game Genie ruins me. That wrecks me morally. But I'm 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 getting this damn yeah. uh, this tournament. I don't even remember like what the grand prize won. If you like, I don't. I don't. It was just 
I was so mad that I felt like I was cheated out of my my one run of this thing because I tried to play Donkey Kong the way I knew Donkey Kong and it wasn't that. So I went back with my cousin's card and I tried it again. I ended up getting second place overall for that store. And to this day, I feel pretty good about that, but I will never let them live that down of screwing me out of first place because <laughs> if it was just a normal Donkey Kong run, I was I was money. That was that prize was mine. But no explanation, no, hey, this is a special edition. All the normal secrets are closed. Nothing. I, I mean, I think it's pretty apparent that this is exactly what led to Blockbuster's downfall. <laughs> so you get the last laugh, Josh. You're fine. I think you win on this one. Yeah, ultimately. Huh? But, you know, I'm Suck so it, Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> Where you at now? Where you at now? Um, <laughs> yeah, Super Nintendo, man. Um, Link to the Past. The best Zelda game. Yes. Aha, there we go. All right. Like, I, I will accept other answers, but that is my answer. <laughs> Mine too. I, every time I say it, I struggle because I feel like I'm uh, shorting Ocarina of Time just a little bit. My issue, or what, and what I, what I always talk about, and I talked about it when uh, Nathan Swisher came on. He was one of my earlier guests, and we like that was his Ocarina was his game. We mm. talked about it. Uh, my issue with Ocarina and why I don't give it the credit Ocarina is like great 3D. Like it certainly opened up what a Zelda game can be, but it's the exact same loop of Link to the Past. It's yeah. go collect three of something, then go collect seven of something. Mm-hmm. It's like that's so it's it's Link to the Past, but in 3D. Sure, and that doesn't give it like a pass to make it a its its own glory game. Right. Um, so I I fall in the Link to the Past camp. Ocarina is a great game. Yeah, but Link to the Past did it first. Link to the Past is special. It it's it did something. Um, Link to the Past for me personally was the first time I started appreciating game design and the art of video games as from the the perspective of the people making them. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just the art style, if it was the characters, if it was the world, what it was. And I'd played the, the other Zelda games before that, um, so it wasn't like a brand new thing. But Link to the Past, I remember like playing that so many times through and through, all the way through the end, to where I got to the point where I started developing on paper, just on paper, um, my own sequel to Link of the Past, Link to the Past. Um, I, I had a notebook, a giant notebook. Of just pages and pages of um, just sketches of new enemies, um, slightly different enemies than the ones that we already had. Uh, New weapons, like the same weapons but altered in just a way to where it felt like it was a new game. I didn't want to make the same game. I just wanted to create something like which would eventually be um, uh, A Link Between Worlds. Like, I feel like that came straight from my head, in a way. Like, <laughs> the spiritual successor to Link to the Past, I'm like, that's the game I was making as a kid. Um, but yeah, I, I would just draw and draw and draw and just create all these... I, I, I made maps. I made dungeon maps um, with, like, puzzles and everything like that. I was obsessed with creating this thing. Uh, for no reason other than, like, that's just how much I love Link to the Past and how much more I wanted more games in that 
world that they had created. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I had all that stuff still. I, I do. I, I don't know whatever happened to it. I don't know why I got rid of it. Um, obviously, I didn't do anything with it, um, or I would be in game design right now and uh, probably doing something far more interesting than uh, several podcasts a week with my life. But um, <laughs> it was it was it was a thing that like I, I started appreciating. Like somebody drew these at some point, and then somebody was able to make and and create them on a computer and somehow turn these into something that I could play. And I didn't quite understand that whole process. And to this day, I'm not even sure I fully understand that process. Um, But it it started with ideas and it started with people like sketching stuff out and just drawing things that they thought would be interesting and seeing how they could uh, translate it into a video game. So Link to the Past is, is, is pretty special to me. Um, for that reason of you know I, I i get that somebody else is creating art in a way that i hadn't appreciated until then yeah. um going forward i mean i played all kinds of super nintendo games all the best of course um super scope shout out to super scope oh that's yeah that's that takes me back i'm <laughs> like i have i have like my super scope game no idea where the super scope itself is sure yeah. But that was like that. That is probably one of my favorite peripherals because like I spent way more time just playing with that as like a toy bazooka. Yep, absolutely. And make believe and stuff <laughs> than I ever did with the games. Untapped potential with that thing, man. Yeah. Um, better than any Nerf gun you could possibly get at that time. Um, uh, so from Super Nintendo, um, and this is something I, I don't frequently admit here, Trevor. So this is. Not quite an exclusive, but something that you don't hardly ever hear from me. I never owned a Nintendo 64. Okay. Um, I, I just never had one for myself. Uh, home life wasn't fantastic. Um, I spent a lot of my time at my cousin's house, and he had a 64, like, on launch. Uh, so he... As new games would come out, like Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, GoldenEye, all those games, I mean, I put in countless hours to 64 games, but I never owned them. But it's just because I stayed at his house, I'd sleep in his bedroom, and we would just play 64 games all the time. Wake up, you know, you, you'd play Ocarina of Time until you had to, like, fall asleep because you couldn't keep your eyes open. You'd wake up and then you just pick up where you left off, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of 64 games that I, I played so much, but it feels weird to me saying like I never owned it myself because of how much time I spent with a 64. Um, one day, I've thought about going back and like buying one for myself just to say that I have finally owned a 64. <laughs> Uh, but it feels weird in a way. Um, one of these days, I'll pull the trigger on it and just do I it. I mean, I mean, it's not like you collect things, so no, I, no. it's what's what's the worst <laughs> that could happen there? Uh, collecting retro video games—that would be the worst that could happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a rabbit hole. I am not ready to fall down. Yeah. Um, that's. I mean, the, I, I like. I think back because I did have a sixty-four, um, but I. That was that was the era for me of like, um, like couch multiplayer, mm-hmm. and so I had like a group of friends in high school that we would play 
like every weekend we would go to somebody's house in that like group of friends and there were like six of us so right. we would do tournaments where we would play goldeneye for hours and hours and hours and it'd be like okay four of us are playing and then whoever are the two losers like they get bounced yep. and like the other two people come in and so I have as much memory playing 64 games at like all of their houses yep, as I exactly. do at playing my own yeah um uh and and like you know they would come and and because like we all and, like it's weird because we all had some of the same games, but that was like Goldeneye was a perfect example. I didn't have Goldeneye, sure. um, like that was the that was the game that my friend Luke had or my friend Brian had, mm-hmm. and they had gone through and unlocked everything. So it was like there was no point in in me trying to get it and <laughs> and and then also do that because I could just go play it at their place. Yeah. But that was a game that like I rented at Blockbuster to play through <laughs> myself, yep. so I could play like the story mode because that. Obviously, that wasn't what we were doing when we were all hanging out. So yeah, like things like that, and, and No Mercy, and 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 um, oh, play so much No Mercy, <laughs> Beetle Adventure Racing, and Snowboard Kids, and stuff like those were weird games that um, that like I would play with those friends, um, um, be it at my house or at other people's houses. But I have just as fond memories playing um, at their places as I do at my own. Sure. Uh, so shout out to yeah. WCW versus NWO. That was that, excellent. Yep. Oh, man. Excellent. Because that was, I mean, that was also the perfect time, like, when I, like, middle school into, like, early high school was, like, when I went to uh, a Raw at uh, at America West Arena here, which sure. now, like, I don't even know what the, what the name of that <laughs> arena is these days. Like, it was U.S. Airways, and now it's something else entirely, I think. Wherever the Phoenix Suns play. Right. <laughs> They did a Raw is War there, and my mom got me tickets, and, like, she and I set up in, like, the nosebleed section, and she was like, I was like, can I curse? And she was like, knock yourself out. Yeah, have, <laughs> have fun screaming your, your little heart. And it was, like, the night after WrestleMania and stuff. Right. So, yeah. Sure. Like, that was the perfect time for, for, uh, for like, WCW and WO and, and WWF games and SmackDown and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, uh, all of those games, we would all, like... Uh, we would like uh, there would be times we would take um, <laughs> this like f- it's all flooding back now, Josh. <laughs> um, like we would take friends' uh, systems over, so we would have two systems set up, and like we would be playing Goldeneye on one or something while another person was creating their creator wrestlers sure. on yep. the on the other, um, and so we would like we would take turns doing that while everybody else was playing another game, and then we would like create our own. Like WrestleMania tournaments or or Starcade oh, yeah. tournaments with our creator wrestlers and and do like Royal Rumbles and stuff like that. It, it's basically like we were yeah. doing Paxamania yep. before Paxamania <laughs> was a thing. Um, God, uh, we're so ahead of our time, Trevor. What are we, we even doing here? Absolutely, yeah. Like we, it's, it's I as I said with uh, with Joey last week. It was t- like the idea of like oh I wish I'd like made different choices when I was eighteen. <laughs> And I would be in a, such a different place, but then I'm like, oh, but then I wouldn't like have met all the cool people that I've met in the last couple sure. of years. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's 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 certainly like I, I definitely think back on that kind of stuff. I'm like, wow, yeah, that would be like the kind of things we were doing. It's it's like Greg will talk about, um, you know, if if they had like uploaded their backyard wrestling stuff to YouTube or something back then, they'd be weird like internet. Oh, I have some wrestling backyard wrestling stories stuff. for you, my friend. Oh, I like I would. <laughs> I, I have a distinct memory of throwing my sister in 
how was it like Kevin Nash's or so somebody had like a, basically it was a torture rack was like their move sure. and like yeah. I had my sister in that in the pool at one point sure um and uh, and she was not a fan yeah <laughs> uh, that I got grounded I'm pretty sure for that right, for yeah. pulling that kind of thing but I, yeah I would like I had a I had like a um, not a bunk bed, but a, a loft bed, and I would like do elbow drops off like the yeah, top of sure. the loft, right, yeah. um, onto pillows and stuff, and pretend I was a Hardy Boy and stuff. Yep. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> we oh. had wrestling matches in the front yard of my cousin's house, and his bedroom was facing the front yard, and he would set up his um, hysteria with the speakers to face out the window, and you uh, that was right after like that CD came out with uh, oh. all the entrance themes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I had yeah. Those. Yeah, so we'd play that as we, like, came out from, like, the front door into the front yard as if we were, like, making our entrances. Um, we had, like, a replica belt. Um, it, it was just a normal championship belt. But that was the time when the hardcore belt was a big thing uh-huh. with Mick Foley. And nice. remember that broken piece yeah. of garbage oh, yeah. belt that he had? <laughs> yeah. So we took our replica belt and we just smashed it with hammers and broke it. And then we took duct tape. Like, we made our own hardcore belt. Um, which were, of course, the funnest matches to participate in because, you know, you'd have, like, your cookie sheets. <laughs> That's where anything and, goes. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, the side of a trailer getting thrown into that for no reason. Um, we're pretty lucky that nobody got seriously <laughs> injured at some point. <laughs> right? Like, what were our parents thinking? <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys have ice plant down there in Arizona, right? Ice plant? Ice plants, um, they're like that succulent that, like, just grow, like, on hillsides. Um, if you, like, break them open, they have, like, that, like, green ooze stuff in them. But possibly. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know by, I don't know by that name, but. Sure. Um, man, it, it's probably called something else. Like, we've uh, got, we've got cactuses and crap that, yeah, like. no, no, you can, no cactus. <laughs> that, that's what we would find in our kind of hardcore matches. You throw somebody into a cactus. Sure, yeah. It's but, basically, it's basically the equivalent of the thumbtacks moves. Right, yeah. Well, we had, like, this, we called the ice plant. It might have been something else. Um, but it was, like, the, on this hillside, um, it, like I said, it was a succulent. It had, like. Is little, it aloe vera? Kind, not, not like aloe vera. Okay. Um, smaller than that. Um, just kind of widespread. Like, it would just, like, go crazy. Um. It had some cushion to it, um, but on the ends of it were like they were kind of sharp, but not like not like cactus needle type of of sharpness. Um, but I remember we had a match up in the the ice plant uh, one day, and like we dragged up some um, some plywood up there to make makeshift tables, you know, some milk cartons, and like that was like. The, that was the rumble zone, you know. Like that's when it got serious. Is when you got up there and started messing around. But backyard wrestling, man. Yeah, one of my uh, to to kind of round out this tangent before we get back to video games. We did a <laughs> we did a show at the uh, the theater that I used to work at a couple years ago called the Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity, and it's basically like about the like uh, it's basically like a ra- uh, a show about race, but told through the lens of wrestling. Okay. And so like you've got Chad Deity who's your big um uh your your big like superstar who's great on the mic, African American kind of character. He's the champ. And then you've got this um this kind of you've got like the the wrestlers who can actually do the work and and like make him look good. Sure. And then you have kind of a like it, he was um like he was an Iranian um uh guy who again great on the mic kind of comes in and kind of dethrones chad deity and becomes like the new superstar but again it like 
can't do shit in the ring. Right. So they just they make the character all about how um, he he's basically a terrorist is kind of what they they played with. Sure. Um, and then he had like the the cobra clutch kick or something like that, and they were like, "Hey, hey, hey, wait, nope, that's uh, let's not do that." <laughs> um, but for this show, we actually like partnered with a backyard wrestling kind of organization and had a ring um, in this. Like, our, we tore down our normal stage and mm-hmm. put a ring in there and awesome. had like side entrance things, and uh, and so it was fun. Just like after a show going in there and like bouncing off the ropes and and like fulfilling that kind of like childhood and do like basically like reenacting the uh the people's elbow and yep. just kind of like going and like throwing <laughs> off the wristband and like and doing the elbow drop and it's like that sure. like just so much fun. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah that that was uh that was like one of my favorite wrestling memories. <laughs> well after I was out like well after I'd stopped watching any any of sure. it or anything like that. It. it was just like I'm I'm yeah I'm gonna go back and revert to ten year old Trevor and have some fun with this. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, so back back to video games. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, sixty four. Um, you know, I I don't have much to say about that. Like not owning it um, again. Like you said, like I played it at my cousin's house. I played it. All my friends had like a sixty four. So it didn't matter where I was. It always seemed like there was a sixty four there to play. Um, from there is was a groundbreaking moment in my gaming history. Okay, um, I had a a paper out at the time. I was making some scratch on the side, which as a kid, like, that's a big deal. That's, like, yeah. making your own income. Yep. Because um, you're not paying taxes on paper route money. Heck no. Um, also, I've been, like, a, a small entrepreneur my entire life. I also owned a uh, sports card business. Very cool. Actually, like, it, it was like uh, I had a business license to do so and everything. Um, I would buy cards um, and then I would resell them at, like, swap meets, or I would go to, like, the monthly uh, card show that was at, like, the, the YMCA or rec center or whatever. Mm-hmm. Pay, like, 15 bucks for a spot and sell whatever you had to sell. I got a business license for the purpose of being able to buy cards um, uh, wholesale. Yeah. So I, I would buy boxes at, like, <laughs> reduced prices than I would buy at the store. We had, you know. we had, like, strikingly similar lives here, Josh. Because <laughs> um, we did, like, my my dad had, uh, like, worked at the swap meet on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And we would do that same kind of, like, we would, we, we I don't think we ever went the full license route. But, like, sure. my sister and I would set up, like, a table in the corner of his stall. Mm-hmm. And, like, we would, uh, like, we would sell our Pokemon cards or basketball cards or whatever. Sure. Um, just kind of, like... Um, uh, piecemeal out of the out of thing, but we would also have that kind of like my parents would buy the the packs wholesale, and so we would sell them. Uh, it was like we had that, and then we also had um, like little gumball machines that would sit outside his shop, and like my sister and I would figure out what to put in there, and we would keep it stocked and everything, and we would get the proceeds of it. Sure, so, yeah, yay, little and, entrepreneur us. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I realized quickly that like buying the boxes of cards because there'd be like. 16 20 packs per box reselling them per pack wasn't as profitable as opening them all and then selling the super expensive like rare hard to find cards that yeah. i would get um you know so I, every time i just like sit there and just hours just opening cards and sorting through them and all that stuff anyway that's all going towards this little nest egg that i was collecting for myself with that and my paper route money uh I, I purchased a PlayStation 1 um, with my own money. That was, like, the first 
video game console that I bought with just my money. Like all I needed was a ride to the mall to go to go buy this, and that thing was mine. Um, so like the PlayStation, like that's when I, you know, obviously um, realized that there were more than just Nintendo consoles out there that I would like. You know, again, mm-hmm. Sega. I knew they existed, but who cares? Nobody cares yeah. about Sega. Um, but like the PlayStation, like I, I bought that thing and it was a couple years after it had come out. So I wasn't like ground level with like the PlayStation. It had already been a while, but like this was mine. I bought it with my money. I'm going to do what I want with it. I, you know, I bought an extra controller. Um, I bought Twisted Metal one, two and three at that point, uh, because I had played those at my friend's house and I, I realized I really loved Twisted Metal, um, and did you remember the memory card oh yeah yeah i had to have a memory card um memory cards are uh because because if you didn't have your own n64 you might not have recognized that memory cards were needed for for systems i I read a lot of magazines so (laughs) I, i knew memory cards were a thing um but uh speaking of memory cards okay um first time i played resident evil okay uh I, I had my own PlayStation. Um, the memory card I had was full with other stuff, and I, I didn't even think twice about it. My One of my cousins had brought over Resident Evil that he had borrowed from his friend. And it came with um, uh, the guide as well. So I'm like, okay, what's this game? And we started playing it. And we played through, thanks to the guide, all of Resident Evil in one city. Okay, we'd, we'd pass the controller back and forth. Uh-huh. Um, we got to the very end, the the boss fight against the tyrant. Okay. At that point, we were so excited just to get to the end. We stopped paying attention to the fact that um, the guide told you very specific things to do, like you have to wait a couple minutes and run around and survive before they throw the rocket launcher down from the helicopter. Then you can just blow into smithereens. We think it's just like any other enemy, and we're going to just, you know, unload every piece of ammunition we have into them and end and, and this fight early. We ended up losing. We died. Womp womp. Yeah. Um, we hadn't saved at all. No, no save data on that memory card. Nothing. That almost broke me. That <laughs> that was so many hours put into running through this game that I fell in love with immediately, only to realize that I can't beat this now without doing it all over again because I hadn't saved once. That hurt. That hurt a lot. Yeah, um, I, we, I, I we live after, and we learn. Yeah, after that, I think I went out and bought like four or five memory cards just so I'd always have a stash of memory cards to use. Mm-hmm. Um how embarrassing that was that's I, like i i don't i i like i got introduced because i would play like final fantasy 7 at my friend's house first mm-hmm. and uh, uh before i ever had a playstation so we would play and we would play basically like i would go spend the weekend at his house and we would just play all through disc one and uh, and we would play and it was like a great old time um but because i you know, it wasn't my game, it wasn't my memory card or anything, like, when I eventually got the game myself, it was like, I've got to play all of this again. <laughs> well, at least I enjoy it, so let's go. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, it would it would be those, like, I don't think I ever, 
I don't ha- ever have any memories of like uh, memory card fail to that extent. Um, but definitely like I like I'm I remember losing hours of progress because I di- like I mean most recently it happened with I am Setsuna mm. where like that is a game that kind of throws back and harkens back and there is no autosave and so you do have to kind of manually save your your progress and stuff and so I'm going through and I'm like none of these enemies are giving me a challenge or anything I'm fine I'm going to be fine and then I fight uh I fight somebody and I was like distracted or, or looking at my phone or something so I didn't really it was like one of those event ba- ba- battles where you're fighting somebody and it's basically like you either have to like you either just have to attack this person but they're a friend so I missed that and it was um, so I'm like, okay, do I just need to heal myself, or what's like, what did what did I need to do to trigger the end of this boss fight? Sure. And it turned out it was like I just needed to attack them, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, uh, to the point where they stopped attacking me. Mm. Um, but I didn't like I didn't catch that, so I was like, maybe I'm just supposed to like take it and and die. Maybe this is one of those instances <laughs> in these kinds of games where it's like this is you're supposed to die in this fight. It's okay, and so I do yeah. that. Nope, that's not how you're supposed to progress. <laughs> and so I lost like three hours of progress there because I was like, I didn't like, I didn't see that coming. I was just returning, uh, like I was finishing up a fetch quest. I didn't think I was going to be doing a like a boss battle or something like that. And and so yeah, I was like, well, that's annoying, and I'm gonna go ahead and play something else for a little bit because yeah. I'm mad at this game right now. Just and I'm mad at myself because I was like looking at my phone, so I missed the dialogue prompt where it said, "Hey, like attack me." And right. we will, you know, it will charge up this this weapon I have for you or whatever. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so uh, n- nothing to the extent of like playing through Resident Evil and then like having to play through the game again. But yeah, I can yeah. I can feel it, the it, it pain took a while after that in, in smaller doses. <laughs> um, PlayStation, I played you know all the classics, all the PlayStation games that you're familiar with. Um, uh, Final Fantasy VII, my one and only Final Fantasy game, Final Fantasy game I've ever touched. Um, uh, from that point on, though, like that was, I I have been buying games for myself ever since the PlayStation One. Um, uh, Parasite Eve, big shout out to Parasite Eve. That was a. That's one that I. That's another one I rented and I played through and I really enjoyed it because I was not like a horror fan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was, but it was it was Square Enix and that yeah. was. Square Enix was like the first, or Squaresoft, still back in those days, sure. was like the first company where I was like, like I like what they do, mm-hmm. and I like, like I know when I play a game that has their name on it, I like it, so I right. want to keep playing those kinds of things. And yeah, Parasite Eve was one where I played, and I was like, I really enjoy this, um, and I just, like, and I played it for a weekend, and then returned it, and just like never made it, made my way back to it or the sequel, or I did buy. When it came to PSP, I bought like the the Parasite Eve birthday mm-hmm. or whatever that game that came out. I don't think I ever opened it or put yeah. it in my PSP. <laughs> um, I have it. It's just never like it is. It is still sure. in mint condition. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it didn't get better after the first one, but um, yeah. So PlayStation One um, was like the revolution of like I am an independent person on this earth that is capable of buying things for themselves, and that's when what was just like a, something I did as a kid now turned into a hobby that I was putting my own hard-earned money into. Um, from there, um, let's see, I moved up here to Vancouver because um, I was uh, raised in a little town in central California. Um, I moved up here to Vancouver, Washington when I was 16. Um 
just short of my, it would have been 18th birthday, I guess, was the release of the original Xbox. Going into it, I, you know, I had read some things and heard some things, and I was like, man, you know, I still enjoy my PlayStation. Like, I don't know if, like, this Microsoft machine that's going to play video games is going to be worth anything. I talked myself into buying an Xbox for myself. I was like, you know what? It's my 18th birthday. I'm going to buy myself a present because it came out, like, a, a week before my birthday, I think. And I, I decided to go buy myself an Xbox. And there was, like, a package deal that um, on launch day where you could pick, like, three games to go along with it. And one of the games I picked was Halo, of course, not knowing anything about Halo um, and some other games. But I, I, I love that Xbox, like, a lot. I, I played a lot of games on that Xbox. Um, I, I would defend that thing. Like, I remember people saying, like, how big the controller was. And I was like, you know what? It feels good, like, in my hands, you know? Yeah, like, I, like I, I didn't realize, like, the Duke was such a joke until... Like until a couple of years ago, really, because I I had the original Xbox, um, and then I set out the 360 generation, and came back for Xbox One. Yeah, it was like oh, like like I remember the controller being big and and like just mean being like oh, okay, this is just a big controller. Mm-hmm. The N64 controller was a big controller for the time, and right. so I was like okay, maybe this is just the like the way we're doing things. Yep, whatever. Um, so play a lot of games on that. Um. When I was 18, I moved out and I moved in with my girlfriend at the time, um, and uh, we ended up getting a PlayStation 2 and a GameCube. Um, I don't remember in which order. I got the GameCube at launch um, uh, with a few games, um, and then PlayStation 2, I don't remember. PlayStation 2 had already been out. Like I wasn't like new to the PlayStation 2. Um but I remember picking it up and specifically getting it for Vice City. Okay, which, yeah. Ex- my favorite, excellent. My excellent favorite Grand Theft Auto game to this date. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. Like I I appreciate what the newer ones are doing. Sure. Um, like I think of the of of any of them, I think the Grand Theft Auto Five like tried to best recapture mm-hmm. the Vice City snark yeah. and yeah. like attitude. Um, uh, but yeah, like. Nothing, nothing beats the pop and the Miami Vice nature of yeah. the, the '80s game, and it, like that's like that's easily got one of the best game soundtracks of all time. Yeah, it, it didn't take itself seriously as a game. Yeah, you know, like uh, three was revolutionary for like what you could do in the game and, and whatnot. Um, but like Vice City, it, it didn't try to be more than what it was, um, and, and I appreciated for that. It was vibrant. It was colorful. It, it felt like it was just fun. You know, um, there wasn't like this deeper message hidden within it. It was just like, let's relive the '80s. Like this is this is fun for reasons we'll never really understand. Like, <laughs> um, so Vice Vice City is is a special game for me. Um, so I had I had three consoles at the time, right? I had my PlayStation Two, I had my GameCube, and I had my original Xbox. Um, having fun with all of them. Then a game came out, Trevor. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. It's called uh, Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind. That was the so I got my Xbox um, because I wanted my high school graduation, okay. and it came with Morrowind and it came with Burnout. And I could never get into Morrowind. I tried like time and time again, sure, and it just nothing resonated with me. So I was like, 
screw this, I'm going to play Knights of the Old Republic. Right. <laughs> so, but tell me, tell me why Morrowind is such a, a, a life-changing experience. Okay, I will tell you. Um, I did not think it was going to be a game I wanted to play either. I, I was not big into fantasy. Um, I definitely wasn't interested in, like, open-world games of sorts. Like, that concept, like, overwhelmed me at that age. Like, there's too much. Like, I maybe it was the fact that I had, like, three different consoles and games going on on all of them, where, which I still suffer from this day of, like, I, I don't want to invest so much time just running around landscapes, like, looking for things to do. Like, I, I like the focused uh, narratives that, that certain games give that open-world games don't necessarily give me. But there was something about Morrowind that fascinated me that... I had to get it, and I had to play it, and I had to try it. I don't know what it was. I can't pinpoint it to this day what I loved about it so much uh, Go before I even touched it, right? Like, there, I fell in love with it just from, like, hearing things, reading about things, seeing things, never playing it. Once I got it, I, I, I lost control of myself altogether. I was just like, this is, this is amazing. Um being able to just run around and just lockpick things for no reason. Like, I'm just going to lockpick this door, go in there, rifle through things, and hope I don't get caught. Like, that gameplay loop alone was just mind-blowing. Or, like, sneaking up behind people and trying to steal stuff out of their pocket without them noticing. I played so much Morrowind. So much, Trevor. I, I don't know if I ever really progressed in the storyline past, like, the halfway point. Because I was just running around doing things for no reason whatsoever. I finally hit my breaking point. I got to this point where I realized that I was just playing this game with no end in sight. Like, I didn't feel like it was ever going to end. I was dumping so many hours of my free time into this game without, like, ever actively trying to beat it without actively trying to progress i was just it was just a time suck and i was all in on it and i I don't know what it was but one day i just i I started to put it in and i said no i'm i'm i can't do this anymore i don't want to be that guy you know i don't want to be that person who just loses their life to a video game like Everything you had heard as a kid of, like, video games are going to, like, eat your soul and um, you're never going to be, like, a productive member of society if all you do is play video games and you're going to lose all social instincts. Like, all of this that I had heard for 20 years now, like, came rushing into me and fell on my shoulders all at once. I was like, oh, my God, it's all true. Like, it, it has finally happened. I am that person that everybody warned me about. And... I never played that game again. I sold my Xbox. I got rid of my PlayStation. I got rid of my GameCube. Wow. This is like, this changed your life for a while. I stopped playing video games for over three years. Oh, okay. Completely. I didn't touch them. I didn't go on websites reading about them. I didn't look at them in stores. To me, video games were dead. I was done. That was it. Um, Part of it has to do with the fact of when I was 21, I made a decision to become a father of kids. 
Um, um, and 21-year-old making that decision, um, well, I was, I had been on a date with this, with this girl a couple times, um, we were hanging out, uh, she was currently pregnant, um, the father of the child was not in the picture, uh, she also had a five-year-old kid at home, and I had known her through work, um, she was, she was cool, I enjoyed hanging out with her, um, but like on a third or fourth time hanging out, um, she sat me down and she said, look, I'm going to be having my second child. Um, I, I, I don't feel like playing like the dating game and just like ha having a bunch of just random guys over. Like, I, I, that's not the way I want to live. I don't want to raise my kids in that scenario. I, I'm not trying to put any pressure on you, but if we're going to continue seeing each other, I need you to make a decision whether or not you want to be a part of their life in a, 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 a an aspect of like a parent, you know, 21 years old. Like that's, that's, that's a big decision. Yeah. I was like, okay. Um, she was like, you know, no, you know, I, I don't blame you if you say no, if you don't want to do that. Like I, I totally get that. That's a lot to take on, but I don't want this to just be like for, a little bit and then it just not work and then like have to go through the cycle like once you decide like you don't want to be a part i'm not going to introduce you to my five-year-old son if you're going to be gone like a month because you realize you don't want to be you don't want him in your life at all okay fair enough i was like okay give me a day like let me at least you know sleep on this you know um so from there i made a decision i'm like okay let's do this uh so I, I took on the responsibility of being a father figure to a five-year-old and a soon-to-be newborn um, at 21, and that that's that's a lot to to process at that age. Um, you know, I had been enjoying my bachelor 21-year-old lifestyle uh, uh, with like the roommates I had and and partying it up as as hard as we possibly could. Um, so to completely like do a 180 in my life and go a different route. That also, like, kept me so busy mentally that, like, I didn't care, like, about video games. Like, it wasn't even something I was even thinking about or wanting to think about, you know. Video games were dead to me. <sighs> then something happened, Trevor. So what, yeah, what, what, what pulled you back? Um, the Nintendo Wii was released, Okay. Yep. And it was... It must have been released in, like, in November, right? Late November? Uh, I think I so. Say. I believe I was, so. I think I was just looking that up the other day, but... Towards the end sounds, of the year. That sounds about right. Um, so, me and her, we were actually at a Toys R Us on the launch day of the Wii, which I want to say was a Sunday, because that's a Nintendo thing to do. Yeah. Um... Yeah, November 19th, 2006. Okay, so middle of November. And I want to say that like, we were starting to like do like early Christmas shopping or something like that. That's why we were at Toys R Us. But I remember it being launched day, and I remember there being like just stacks and stacks of Wii's. Um, like the whole thing of like games and like all the controllers. And like they had this whole giant display like right there in the beginning of the store. And I was like, oh, what's this? And like I started looking at them like, Nintendo came out with a new system. Like that's how far removed I was from video games. I didn't even know it existed up until I walked into that store on that day 
and saw that it existed. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. I don't know anything about that. I didn't I didn't buy it, right? But that immediately made me realize that like video games had still continued even without Josh Brown involved, <laughs> uh, which was a hard concept for me to understand, but. I mean, Blockbuster um, did not, but block- video games yeah. did. <laughs> the industry kept moving forward. Blockbuster shut its doors. That's all I'm saying. Um, so I remember going home and like pulling up IGN, or I just like googling like Nintendo Wii, and like one of the first things that came up was like IGN, and I'm like, oh, I remember the site. I remember like going back to this, you know, back in the day, you know, several years ago, and like reading guides and whatnot. And I started, like, reading all these articles about the Nintendo Wii and what it was. I'm like, this sounds fascinating. So by the time I had finally convinced myself that, like, maybe it's time I step back into video games, you couldn't get Wiis. They were gone, right? They were done. You, you couldn't get them. So once I realized that there was, like, the supply and demand, I, I once again was like, you know what? It's not for me. It wasn't meant to be. If I even can't get this thing, I don't even care. Whatever. There's Xbox 360. What's that? Nope. Get out of here. Nobody wants any of this junk. Right? They, they came out with 359 more Xboxes. <laughs> like, man, I was gone for a while. <laughs> um, so for Christmas that year, it turns out um, uh, the girl I was with, um, she got me a Nintendo Wii because she had seen how excited I was like researching it and finding it out like she told me the story of taking a uh, newborn son out in the freezing cold he was like a month old at that point standing in line in front of best buy for like two hours um because they were getting a new shipment of Wii's in, and she really wanted to get it for me and they were passing out the tickets and it came down to the person in front of her had gotten the last tickets and she was like, I've been standing out here for, like, two hours with a newborn son. Like, it's cold. This sucks. And uh, so the person in front of her, like, looked back and, like, felt, like, sorry that, like, he had taken the last one. And ended up giving her the ticket so that she was able to buy the last Nintendo Wii. Um, and so, like, when I un- opened it for Christmas, I'm like... It- you know, like, even going back to, like, a, as a kid, like, when you see presents, you kind of have guesses as to what they could be or what they might be, right? Mm-hmm. Never in my wildest dreams was I expecting to unwrap a new video game console on Christmas again. Like, this was mind-blowing to me. And then, you know, I immediately set it up. Uh, I'm uh, playing, like, Wii Sports, and I'm like, that's it. I'm back in. Done. That, like, that's all it took, Trevor, was the Nintendo Wii. Uh, so since then, like, uh, you know, I ended up getting a 360. Um, I, I never had one that red ringed to death on me, so that's uh, good. There you uh, go. You missed, you missed out on that. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I was able to, to get the non-broken one, so that's cool. Um, again, I was playing my Nintendo Wii. The, the Wii was, like, my main console. Um, eventually, fast forward a, a little bit here. There was a thing that uh, some guys that you are familiar with uh, go by the name Greg and Colin. Yeah. We're talking about this uh, newfangled device called a PlayStation Vita. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, it's been a long time since I've played a handheld device. These guys are, are touting this thing to be, like, the second coming of, like, the best thing ever. Maybe this is something I want to get into. I had been listening to podcasts beyond for a while now. 
I did not own a PlayStation 3. I did not own any PlayStation device at that point because I had gotten rid of everything I had before. So I'm just Xbox 360, Nintendo Wii, listening to Podcast Beyond because those two knuckleheads are enjoyable to listen to. And they hyped up the Vita so much that I'm like, you know, I'm getting back into handhelds. I'm getting back into PlayStation. So day one, I went into Best Buy. And not only, Trevor, did I buy a new, brand new, shiny PlayStation Vita, I also walked out of that store with a PlayStation 3. Day, all in one day. It was like a PlayStation Christmas for myself. Um, I had heard that there was a new Twisted Metal game that had just come out. Um, that, I'm the, sorry. <laughs> I enjoyed it to a certain extent. I, I will always have a fondness for Twisted Metal games. That game may not be the best, but it was a little uh, boost of nostalgia that I needed to be interested in a PlayStation console again. Um, but I walked out of that store with a PlayStation 3 and a Vita um, and some games for both and everything. That was a fun day. That was a, well, an extremely fun back, day. Welcome back, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back. Um, so, it, you know, I, I, I maybe take took some detours in my gaming history, but... Um, from then on, you know, I've, I've gotten consoles day one, um, uh, Nintendo uh, Wii U, the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, all day ones, the, the 3DS, I was a day one adapter, uh, you know, I got that little ambassador badge because <laughs> they decided that they overcharged me by $80. So you got a whole bunch of virtual console games. Uh, oh yeah, that was, uh, that was a nice little bonus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've been just all in on video games pretty much since the Wii. And my collection of Wii games is astonishing. Like, I have so many Wii games. Just because that was, like, my main console. That was what I played everything on. Uh, shout out to Mad World. Like, one of the most underappreciated Wii games out there. Uh, just so many stupid... Like, that. De- do you remember that Deadly Creatures game? No. I I had very little... Okay. Like, I, I had a Wii. Sure. Um, and I played, like, I played, like, Paper Mario on it, and... A handful of other games. Like, I, I really got into Zack and Wiki. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, for whatever reason. And the Super Mario Galaxy, obviously, was um, those were the standouts. Uh, but, like, the Zeldas I didn't even play on Wii. Um, and, like, I have I have a handful of games that, like, my parents or somebody found me in, like, in the bargain bin sure. that I never opened. Right, right. Um, like, some Sonic Rings game or something like that. It's like, like I look at those, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I was not. A, I was. I did not fall down the Wii rabbit hole. I was sure. much more in like the PS2 camp of that era. Right. Well, because like this this block of like three plus years that I I would abandon video games. There's a lot of games that I never touched, and because I got back in through the Wii and didn't really care about the 360 and was super late to the PS3. There is there are major franchises that I never touched. Mass Effect never played a single game. Never. Like that just wasn't in my wheelhouse of things that I cared about uh, coming. Maybe that had to do with like how much Morrowind broke me, you know, down to my soul where I'm just like, it's too much. Like I'll, I'll play boom blocks all day long, but you give me something with a a few choices and some dramatic scenes and I'm, I'm out, you know? Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey, man. Um, with, you know, kids having numerous kids and, um, being able to share my love with video games to my kids in different aspects. Uh, you know, my oldest son um, tried to get him 
to enjoy the Wii with me, and he never really clicked for him until he played uh, Halo 3 on a 360 at his friend's house, and he was like, I really love Halo 3. I'm like, what happened to Halo 2? I don't even remember that game. (laughs) (laughs) Did that happen? That Um, was from the Dark Ages. Yeah. Uh, So then, like, that prompted us to, like, buy him a, a 360 for Christmas, I think, the next year. Um. And, like, he's been Xbox since then, up until last Christmas when he was still playing the 360, and I was like, you need a next-gen system. You need a PS4, my friend. <laughs> so he's uh, he's team PlayStation now. Um, you know, I, I, being a parent, you have that privilege of uh, forcing your kids to like certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I did him uh, a, a favor that he'll thank me for later on in life. Um but yeah, like so many different aspects of gaming um, from my history up until now, sharing with all of the kids involved um, in so many different ways. It's uh, video games are special. So yeah. So when did you when did you get into kind of toys for life? Was that as a factor of of all this um, that was something you got you could play with the kids? So uh, my uh, middle child. Uh, Caleb, who's 11 now, he was five at the time, and oldest kid, he had been playing the PlayStation, or the, the 360, been playing Halo and that kind of stuff. Um, the five-year-old, like, he wanted to play games too. He had played, like, the Wii with me uh, off and on, like, a few different games, but he didn't have anything that he felt he was, like, attached to, right? So coming up on, on the Christmas after he turned five, um, I had heard about this game called Skylanders. And I was like, Spyro. I, I remember Spyro. Okay. What do we got going on here? And I remember reading all about and doing all the research like any, you know, good parent would do. Um, and, and learning that like, there's these toys that you could use in the game. And I wasn't quite sure how that works because they didn't really do a good job of explaining it, but they're like, Hey, there's all these collectible little toys. Uh, you put them on this thing that lights up, and when you do that, all of a sudden you could play them in the game. So I'm thinking, okay, my boy's five. He still plays with toys and action figures and that kind of stuff. This might be a good gateway for him to still have the younger aspect of his life transition into also playing video games. Because, uh, you know, from what I read, it was a, a fairly simple game, easy to control um diablo light if you will uh but with toys you know so i'm like if he's going to connect with something maybe this is going to be it so got him that for christmas with a whole bunch of uh different packs of the different figures all the figures that were possibly released at that point and uh like he like instantly fell in love like he saw the characters like oh my god this is the best thing ever and he was like you're telling me this is a video game also i'm like Oh, yeah, you know, so we nice. set that up like Christmas morning and we're playing it and he fell in love instantly with it. Like, I, I could I could have seen that going two ways. One, this and he yeah. loved it and it was it was love at first sight or two. He hated it, but you got hooked. And yeah. so it was like, well, well <laughs> screw you, Caleb. We're done. I'm getting all these things now. Sure. Well, uh, about three or four years after that, uh, he kind of fell off the Skylanders because, you know, as kids get older, they start yeah. trying to, um, they rebel. Yeah, they rebel. They form their own opinions. He's seen his older brother play Call of Duty and 
he actually fell for the Minecraft trap um, and like fell into love with like the games that you could watch on YouTube. So he Minecraft and Five Nights at Freddy's and you know all those stupid games. Um, but like for those first like three years, three solid years, the first three Skylanders games, like that was our thing. You know, um, we would go to the store and collect them and try to find the new ones that were coming out. Um, playing the games together, uh, naming the characters, leveling up, and all that kind of stuff. Like, that was our thing. And that, from that first Skylanders game, hooked me into the Toys to Life genre. Um, eventually that led to Disney Infinity coming out and me having that same experience with my daughter, who's younger. Um, she's eight now, so she was she was probably like five, five or six when that game came out. Um so, like, when that game first came out and being able to bring these characters that she was familiar with into this game uh, that she she had been seeing her older brothers play video games, you know, for a few years. She wasn't into video games, but suddenly these are characters she's familiar with, she's seen, and, you know, she's seen the movies of all these things. So I had, like, that same experience with Skylanders as I did with my middle son as I did with Disney Infinity with her. Um, so, yeah, like, yeah, Toys to Life has, has been, like, this this subset of my gaming history that is special to me because it's involved my kids, but also because it, it goes back to my days as a kid of just, like, collecting everything. Anything I could possibly and want to collect, like, that's what, like, this genre is to me of just, like, I'm making collections, I'm keeping things, like, this is, these are mine, and uh, they're special to me, so. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I'm, I'm like, that's uh, unless you have anything else, kind of you really want to touch on in terms of like this this era or this this generation. I think that's a great kind of spot to, or yeah. a nice heartwarming spot to end it on. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. I mean, like some of my my favorite memories certainly are playing with like my sister growing up, like the Pokemon games and stuff, mm-hmm. where we would kind of share that stuff. Um, I, like. We'll, I'm sure we'll touch on it later when we when we talk Switch stuff, but <laughs> I'm definitely, like, I feel like I'm at a point now where, like, I look at Nintendo so often and I think to myself, like, man, that's going to be really fun to get back into when I have kids and when I can use, like, Nintendo to introduce them to gaming. Sure. Um, but there's, it, there's not enough of a hook for me to just do it on my own these days. Right. Um, but, yeah, like, yeah, Toys to Life, I mean, like, even as somebody who, as, as I, as uh, Joey and I touched on extensively last week with Lego Dimensions. Like that is pure nostalgia for me. Going back and playing with Legos mm-hmm. and getting to do it in in game form as well is right. just like icing on the cake. Um, so like I've seen, like I looked at, I've looked at Skylanders when it came out and I was like, that's interesting, and that's like gotta be a money making market. <laughs> yeah, uh, a racket to like you you sell those to kids and then the kids want all of them. Mm-hmm. And then seeing it again with Disney Infinity. Um, even more so, where it's like those are like those are characters I recognize. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's insane. Yeah. But then like Lego Dimensions was what finally connected for me uh, uh, in a in a way of like oh like I already enjoy the Lego games mm-hmm. um, and now I get to like I mean especially Lego Dimensions came out where like that was a thing that my girlfriend at the time and I would play together and we would like we wouldn't even play through the game it would just be so much we would have so much fun like building the things sure. together we'd yeah. like we'd throw the thing on and. And now we're building Scoobies. We're now we're building the 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 mystery van. Right. Um, so yeah, that's like I I can totally appreciate the 
uh, that like familial nature of, mm-hmm. of those games. Um, well, well so. even like this last Christmas that just happened, um, I said I had gotten the, the new NES Classic, um, and I hadn't really opened it until like Christmas Day. I got it a week before, but I was just like, I don't, you know, there's so much hustle and bustle with Christmas going on that I hadn't even touched it. Christmas Day, like, everything had, like, kind of settled down. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pull that thing out and plug it in and start playing it. And the two eight-year-old girls that we have, um, they came over and, like, sat next to me. And because you can't sit too far away with that thing because the course is so short. <laughs> yeah. um, but instantly, like, they're like, can we can we play? And I'm like, yes. Yep. Here's, here's Mar-. So I'm watching two eight-year-old girls who have never before played Mario or Punch-Out or Kirby play these games for the first time and they didn't really know what was going on too much but they knew that they loved it whatever it was like there was just instant familiarity with them and these games simple buttons not a whole lot of buttons to remember to push and like i was watching them figure out how to progress through mario you know and it's that story that you've heard before of like the 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 first level where one one was designed to teach you how to play that game in ways that video games haven't really hit on since that game. You know, it it's a it's a tutorial without it being a tutorial. Yeah. Like you just run and you just run straight, then you run into a Goomba and you die. You're like, okay, I'm going to have to jump over him. Eventually you learn that you could jump on him. Um, jumping on the blocks, like you don't realize that you could jump and hit the blocks until it forces you to jump and hit a block or you don't realize you have to jump over the pit until it forces you to jump over the pit. So I'm watching these two eight-year-old girls go back and forth, and they're learning from each other's runs. of, And each one, they're just getting a little bit farther and farther, you know, and one of them discovers that there's a star that makes you invincible, and they're just like, what? Like, I can yeah. just run and, like, not get killed. And it was just like, oh, my God, this is Nintendo 30 years later still teaching kids how to play video games. Like, this is phenomenal, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. And that that makes a perfect segue to go into topic two, your favorite game, uh, where we are going to hit on Super Mario All-Stars. I cheated here, Trevor. That's absolutely fair. And yeah. I was surprised, actually, that you didn't go with the Super Mario All-Stars slash Super Mario World pack-in right. uh, title. Um we like we'll. I guess we'll just leave Super Mario World to another day for for another well, guest. Well, again, I didn't have that cart that had all of the games on one. I had two separate carts with those, right. so it felt disingenuous for me to say that would be my favorite. Like, obviously, that would be my favorite, but I never owned it, so yeah. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to cheat too much, Trevor. But I don't no, want to Super- game genie this conversation. <laughs> Super Mario All Stars. You got one. You got two. You got lost levels, and you got three in there. That yeah. is a. That is. As we touched on a little bit before the before recording, that mm. is certainly one of the arguably one of the finest games ever released. Right, um, right. Maybe second only to the pack in that also sure. gives you Super <laughs> Mario World. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's let's kind of touch on uh, or t- talk about that because when we first touched uh, when we first talked, you were like, I mean, I don't want to just be another guy that talks about Super Mario Brothers. Sure. And I was like. Like, we haven't had anybody just talking about <laughs> Super Mario Brothers on my show, so... Like, well, we have a bunch of 20-year-olds on your show, Exa- so. Exactly. We could absolutely <laughs> do that. Um, uh, uh, but, I, like, I love the idea of kind of opening it up to all of them in, in one go. Um, so what what about those games outside of what we just kind of touched on there, of, like, the like the tutorial, and it, it absolutely, the first one especially, teaches you how to play that game. What yeah. about those games... Um, resonates and and makes them so special and stand out as as your favorites. Well, well, first of all, just 
the fact that all four of those games were on one game on a new console, that blew my mind in a way that, like, you get a new thing and you don't expect to play your old stuff on a new thing. You know, like, nowadays, stupid kids are entitled to think that, like, everything should be backwards compatible and everything that you've always bought should always play on every new thing that you get going forward for the rest of life. Back then, you got a Super Nintendo, and you're admitting that, like, all these old stuff, like, that's done. You're, you could keep them around if you want to play them, but, like, time to move on. To be fair, they also gave you, like, the Super Game Boy, though, so you could just play all of, all of your Game Boy games on sure, as well. Sure, sure. So that, like, Nintendo, Nintendo introduced backwards compatibility to the conversation. Right, but, you know... <laughs> But the Mario games were done. Like you, you, you see this new Super Nintendo coming out in this Mario world, and you're like, "There's a dinosaur that you could ride," and like, "There's all these crazy things going on." And then it comes with this game that has all of the games that you put in 800 hours to before with it, and you're just like, "Why do I want to play World when I could just play these all over again on this new system?" You know? Yeah. So, so your your pick is the ports of, yeah. of all these Nintendo <laughs> games. It's it's the remaster. It's the it's one of the very early examples of remaster that we had. Absolutely. Of just porting up porting up games to the new console um, to to placate all of the audience of the old one. With the nice little interface where you can switch between the different games that you want to play, man. Yeah, it it's was... it's it's the Master Chief collection of its time. Except it worked. On launch. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, okay, Mario obviously is special because, like, that's my first game. That's my first love of video games forever and always. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 is special because, like, that's when I realized that new games were constantly being developed and, and released. Super Mario Brothers 2 I hate with a passion and will always hate with a passion. Aww. I hate Super Mario Brothers 2. And do you wonder why? Why? Why do you hate way Mario? too damn hard. Okay. I yes. despise it because that's the game where, again, I could only beat with the game Genie, and I feel super bad about that <laughs> because as a video game player, as somebody who's, like, admittedly favorite franchise is Mario, I feel like I should be able to beat Super Mario Brothers 2 without a game Genie. I'm pretty sure to this day I'm still not able to do it for reasons I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I feel like if you if you boot that up in the in the uh, NES classic, I think you'd have a better time, a better go with it these maybe. days. Maybe. I mean, I mean, well, the trick is you got to play as Peach because you got to use play. that float. You yeah. got to use that float ability in like like it is required in certain areas of that game where it's like you can't get through this if you're not Peach. Yeah, I, I, I love that game for being quirky, obviously because it's not you know uh, it's not really Mario, <laughs> yeah. right? But Doki like. Doki. Birdo is like a, a character that like is so fascinating. All the bosses of that game, I, I absolutely adore. Mouser and and Wart and um, uh, what was the three headed snake called? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, but just like the thought of like picking up stuff and throwing things, um, there's a lot of things I love about that game. But I will always hate it because I can't beat it without a game genie. And I hate game genies because it makes me feel. Like, hell, every time I even think about, you know, the dirty things I did with it throughout my life. It's it's, it's okay. It's yeah. okay to move on, Josh. <laughs> um, and then you have, like, Lost Worlds, where... That was new to us. Like, that we, was, we hadn't played those games, or the, those that, levels. No, and that's when I realized that there is more world out there beyond my little bubble that I lived in. There was this magical place called Japan that was making games... 
and had been making games for a long time, and they were holding out on games, really cool games that we never even saw. Like those bastards! How dare they hold and in back this case, a Mario Because game. they thought we were really dumb, and well, we were. They, they thought <laughs> they thought we wouldn't be able to beat Super Mario Two, so they gave us a different Super Mario Two that you still couldn't beat. Right? Yeah. Um, so like boom. jokes on them. Yeah. Right. Um, they went blockbuster. Uh, so playing that game, I was like, for one, it made me realize like I hated Mario Two so much more because like this was the game I wanted to keep playing. Like it was just more of the first game, you know, just harder levels. Um, but like that's when I was like, wow, there's this, you know, like these things are coming out of Japan. They they have games over there that are not released over here that we're we're not playing for whatever reasons. I'm sure you kind of experienced that with like Final Fantasy and stuff. Yeah. That was uh, like that when, and it, it first dawned on me when Final Fantasy VII was a thing. I was like, well, they made f- like Final <laughs> Fantasy III is my favorite game ever, and they made four. They've made three others that I've never seen. What the? And it wasn't until after, like, it wasn't until we were in the internet age where I was like, where I discovered, and when I was going to places like IGN, where I discovered like, oh, two was actually four, and three was actually six. So we didn't get. Two and three and five until they came on like PlayStation One ports right. <laughs> um, in in like those those collection discs. Yeah. And so yeah, I, like I that was absolutely a, like that was a mind blowing thing of like they were holding out on us for other games and they gave us Mystic <laughs> Quest instead because they thought we were really stupid and couldn't couldn't play like hard video games. Man, Japan's been secretly screwing us over for years, man. They've, they've I, hated, like, I'm pretty sure it's still residual hate from World War II. We deserve it. Which, I mean... absolutely, like, we really kind of fucked them over. So I'll let them have holding out on games for us. Sure. Because that's the least they they could do. Yeah, I mean, but we did get Super Mario Brothers too, so it's, you know, borderline. Yeah, game. no, I don't think so. I don't think, that's, that's the kind of argument Zyger would make. Of like, yeah, they gave us, they gave us <laughs> Super Mario Two, so dropping bombs on them was fine. I mean, yeah, only two. No, as, no. That's, that's that's Zyger logic, and we're not gonna we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole. Um, yeah, Mario Brother games. Uh, they, there's just not much to complain about when it comes to Mario Brother games, like those old ones, like even the new ones, like. There's just a certain level of polish of design um, and gameplay that is unreachable by most standards of video games these days. Like, like I said, like they teach you how to play a video game without ever making you feel like you're having your hand held at all. Um, there's not a lot of instruction on screen to tell you how to do things. I mean, obviously, as we got further along in the galaxy and stuff, there's a lot more... Uh, text and and uh whatnot to explain things but like back then it was just you'd figure things out you know um super mario brothers 3 was revealed in a movie yes (laughs) a movie about a kid that's really good at video games revealed super mario brothers 3 could you imagine that happening in this day and age like you go to see rogue one or something and Towards the end, like, somebody's playing this video game, and, oh, yeah, next week this video game's coming out, and nobody had ever heard of it. You know, like, that... Obviously, like, they benefited from, like, the lack of, like, widespread internet. Um, 
But, like, that's crazy. Like, Super Mario Brothers 3 was revealed in this movie where, like, everybody's watching this and like, what is that game? Like, is that a real thing? What's going on? And then all of a sudden Nintendo Power comes out the next month and it's like, Super Mario Brothers 3. What? <laughs> like, that's seen in the hit movie, movie. The Wiz. <laughs> um, but, like, that game... Uh, that game was so unique in, in ways other Mario games hadn't been um, for, like, the secrets in it. Um, sure, you had, like, the, you know, in the first one where you could, like, jump up on top of the screen and, and run across, which kind of felt game-breaking back then. Well, that's so that's another thing in the uh, in the last topic we talked about that, like, the cheat codes thing. Mm-hmm. In that same article, they talk about how like those warp pipes at the end of of those levels were created specifically by the devs weren't intended to be like discovered necessarily it was so the devs could easily get through to later games without having to play or to oh, later that's levels cool. without having to play through the whole game sure that was like their workaround it was okay like here's what we're going to do we're going to hide in warp pipes that will take you to 2 3 and 4 mm-hmm. and then you know and and kind of go from there so you can jump to and test the end of the game in a matter of minutes and not have to play through everything else. Um, It was, yeah, it was another fascinating little like tidbit of history where I was like, I I maybe had heard that like at some, somewhere along the line, but it was like your friend who had an uncle that that, worked at Nintendo. Like that was, that was the, that was the same kind of like cheat codes were the same way. Like the debug menus that developers put in for like God mode and, and to skip ahead to levels, it was the same kind of thing to really like, I don't want to have to play through my entire game that I've been building for the last six months every time I want to test like something at the end. Right. So it was, and then and they touch on basically like you didn't want to remove those things because you didn't want that to accidentally break the game mm-hmm. before it released. So right. they just left them in and and were like, if people find it, cool. And eventually they said like like they will be Easter eggs in those games and they sure. will be fun little things and we will tell like we will tell develop or we will tell game reviewers about them. So that they can go through and kind of experience the same the same joy, and they touch on how like the, it would be a thing where they would say they would give to EGM or something like that. They would say, okay, like here's how you get through this. Um, just please like don't publish that to your readers <laughs> until like the issue after you've reviewed the game. Sure. You know, let like don't put that in the same issue. Was like was the deal that they would make with people um, to like you know it's it's something obviously people want to they want to know these cheat codes they want to know these secrets. Um, so like, we'll give you, we'll, we'll help you figure them out, um, and let you know them just, you know, give people a little bit of uh, time with the game first. Um, it was a very fascinating, another aspect of, of those games that like, yeah, that Mario was one of those early examples where, yeah, you like, you don't, there's nothing in the game that tells you like, oh, if, if you go up above and you can run over there, like you're going to find the secret, um, because they didn't, they didn't expect the that kind that level of like people exploring that they figured yeah you, like you don't want it like you know that if you go down below the screen you're gonna die um mm-hmm. so you know and if you go up too high you're gonna die um, yeah so they didn't they they were like yeah it's, it's like people aren't going to explore <laughs> that and then they immediately yeah we all explore it and figure it out and, <laughs> and mm-hmm. talk about it on the playground of like hey did you did you find those secret war pipes right or the rocking the turtle trick yeah Yep. I, I had a babysitter who came over one time, and she showed me the rocking the turtle trick. And as a little kid, like, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her at that moment, because I'm like, 
you just taught me how to get infinite lives in my favorite video game of all lives. Like, marry me, please? Like, we're destined to be together? Um, man, I, I don't remember her name for the life of me. I don't know whatever happened to her. But, like, that was probably, like, my first love as, like, a boy. Like, this this older lady, woman, girl, you know, she was probably, like, 11 or 12, like, came to my house to watch me and, like, showed me how to break my favorite video game in such a cool way that, like, I could take that knowledge and show off to my parents or my friends, be like, watch me do this trick, watch my lives go up to the point where they can't even count how many lives I have, so they just start putting up random symbols and numbers and letters and stuff to associate with the number of lives I have. I was like, and this girl taught me that. Like, she was the best for that reason, you know? But, like, that was that was kind of, like, showing me that you could play video games in a different way than was directly implied that you had to play them. You know, other than that, it's you jump over the turtle or you wait for the turtle to come down and then you jump on him or jump up on the stairs. Never, like, you have to time the turtle in just, like, this perfect little gap of time and window to where he's just on the edge of the step to where you jump on him and you hit him just right where he's bouncing back and forth between your jumps and you're racking up lives because technically it's in the game but it's not ever like intended to be played that way that was a cool moment for me you know yeah um yeah she was fantastic shout out to her whoever she is I'm sure I, she's watching. I'm sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, as a joke, one time uh, on a previous podcast, I, I uh, put out a Craigslist ad, like um, misconnections. Okay. <laughs> Hoping to get a response back. I was like, do you remember that? <laughs> like, I, I wish I could remember what I said, but it was like, do you remember showing a kid that you were babysitting how to rock the turtle when you <laughs> like thinking about it now like the ad probably sounded like super pervy like I was like <laughs> making some weird implications rocking the turtle <laughs> like no literally rocking the turtle <laughs> uh, she never responded um, uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 though uh, so you had one then you had the joke of a game 2 um <laughs> where you have the ability to, like, you know, in both of those, like, the star ability where you could be invincible, um, the, the fireball ability in one. But they were just, like, palette color swaps of your character, right? Three introduced costumes to Mario. And it's like because Mario the whole can... thing's a play. What's that? The whole thing is a play. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's a stage play. Yeah. Um, and it's like Mario could dress up as a frog and suddenly he could swim much better. Which, again, it didn't make the swimming levels any better. Like, those swimming levels are still atrocious. <laughs> it, made him, it made him quicker, though. Quicker, <laughs> yes, but almost harder to control because once you got going as a frog, your up and down movements were just shot. You know, you're just making a beeline to the end. Um, but, you know, watching the little hop animation and whatnot was cool. Um, obviously, um, the leaf, the raccoon suit to be able to fly was like, you're going to places you never thought Mario would go without a beanstalk. Um, and the, uh, the tanuki suit being able to like turn into like a statue, like uh, weird, cool little things that you didn't think about, um, being in Mario games up until that point. And it, it taught you how to play the games differently, taught you how to think about the games differently. Um, they introduced like the white blocks, uh, that w- you would just jump on and to move progress through the stage, 
But if you hold down and you wait for 10 seconds, you drop down behind them, and now you're in the backdrop, and you can run all the way to the end of the level. Why? What, what's the point of that? There is no real point. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, it's another one. It's the same kind of thing. It's like getting the, those and getting the warp whistles and stuff was a way that they could jump to the end of the game to test yeah. to test late-game stuff without sure. having to play through everything else. Right. And then um, we, just, we just turned it into, all right, I'm never going to play the desert world or like screw <laughs> screw levels two and three and four. Or, no, I get. I would always go and play f- uh, world four because that was the giant world. Yep. And oh, was that just, was so fun. Like that was amazing. It yep. was like, I could skip this, but I don't want to skip yeah. this. Like it's, there. I'm scared by giant Goombas, um, <laughs> like that can that can crush me. Right. Like, that's that's a weird power dynamic that I'm not used to, but it's sure. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, getting the getting the warp whistles um, and the p wings and stuff. Uh, I, I I remember I would do everything I could to always collect them, right? Because I needed to have them. I needed to say that I got them all. <laughs> what I, you you and collecting? No. Well, his, but I never used them because yeah, again I felt guilty. I felt guilty <laughs> about skipping through the game. That somebody worked hard to create just so I could skip some levels I didn't like. I'm like, no, I'm going to power through it. Um, you know, I could like unlock the little gates and like skip like certain levels within each world. Yeah, I would unlock you, the gate, but then them. still go the long way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stupid, absolutely stupid. But Mario Three was just so special. Like it just, man, that game is just so good, man. So good. I just wish Two was better. <laughs> two's okay. Two's okay. Two's, two's okay. Like Two is one of those. Like it introduces things. And and the number of like the number of things that like because they they even though we all know now that like it was not originally a Mario game and whatnot they still introduced interesting ideas that mm-hmm. like we didn't revisit for years and years and years yeah um, uh, until like Birdo starts becoming like a regular Mario Kart character right they were like <laughs> hey like we shy wanna, guys we want like a new thing that I mean like shy guys is one of the things that like most consistently like continued mm-hmm. on through through the series but yeah it's like characters like it, like bosses like mauser and stuff and wart it's like i like i'm amazed they've never brought them back in a more regular fashion yeah um uh in the same way that like i'm uh, that like super mario rpg i'm amazed that they never brought back gino or mallow or something like that right like right. it's it's there are characters that were fascinating and fun characters yeah. and great designs that they could have just kept playing with and kept like swapping in and out. And instead, we got like all of the Bowser, ki- the the Koopalings from right, right. from uh, from World, which uh, is fine. Like they're fun characters as well. But it's mm. like, why did they get to continue on when some of these other characters didn't? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's probably because it's probably because people like you thought Super Mario World, or Super Mario Brothers Two, was too hard. <laughs> And so they were like, well, we don't ever want to bring these characters back. So as much as I hated it, the the time when I finally convinced myself to use the Game Genie to beat Super Mario Bros. 2, getting to the end and realizing that the whole game was just like a dream sequence, I felt better about all the weird stuff that was happening in that game. I was like... <laughs> Okay, I can buy that explanation. I get that. I retcon the game by (laughs) by throwing in a little end cutscene. That's all it needed. I'm like, okay, I accept it. Done. That's all you need, Mario. Um, Yeah, it's it's special for its own weird little ways, but it it will always be a game I hate for um, making me feel so horrible. 
about the Game Genie aspect. Um, yeah, but Mario Classic. Uh, being able to go back and play uh, Lost Worlds was so fun because it was just more of the original Mario Brothers, just harder levels. Um, which I, I felt like after you beat the first Mario Brothers game and you'd get to go and play like the new game plus, you know, but like the Goombas were now like uh, the, the Beetle Dudes and everything was just a little bit harder. It, it never felt hard enough, you know, like I just went through this whole game. I'm playing it again. You should make it tougher, make make it a little bit tougher. And that's what Lost Worlds was, was that that jump to, okay, you've played through Mario Brothers 864 times now you've got the fundamentals down now you can challenge yourself in, in uh your platforming skills um yeah now you gotta be a little bit more precise and, right and really make it like, it felt like mega man games yeah you know like your timing your jump had to be perfect you know um whereas the first Mario brothers game it was loose it was very forgiving and and your your timing and your jumps and everything like that lost world's you had to be spot on with it. And and I appreciated that after the fact, being able to play it on this all-stars cartridge of like, yeah, this would have been fun to play as a kid. I would have enjoyed this much more than two, but say lovey. I yeah. get all four of them now on one cartridge and that's phenomenal. And then, you know, when I'm done playing old games, I could go and play this new super Mario brothers world game. That's uh, on this other cartridge right next to me. So that's yeah. a cool thing. Yeah. I uh, I went back I, like one of the first times I went I remember going back and playing um, Super Mario Brothers was uh, with uh, one of my uh, college girlfriends like she had a Nintendo and we decided to sit down one day and she it was she was like okay like let's play through this game and basically like all, like you know we'll play it two player and so um, we'll just you know if you get through a level you just keep going until until you like uh, until one of us dies or whatever and so it was like so she. She, I was like, okay. I mean, like, I'm, I, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty good at this game. Uh, at least I was. I was, you know, years ago when I when I was, you know, fresh in my. So we play, and she she's Mario. She makes it to uh, she makes it through the first overworld, and then into the underworld, and dies in there. In like my life, I I'm pretty sure I beat the game, and I didn't. Oh no, no, I didn't. I didn't beat the game, but I um like I made it through, and I decided to not like jump through the warp pipes and stuff okay. um i was like i'm gonna like to show off a little bit to give you the handicap i'm gonna go through and play every level sure. uh, of the game and i'm gonna play through it like straight through and, and normal and stuff and uh and and yeah i i end up beating i ended up beating her through the game um even though she would like hop into the warp pipes and skip to like level four or whatever right um uh and so yeah it was, was kind of like the like yeah, it, there was definitely some like some rust that needed to come off, but sure. like after after a life or two, um, I basically like burned through the rest of that game. And she was like, "All right, we're never doing this again." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Sorry." I mean, like, I'm glad you're having fun though. Are you, baby? <laughs> I, I hope, I'm, like, yeah. I hope you're enjoying watching me play the game, <laughs> Just right, level right. after level after level. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a good Super Mario memory. And, and those games harken back to like a day when. <sighs> You didn't have to, like, now. nowadays we have so many games to play. Like, I'll I'll have, like, 36 different games going on at one time. You know, like, I'm between, like, Last Guardian and LEGO Dimensions and um, Dead Rising 4. And, like, I'm, I'm going back and forth between all these games on the fly because I have the ability to have all these games. And I feel like I need to play everything that comes out. Um, and 
when you go from game to game, you lose that like sense of like what was I doing, what buttons did which, what was my inventory system, like what are the little nuances of each game. But like those Mario games, you could pick up, haven't played a video game in fifteen or twenty years, and immediately, like, you remember where like that extra um, that extra one up mushroom is in World One One that's hidden that hidden block. You could nail that jump with your eyes closed, I bet, if you haven't played that game in 15 years. Because it was so perfectly designed to be, you know, just right before that first jump, that first pit that you have to jump over. You just jump straight instead of jumping out and you get a one-up mushroom. It's completely hidden. It's 100% invisible. But once you know it's there and you hit it every single time you run through that level... Like, that's something you don't ever forget. Like, that's muscle memory that you can't lose. And that's how I feel every time I play those old Mario games. It's like, however long it's been since the last time I played it, I could pick it up, and I I just could run through like I've been playing them my whole life, you know? Because it feels like I have. And and I don't feel that with games these days anymore. You know, like, there's always... I have to reacclimate myself to what game I'm playing... Uh, takes me a little while to get kind of back into the swing of things, and if it's a, ge- a game that I played like last year, forget it. Like I, I'm, I'm starting all over because I don't remember what was going on or where secrets were or anything like that. Old Mario games, I, I can do them in my sleep. Yeah, and it's, I mean it's definitely very much a product of that era where you know you had it was it was the transition between like arcade games where um, they were trying to like. There was not much game there, but they made it hard enough that you were always feeding quarters to it. Um, and then you've got these co- console games where there's not much game there. You can beat Mario in an hour, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but you have to like work up to that. Yeah. And then when you do, you you do beat it in an hour, and you play it over and over and <laughs> over again because I mean, especially back then, like that's what you had for a couple like a couple months. Sure. Um, it, I mean, like the 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 Mega Man's and stuff. It was you had the time because yeah the you know the game is 45 minutes long if you just bum rush through it but um you can't because you got to figure out everything to mm-hmm. get to a level where you can do that um and you have to, like you have to learn all the secrets in some of those games um to to really manage it and and be as proficient at that level but then once you did it was like this is like i i'm not going to get a new game until christmas because that's when like we're gonna get new games your birthday or christmas um, yeah (laughs) it's so it was it was like okay i'm 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 either going to replay this game over and over again um or i'm gonna go take a chance on a blockbuster game like we touched on earlier of like you know we'll we'll see how that goes but (laughs) yeah it it was the fact that like there i mean there were still a lot of games coming out uh at that time but there were not as many games like flooding the market so it was you had more time to spend with a game and because the games were shorter, um, you just got to know them much more intimately than you do nowadays. Where, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, I I can put in 100 hours into Dragon Age Inquisition and still not see everything sure. in that game. Yeah. Um, have a great old time with it. Uh, but, yeah, if I, if, if I, like, Watch Dogs is a great example where I played Watch Dogs for a little bit, got a few hours into the game, was having a good enough time, like, finally got the friggin' stupid control, uh, control scheme um uh, like figured out and then i like stepped away from that to play final fantasy for 70 hours sure <laughs> and then tried to go back to watch i was like i don't remember how any of these things yeah. work because the <laughs> buttons are stupid and i uh, uh, like 
I if I want to play this game again, I'm gonna have to jump back to the beginning and just go through all those tutorials and relearn how this game handles. Yeah, um, and that's yeah. And so something like that absolutely is kind of the complexity of the systems that we've gotten over over the years. It is like when we added L and R buttons and X and Y buttons, and then started adding more triggers and uh, and analog sticks and all that stuff. Like games, especially on like Microsoft and Sony, are way more complex. Um, and way harder for somebody to like jump in. Like it's way harder for my sister who stopped gaming for a while mm-hmm. to come back and be like, "They're like I'm overwhelmed." Yeah. But Nintendo still keep tries to keep things simpler, much simpler, right. um, comparatively. Um, uh, I mean, the the Wii is the prime example of that, where it was like, okay, like the GameCube had all these extra things that was a little overwhelming. So we're going to, we're keeping it simple. Here's a, here's a Wiimote that has a couple buttons and here's a nunchuck that has like a stick. And yeah. that's like, and everything else you move around and that's, that's all you need for our games. That's all yep. you need for these games. You don't need, you know, it doesn't need to be overwhelming. It's something that like anybody can pick up and do. Mm. And that's to their credit. That's, that's something that they've continued on. Yeah. Um, uh, but it does, it, it makes it harder for other companies to really kind of say, okay, well like, Call of Duty needs all those buttons. Right, yeah. So we can't really do anything. Sure. <laughs> we can't. We like we're limited in what we can what we can bring to yeah. um, to a Nintendo console I, because I, they're working to keep it simple. I mean, you had somebody a PS4 controller, or Xbox One controller that hasn't played games in like twenty years, and you're like, here, figure out how to play Call of Duty competitively against you know all these other people online. They're done. They're 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 going to put the controller down. They're going to go back to whatever other hobbies that interest them that isn't video games. Yeah. But then you hand them the old NES controller that's plugged into this NES classic, and you're like, here, play Mario Brothers 3. And they're like, I remember this. And mm-hmm. instantly, you know, the two buttons, like the D-pad, like that's all they need, and they will have a fun time. Like, I, Even if they don't remember it, like no. it's it's easy enough, it's simple enough to pick up. Exactly, it's not overwhelming. Compared to, compared to yeah, it's the, the barrier to entry to gaming these days is much higher mm-hmm. um, than it's ever been. Um, and it's it's... Like you're either along for the ride, or um, or you're a Nintendo fan. <laughs> <laughs> either or, um, yeah. So like Super Mario Brother All Stars, like that was, you know, it was the start of a of a new generation with the Super Nintendo. Um, you know, new there were new kids getting their very first console was a Super Nintendo. Parents buying video games for the first time, Super Nintendo, getting to play these old games. But like, I, I feel like that All Stars pack in game was put in there as like, hey, you missed all these years playing the regular Nintendo Entertainment System. There's 700-something games that you missed out on. But here's four, two of which are absolutely must-plays, that will teach you how to play video games. You know, if you've never touched a video game before, if you've never, if this is day one for you as a video game player, start with these. Figure out how controls work, how buttons work, how logic works in video games, and then move forward, you know? And those games were so good at teaching you how to play video games in just the most fundamental ways. Yeah. So. It's interesting, because, like, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking back, and I'm like, I didn't get the All-Stars pack-in. My Super Nintendo um, only came with Super Mario World, and I remember when All-Stars came out. So... Even though in for most of my life I haven't been like early adopter, I was at least for that system. Mm-hmm. My family was like early adopter enough that 
Super Mario World was like that was the thing we got um, sure. kind of at launch. And yeah, I remember like I remember Super Mario All Stars being like coming out as a standalone game uh, and then eventually being folded into to like the the Super Nintendo bundles and thinking like um, at that time I like I didn't because I didn't play it back then um, like or I played it eventually. You know, I borrowed it from a friend or I picked it up at, at Blockbuster myself because I was like, I already ha- like if I really want to play one, two or three, I have those games. Lost Levels is the only thing that that I ha- haven't played. <coughs> and is it worth it to spend 70, 80 dollars on that cartridge? Because um, that's what they that's what it cost at the time. Right. Kind of thing back when back when games were more expensive. Um, or should I just like go to the other TV that still has the Nintendo plugged in <laughs> and play Super Mario 3 for uh, for the bazillionth time. Yeah. Um uh so there like it wasn't until um it wasn't until it became like easily accessible that I decided to do that and and even then like so I don't even have like because I was either only playing it like borrowing a friend's game or playing it um borrowing or like going through Blockbuster, I don't have memories of lost levels. Sure. Like I I've, I've played through them, I'm sure. Um, but like it's and and I know through g- video game history and stuff now I I know kind of what what that game looks like mm-hmm. and, and is but like there's there's no personal recollection of spending time and time and time learning those levels in the way that there is with one two and three right right um, because yeah the, like, I didn't have that that mm-hmm. cartridge myself yeah and, and that cartridge alone with the Super Nintendo. Um allowed me to feel comfortable taking my Nintendo over to my grandparents' house and leaving that there at their house with all my games. So every time I'd go over there, I had something to do, and I would just play my Nintendo over there because at home I had my Super Nintendo, and I still had my Mario games that I loved, and I could play at any time knowing that, like, you know, whereas you, you had a separate TV with the, the regular Nintendo plugged in. I made that choice to just separate them completely, and I, I had one console at one house, one at another, and I because that All Stars game, I had those games that I loved and adored so much. Granted, I would have loved more of them for the Super Nintendo, like the Mega Man games and whatnot. But um, having those core Mario games to be able to play on my Super Nintendo, because I didn't have my Nintendo ones at my house at my disposal made me feel okay about making that decision as a kid to, to separate myself from the system. Yeah. So. Ports and backwards compatibility are not bad words. No, not they, at all. <laughs> they, they are, they, like, they are absolutely um, enjoyable, even if you, like, have all of the other, uh, all, all of those games included. It's like, it's like, hey, this is, yeah, this is, it's a way easier package to enjoy all of them in one game than it is, like, oh, I'm done with one, I want to swap into three, I have to go through and I have to blow the cartridge and plug it in and, you know, make sure it works and all that stuff. It's right. way easier when it's all in one go and you can just um, basically hit reset and say, okay, now I'm going to jump into three. Yep. Um, no, that's uh, like, it's, it's an excellent choice and, and absolutely some of the finest games ever created, including two, um, despite your, your <laughs> hatred of it. Um, there's a reason they included it on the on the NES Classic. Yeah, you know, it is it is one of the best of the system. Yep. Um, even if it you know is a Mario <laughs> unlike any other Mario that ever came out. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, great. Uh, thank you for, for adding that to the collection of the favorite games. Uh, let's dive into topic number three, the getting to know you topic. We're just kind of going to, like, there's there's going to be a little bit of game straddling in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you do a lot of podcasts. So I do. let's run through all of your podcast. Like, podcasting is going to be this getting to know you topic. Sure. Let's talk about the, the plethora of podcasts in the Toy to Games, Toys for Games network. Okay. Currently, um, I, I do Toys for Games podcast, which is a weekly show. Uh, we actually do two versions of it each week. Uh, we do a limited edition version, and uh, which is like a 15, 20-minute little, uh, th- this is the news of the week. This is all you need to listen to. If you don't have time for a full show, like this is the main stuff that you need to hear. Um, so we record that along with the, the full show um, every week. We do that. We're up to 102 episodes, like I said. Um, started back January 19th, 2015. Um, so we're just about at our two-year yeah, mark. Almost, yeah, almost at your two-year anniversary. Yeah. Um, so I have that. Uh, we uh, do a collector's edition spinoff show, which is we realized that we were going on tangents during the Toys for Games podcast more frequently than we would like about things that we were collecting that weren't Toys to Life-centric. Um, Sum Sums and subscription boxes and Funko and that kind of stuff. And we're like, you know what? What if we just did like this monthly podcast where we just talked about all this other collectible stuff that's not Toys to Life related and just kind of had fun with that? So that's how the Collector's Edition um, got started. Um, I also do the uh, Joys of Games podcast, which you have been a, uh, a, a guest on. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. One of our favorite episodes. Um, and it's uh, um, it, it's us doing a video game podcast in a way that a lot of people don't do video game podcasts. Uh, most video game podcasts out there, especially like the smaller indie ones, um, are pretty negative overall about video games. Like it, It's like their soundboard to complain about things in the video game world. Um, I didn't like this about this game, and this game got delayed, and I'm going to be mad about it and rant about it for 30 minutes on my podcast, and I don't like how this game is broken, and this game has a glitch, and there's a lot of ranting and raving about video games in negative aspects on podcasts, and it's hard to listen to after a while, you know, it just, it kind of breaks you down, and it makes you feel bad as a gamer, to hear so many people that are enjoying the thing that you love or think that, or say that they're enjoying the thing you love, but then talk so disparagingly about pretty much everything they ever come in contact with. So we started Joys of Games um, to kind of be more of a celebration about like the, the positives of video games. Um, and we do, like, every week we... Um, first of all, we have it broken down into four uh, a four-week rotation. So... One week we will do just a Nintendo show. Uh, the next week we do just an Xbox show. The third week we do just a PlayStation show. The fourth week is our etc. episode where we're able to talk about anything related to games in any capacity. Kind of our way to, to talk about more things in the industry other than like the big three gaming companies. Um, so doing it like this allows us to break down um, specific games more intimately. Uh, we pick an older game from the past that we loved playing and we talk about. Uh, then we talk about a game that we're currently playing and enjoying 
for whatever reason. Like, just one game. So if it's our Nintendo week, we will pick one Nintendo game that we've been playing over the last month that we're enjoying. And we talk about why we enjoy it, why we're having fun with it, the positives about it. We don't try to break it down and review it and talk about, oh, this level's broken and, you know, the frame rate isn't this on, you know, this part. Like, get out of here with all that nonsense. Like... I mean, you say this, but I totally railed on Final Fantasy VIII when I was on the show uh, for a little bit. I ranted and railed. I mean, in in the uh, like in the lens of like, here's why Final Fantasy IX is so great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, like, depending on who who your crappy guest is, uh, there might <laughs> there might be a little bit of ranting and raving in there. Sure, but I mean, uh, that was of, like of an older game, so like that was. You were like, I just bought this game and I hate it. You know, yeah. like, total different uh, point of view, I guess. Um, but but we, we do try to talk about, like, games positively. We, if you're playing video games, you should be enjoying what you're playing. And if, if you don't like playing video games, if, if video games make you so mad that you have to reply to YouTube uh, videos with, like, the most awful things that you could think about and, like, just troll every IGN article with just the worst things because things just make you so irate about video games or complain about super mario brothers 2 because or complain it's about super mario brothers game. 2 or whatever throw shots <laughs> at blockbuster stop playing video games you know like there are other hobbies out there that you could do that might make you more happy as a person you know if you feel like your soul is dying slowly by playing video games do something else. Go color in a coloring book. Do do something, you know? But video games should be celebrated because people do put lots of hard work into making them. And they are meant as entertainment purpose. You know, um, that that's the driving force behind video games is for entertainment. If, they're, if you're not finding them entertaining, go move on, you know? So, so the Joyce of Game podcast is, is to say, you know... Let's strip away everything. We know there are bad things happening. We know there are unfortunate stories happening in the in the industry. We know there are bad games putting put out, but we don't need to rail on those games even harder than every other podcast out there. You know, like let's talk about why the new Mario Party game is actually kind of fun, especially if you're waiting in the lines at Disneyland. Like that's a conversation that you're not hearing on any other podcast, you know? Yeah. Um so that that's our goal there with that. Yeah, and I can appreciate that. And and, and like I come from, and I'm I'm trying to be better about it myself because I I've certainly you know snarky starky is my handle and everything, <laughs> and and I absolutely will like take the piss out of a game. But I, I and I'm trying to be better about voicing that like just because I'm viewing something through a critical lens doesn't mean that like my. Uh, like I'm viewing it through that critical lens because I want it to be better and I want it to be great for Mm -hmm. everybody. And I like, I I, it's, but it's not, I'm not trying to take the piss out of you. If you like this game, right? Like I'm not trying to, it's never a personal attack if you're a fan of a game. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I mean, most recently um, with, with the switch and stuff, I was being snarky all over the place (laughs) on that thing. I didn't. (laughs) You might've muted me that night. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, the, so if, but I, I tried to say a couple of times throughout the night, like, if you're excited about this, that is awesome, and I'm so happy for you. Um, but it's it, it, it's me taking a look, again, through a critical eye, and, and not disparaging the people that are 
you know, making the system and, and not disparaging the system itself even, but like, these are the, these are, especially from, from in something like that, from my perspective, it's, these are my criticisms of the business decisions that are going along with, with this, or these are my criticisms of the, the choices that were made in this game. I understand sometimes why those choices were made, but other times it's, um, it is baffling, and so it's me trying to even grapple with like why these choices were made, um, and not necessarily coming to a conclusion, but just saying like, here's what I recognize with these games, and and think could have been handled in a different way, not necessarily right. even a better way or a worse way, but here's something that like sparked that's that spoke to me and sparked an idea of something I that would have been interesting to explore otherwise. Sure. So it's like, and I, I certainly understand that that can come across negative. <laughs> and, and the most recent example for me was, was like final fantasy 15, um, where I wrote like a big old scathing review about it, talking about all of the things that like frustrated me about that game. Right. But it's, but, and, and so part of what, what kind of started this, like, Oh, like I should, I should, I should be not necessarily more celebra- celebratory in the way that you're kind of addressing, but in a way of like, like friends of mine who are enjoying this game and legitimately loving loving mm-hmm. Final Fantasy, like I don't need to take the piss out of their love sure. of that game, right. um, and I don't need to like get into a fight with them about it. But here's what didn't work for me that does work for them. That's awesome. I love that it worked for them. I love that art is subjective and video games are subjective, and we can have such different takes on the exact same product. Right. Um, uh, and and it it's. Like, the dialogue that can come from that, again, as somebody who comes from, like, theater and was, like, I always joke, the worst thing I ever could have done uh, um, in in uh, studying, or in enjoying theater was studying theater, because <laughs> it, it certainly adds, like, a critical eye to sure. to it. And so the worst thing I could ever do, really, if I, like, to, to continue my enjoyment of video games would be, like, making a video game <laughs> and learning about <laughs> all the ins and outs of that. So, yeah. like... Because I would totally see, like, like when somebody throws out a snarky tweet, like I would do, right. I would say, like, yeah, no, I agree, but <laughs> we didn't have the money or time to do that thing that you wanted us to do, so, sure. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are business realities, and I totally get that. And again, it's, like, I try and not make it ever, like, a personal attack, it, right. but it is, like, these are, you know, it is art. I think it, I think art should be subject to critical um, uh, review, just like... I mean, even even this podcast, I think, is absolutely fair game if people want to review and say, "Hey, Trevor, um, stop having a fucking four-hour podcast because it's way too long." Stop inviting and, guests that like to talk, and, Trevor, and we can't like, and that's and and I hear that criticism. I'm like, yeah, that's that's absolutely fair. And my argument against it is this: this show is as much so that I can hear stories like yours mm. of of why you took a, a three-year hiatus and right. get to know you better through that and become like like build a better friendship through this conversation and the fact that other people might enjoy like learning about that themselves is just bonus like this this is very much so i can have fun and have a good time and have a good conversation with a friend that i've made on the internet sure um uh in in a way because we don't get to see each other all the time we don't get to like outside of you know rarely going to an event or something we don't get to have these kinds of conversations so i'm gonna relish and take all the time i can with uh with a conversation and not try and say okay let's cut it down and and really make this an hour-long show um where we spend 15 minutes on each of those topics (laughs) right um 
because I'm interested in the conversation that we have uh, from it. And, and if that, you know, tunes people out, so be it. Like, this is as much for me as it is for anybody else. It really sucks that this is a video podcast because my allergies are starting to kick in and my eyes are going crazy right now. I'm just going to assume that I just made yeah. you, I moved you to tears. I mean, you did, so, I mean, uh, no. Um, uh, going back to, like, having, like, negative opinions and whatnot, like, I, I will never be against people having personal opinions about video games and what they think about video games. My biggest gripe about the industry as a whole is when people say the statement of, like, this is a bad video game. Like, you could say, I don't like this video game, or I think that this video game is bad, but it's the definitive statements of saying, this is a bad video game. It, it makes people that, like, like that game... God, my eyes. Um, makes them feel bad about liking that video game, because they have this authoritative voice in their ears or on their website saying, this is a bad video game, and this is the reasons why it sucks... And then you're just like, but I, I really love it. I like playing this game. Like, And then it kind of feels like a guilty pleasure, and you feel bad about liking it so much. But if you were to hear all the time, like, I don't like this video game, and this is why, I think the conversations about video games as a whole would be completely different. But our industry is built on a, this is bad, this is good, this has to have a rating associated with it. And each like review is, is one person's opinion on the video game. But when people read the reviews or listen to the reviews, it's never interpreted that way. It's interpreted as this is the definitive opinion of the video game, plain and simple. Yeah, this is what everybody at this site thinks about this game. Yeah, and, and, and that's an unfortunate part about it is, you know, the site adopts, if this game is going to get a 6.5, this is the site's review of the game, even though it is just one person's opinion about it. Yeah. So like, even, even what that six point five means varies from site to site. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you can. I mean, like, yeah, you can go to IGN and a six point five is is a good. That's that is still a good game. Mm. But people, you know, see six point five on a scale of ten, and because we live in a society that it, that you know um, is so focused on like, well, nine is an A, eight is a B, and yep. and, and so anything six or like anything below a six. You know, a 6.5 is a D, um, right. and anything below that is a failing. Um, so we, that like that, there's too much of that still ingrained in what we see when we look at an yep. out, of, out of 10 ranking yeah. or out of 100 ranking. Um, that, yeah, people lose sight of that and don't, like, and people are left thinking, well, like, I, I'm saying the game is good. I never said the game is bad. Right. I said the game is good. That is what my review score says. Sure. And I threw in two thousand words to say why I think it's good and what I think what elements I think are are lacking. Um, but people latch onto that that six point five and yeah. associate that with a D or with a failing grade or something, and so they get into an uproar because even if they like a game. And they think a game is good. They see that and, and see somebody saying like, "No, this game is not good." It's like, "No, it, it is." <laughs> and, yeah. and to your to your point of like, if I say a game is is bad, it's always through the lens of like me just not taking the time to say I think this game is bad. Sure. Um, so yeah, again, it and I'm and I'm trying to be more cognizant about that because the the example again, like my friend Alex loves Final Fantasy fifteen and. And when I come out and say, like, these are all the elements I did not like about this game and that I think are bad, he's 
he's feeling a little bit uh, attacked because he's seeing that but through so many people in his feed for elements that he loves about the yeah, game and absolutely. so like I, I i will have a conversation with him like personally and like in dms and stuff and be like hey like i'm like i i love that you love this game <laughs> right yeah. like, don't don't ever let my distaste for these things like impact you in that regard like you love it and that's great and i like i i'm fascinated to hear why you love it in uh when when you know the same elements just rub me the wrong way like right. that's a conversation that i i love having that we don't get to have in 140 characters at a time sure um so it is it is kind of part of the nature of the beast of social media and everything yeah. where yeah we like everything does become hyperbolic because that's the quickest way to to shorten the sentence right and say like yeah, like I don't have enough characters to say I think this element of the game is bad. Sure. So it's easier to just drop out that beginning part and say this element of the game is bad. Right. And unfortunately, there, there's that part of the the industry, like you, who recognize that like I should be adding the I think this or I believe this before you make your opinions, um, and you just you don't for whatever reasons. But then there's the other half of the industry that refuses to or thinks that their opinion is the definitive opinion of what that thing is and it doesn't believe that they need to add the I think (laughs) (laughs) just like this is it because I'm saying so and it's it's the truth because because I have a hashtag saying I'm right right you know so it's like that part of of the game journalists out there who who have that mentality of since I'm reviewing this game and I have a voice and people are listening to me I am an authoritative figure to say whether or not something is good or bad or great or whatever, it it gets lost in the mix of it's still just one person's opinion. You know, like, what you see as a bad gameplay element, somebody else may say is adding 10 hours to the game because they don't get to buy games very often because they, don't, they can't afford it, you know? Yeah. Um, somebody sees Destiny as an endless grind because you're not really doing much... But the other person is like, well, I, I get to have one video game a year, and I'm going to play this endless grind because it's fun for me because I'm, I have nothing else, you know. Like, and, and I hop on and and chat with my guardian friends. Right. And we go through raids, and we have like we make that a weekly sure. thing or something like that. Which, yeah, for me, like that's not how I experience that game. Right. So, but I like, again, like, absolutely, there are people, and I try and be one of them, where I can recognize that that is an aspect of this game that I am not going to explore and I'm not going to experience. So I'm not, I'm never judging that aspect of it. But I know also that there are a lot of people like me out there Mm -hmm. that didn't ever play a raid and experience that game for the single player aspect of it. And like, it's, it's one of those things like I, like I look at destiny and I'm like, I, I miss that what most people claim is like the best part of that game, the raids that I just never got to experience because that's not how I play games. I wish that they had taken some of that amazing content of the raids and put that into something that I as a single player could have experienced. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I think the industry as a whole will be a lot better if we can start shedding the, this is a definitive score. This is a definitive opinion and, and make it more, this is my opinion, you know? And, And honestly, I think that's why, YouTubers are so popular because they're not speaking for anybody else. They're not saying they're not putting out a general review of a game for a, a, a website and saying, you know, this is the overall definitive review of it. It's like I'm playing Minecraft 
for 800 hours because I love Minecraft or whatever. And it's able to connect with an audience on a one-on-one -on -one basis and say the I statements. I believe. I feel. I experience. This is a good game. This is a bad game because I'm thinking so. Not this is a bad game because we said so. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. There, there's more connection there. So going back to the Joys of Games podcast, we, we do try to eliminate all that negative talk that's about video games. It's just you know the same rhetoric over and over. It's just regurgitated. Uh, and we're just like, you know what? If we're playing a game and we're enjoying it, we're going to talk about it. And that's the thing. We're not, we're not faking any of it. You know, we're not picking a random game and developing some enjoyment out of it just for the sake of doing the podcast. If there's games that we're playing that we're not and like, we're not liking, we're not enjoying for whatever reason, we're just not going to talk about it. We're making that choice not to talk about the games we're not liking or the experiences that we don't enjoy for the sake of not just putting that into a podcast. We're just eliminating it. We're, we still experience it. We don't love every single video game experience. We're not completely jaded, but we're just choosing not to spill that out into podcast form because you could get yeah, that from I mean, every other podcast. I mean, now I'm going to need to come on to one of the Nintendo episodes and sing uh, Super Mario Brothers 2's praises. <laughs> we already got that. We had oh, one that, of one's, our, that one's in there. Yeah, right, one of our guests that's... came on and like that. He didn't tell us what he was going to talk about. Um, and he was like, yeah, I want to talk about Super Mario Brothers 2. We're like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, but like, but his story was like, um, he had like a long lost father who had like left him as a um, very, very young kid who he got like a birthday card from him like once a year or something. And Super Mario Brothers 2, he had sent him Super Mario Brothers 2 for like a Christmas present or something. But he had the wrong address or something, and it went through the postal service for like three or four months. By the time he actually got this Christmas present, like mid next year, the box was beat up and destroyed and everything like that. But he opened it up, and it was Super Mario Brothers too, and it was from his dad, who he had thought four months ago had forgot that he existed on Christmas, you know. And he opened it up, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And to this day, that's like the most special game to him ever because of that one experience, you know? So it's like, how do you argue with that, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, no. That, <laughs> now, now you feel like a jerk for hating Super yeah, Mario Brothers but, 2. But again, I still feel you didn't like... You have that experience. Yeah. Right. I can so. still say I don't like the game, but I'm not saying that's a bad game or nobody should play that game because there are clear reasons why people like that game and love that game to this day. I can't take that away from people, and I'm not trying to take that away from people. All I can say is, like, I hate that game. Yeah. If you love it, cool. Awesome. More power to you, you know? Yeah. And I just, just to, uh, in case anybody actually cares or this tries to get back to them or anything, like, I love Colin. I think he's very <laughs> opinionated. Um, and, and his most recent episode of Colin Was Right, where he talks about kind of, like, having a, a group on the PlayStation Network or something review... And, like, say these games meet a certain level of quality, I think exactly speaks to what you're kind of talking about here and is something I vehemently disagree with. And I'm surprised he really has that opinion um, because, like, he's arguing for basically somebody, like, a group of people to say subjectively, this game is good, this game is bad. Right. Um, and it's, 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 it's a, very, um, a very divisive uh, kind of argument. Um, but he like identifies specific examples that he thinks are bad games 
um, and kind of reclassifies them as like he deems them broken. It's like it's it's not broken though. It's just you didn't like it. Sure. So yeah. why do why do you get to be the forebearer of and it's it's so it's it's speaking to that point and that's why yeah. like I use him as an example <laughs> there because he does he he can very quickly and easily fall into that hyperbolic rhetoric where like I know that he he recognizes that he is always speaking on behalf of his own opinions. Mm-hmm. But he's the same way as me, where he doesn't take the time to say, I think this is a bad sure. game every time. Yeah. He will just say, this is a bad game. Right. And it comes across as definitively because he is as outspoken as he is against some games and whatnot. <laughs> He'll like, dig I, his heels in. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I have argued with him about how I think the Mega Man games are bad games because they were broken, and we just figured out how to work around them, how to work around <laughs> those glitches, and that obviously does not go over well with Colin Moriarty. No, so, no, I can't imagine so. Um, so, so yeah, it's it, it's it, like I I poke at him um, in that regard, but like I I I respect that like that's not really where he's coming from. Sure, he just it it you know can get inflated to the point where people who aren't as um, like the same people who look at a score on IGN and think that's what all of IGN thinks mm-hmm. look at something Colin says and think well that's Colin says it, so it must be true, kind of thing. Right. Those those people are not thinking with the nuance of like the realities of the situation. Right, and, um, and even their podcast, PS, I love you, for the most part, is generally positive about the gaming experiences they have. Like they'll poke fun at like uh, the descriptions of games coming out, or you know, games they've never heard of, or whatever. But generally speaking, they are pretty positive that, about the games that they talk about that they're playing and why they're liking them and what trophies they're going to be getting and all that stuff. And, and there is a lot of positivity to their podcast that I think gets underappreciated sometimes with, um, you know, just them kind of, you know, talking about games that they're enjoying playing. Yeah. Or, or, or even, even they get like, they will say Titanfall's a good game and people will like go crazy thinking they said they hated Titanfall because they didn't say Titanfall was a great game or they don't, or they think it's a good game, but they don't see why other people love it so much more. Sure. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a like double-edged sword because yeah, people will, people will attack you for any like negative opinion that you have that doesn't align with theirs Mm -hmm. and they'll forget all of the, the good times that, that it's, it's, Exactly. psychological behavior. It's, you know, you have a bad experience. That bad experience is something that sticks with you and that you tell other people about. Yeah. And you have to have, like, three good experiences to even match the, the like, the shareability of that mm-hmm. bad one. Um, so, so the Stories of Games podcast, like, that, that's, we, we, we eliminate the possibility of anybody saying, oh, you didn't like something I liked. Let's, you know bash you on the internet about it or let, let's argue about it on Twitter or anything like that. Like, we just eliminate that altogether and we're just like, hey, we love playing this game. This is why we love playing this game. We think other people would like playing this game too for these reasons, you know? Like, who's out there thinking, you know, I should really go play the new Mario Party on the 3DS because Mario Party sounds like a fun game to go play. And, you know, we look at it as like, yeah, that's a pretty ridiculous game overall. Like, there's been some some miserable experiences for people with Mario Party games, but if you're standing in line at Disneyland for 45 minutes and you have three friends and they all have the 3DSs too, and one person has a game of uh, the new Mario Party for the 3DS, all four could play that game, you know, with the local sharing that Nintendo offers with the 3DS, and you could play a fun party game all at once without having to take turns like past Mario Party games, 
and you're all in this little bubble together, waiting in line at the happiest place on earth to go on this ride and have fun. Like, there is a certain aspect to the Mario Party game on the 3DS that is fun and enjoyable. And that doesn't get talked about in the industry. You know, it's just like, uh, it's a Mario Party game. Oh, nobody wants to play another Mario Party game. Oh, blah, blah, blah. There's just not enough positivity around. And if, if you eliminate having the negative aspects of discussions about video games, people tend to um, not get angry with you at all. Like, when you're just sharing your own personal experiences about why you like a video game, people are generally okay with that. It's like you said, when you start saying it's not as good as this or I didn't like this, that's when you know emotions start getting rolled into and people start pulling out pitchforks and, and torches, so... Yeah. Yeah. So that's Joys of Games. Yeah. What else you got in your in your docket of, of podcasts? Um, then we have a little podcast uh, swooping away from um, uh, the video game aspect. It's called Tales from Godric's Hollow. This is a Harry Potter podcast. Yep. Um, we, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Yeah. Uh, up until I started the podcast um, back in September, I want to say. August, September. I had never read or watched Harry Potter at all. Nothing. I was mm-hmm. oblivious to the world of Harry Potter. I thought it was lame. I thought it was something that I wanted nothing to do with. Um, I know my kids had like watched some of the movies before, and I was just like, nope, not for me. I'm going to go play my Wii uh, like, a, like an adult. Um, <laughs> uh it was something that, like, you know, I, I've had people surrounding me my entire life that are absolutely in love with Harry Potter. That I'm just like, you know what? I don't care about wizards. I don't care about, like, fantasy, hocus pocus stuff. Like, I'm, this is not for me. I don't care. I don't want to read the books. I don't care about these stupid, lame movies. Like, don't even talk to me about Harry Potter, right? And, um,. Our, our friend from uh, Toys for Games, uh, somebody we've had on the show plenty of times, Matt Sonnenberg, uh, he, he's an absolutely diehard for Harry Potter. And the moment he found out that I had never experienced Harry Potter in any shape or form, like, he lost his mind. He was like, how, how could you be 33 years old and never done anything with Harry Potter? It's just like, that's, that's not for me, Matt. Whatever. We were... At our hotel room at L.A. Uh, when we were at E3 this past year, and we were talking about Harry Potter, and he's like, I can't believe we're just having the same conversation again, right? He's like, how could you not read Harry Potter? How could you not have even seen the movies, for crying out loud, you know? And I was like, look, Matt, I, I don't have time in my life to read books. I, I don't want to watch movies I don't have any interest in. It's just not for me. The only way at this point in my life that you could ever get me to do things that I'm not super comfortable with doing is to make a podcast about it. And he just like looked at me. I was like, Oh shit, here we go. (laughs) Um, and, uh, he was like, are you, are you serious? Maybe I don't, (laughs) what am I signing up for? Uh, so we had some conversations and we decided that we were going to start a podcast where, um, him uh, being a, a an expert in Harry Potter, having read the books more times than he could possibly count, watching the films, you know, he could recite line for line pretty much. Um, walk me through the world of Harry Potter 
um, through a podcast in book club type format where we read a chapter or two each week. We encourage the listening audience to read along with us. And then we podcast about it. We break down what we've read. Um, at the end of each book, we watch the movie that corresponds with the book. And it encourages people to either reread the books again um, or for the people that like have maybe seen the movies that have never read the books to go back and read them for the first time or listening you know, listen to the books in audio form. Um, or like some people like me who have just never cared about Harry Potter, which there's not that many of Trevor. I, there's not that many non Harry Potter fans out there. I, I mean, I, uh, I was, uh, I was hanging out with a girl a couple weeks ago and she was like, yeah, I just I, like never, never read it. She's, I mean, she's a couple years older than me. So sure. I was like, she just, it just passed her by. She's like, nope, never, never yeah. read them. Never, never seen the book. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about a podcast is what you should have said. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it, it's it's my journey as a muggle going through the world of Harry Potter a little bit at a time. And the best part about it is I am so excluded from this world, right? The more I read and the more I get into it, we're in the third book now, Um prisoner of azkaban uh the farther we get into it the more and more i'm seeing harry potter all around me you know fantastic beasts coming out like i mean yeah that 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 that. probably had a had a factor and the fact that they just re-released the uh the lego harry potter games yeah on on playstation but there's like all this like new media uh, around it but there's all this other stuff like just general references in pop culture that were completely over my head forever that I'm starting to pick up on, but I feel like I am in such the minority here when it comes to Harry Potter that everybody knows the big secrets about Harry Potter and the story that's going on. And I don't. So as we're reading through them, you know, we're doing one, two chapters at a time. I'm coming up with these theories in my head because as I've started to realize, when people read Harry Potter books, they would, like, sit down in a night or a weekend and read through them. Yeah. You know, that's... just consume them as fast as possible, then have to wait a year for the next book. So, like, nobody really ever had time to sit down and digest it little by little and put much thought into the things that are happening in the story and try to predict what was going to happen. So for me, I'm reading two chapters at a time. I'm just getting little morsels of the story, and I'm just like, oh my god, what's going on? Who's this? Who's that? What's going to happen? You know, um, and I have like these the most insane conspiracy theories going on about all these different aspects of the story because I have to wait a week before I could read the next two chapters. Um, and I am doing it 100% legitimately. I am not reading ahead. I am reading the chapters that we have assigned for that week and then immediately podcasting about them. And then I don't touch that book until the next week. Uh, I, I you, Do you realize how hard it is to avoid Harry Potter stuff on the internet? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. There's like <laughs> words, there's names that I'm just like, I'm just going to Google this real quick. And I, I can't do it because nope. everybody in the world knows what's going to happen to these characters and what the overall story is to where the spoiler alert doesn't exist anymore because it's like 
that's 15 years old. You should have read yeah. Harry Potter by now. Yeah. Or you should I have mean, seen a film. I mean, the the stuff that's out there that, that you're trying to avoid is basically like the um, uh, Vader is Luke's father kind of yeah. level of, right. of spoiler stuff. Yeah. yeah. Imagine doing that little by little when people are listening to you and your crazy theories, uh, and they're just like... They're refraining from spoiling it for me because they're... I mean, yeah, it's, it's a testament to your audience that they're not messing with you. Yeah, but, like, my co-host, Matt, like, there are times when I'm going off on something, and I can hear him, like, either mute his mic or, like, turn away from the mic because there's something he wants to say badly, but he can't because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to ruin it. If we ever did a video podcast, he'd be done for because I would be able to read his face as I'm explaining... So my, the most recent theory, going back, actually, fittingly to Star Wars, is... <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to also break. <laughs> yeah, I'll stop there. That's, uh, no. um, That's, I, I mean, uh, I was going to ask, like, are you getting, you're in book three now, so, yeah. like, in book one, did you get anything right? Like, did you know what oh, no. was going on with Quirrell, or was that all, Do, like, a shock? And when that happened, and that was the most life-changing thing in my life. Like, that was, like, oh, my God. Because I'd never read anything from J.K. Rowling. You know, I, I didn't know what she was capable of um, as a writer up until that point. Book two, um, I still went in pretty naive, thinking uh, it's going to be straightforward, right? And then when all the twists and turns started happening, I'm like, she did it again. Like, she's so good, you know? So now in book three, I'm just like, okay, there's a reason why you're bringing this character up over and over again. Like, Crookshanks? I don't know what the deal is with Crookshanks, but Crookshanks is brought up way too many times for him not to be an important aspect of the story in some way, shape, or form. I have no idea what's going on with Crookshanks. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) but what i'm saying is like i'm picking up on like how she writes as an author you know so now i'm starting to possibly overthink things because now i'm trying to pick up every little detail that she does in certain ways and how she's so good about wrapping things back into the story that she had introduced briefly and then will immediately bring back into the forefront like oh yeah hey like like quarrel you know quarrel was in that first book over and over again as this bumbling idiot that like i i ranted so much how incompetent he was as a teacher of defense of the dark arts because i'm like he's scared of everything like he he's the most ridiculous person you could possibly get for defense of the dark arts of course that was before i met lockhart um, but I'm just like, why would anybody allow this guy to be teacher of this very important subject, I would think. You know, then it turns out, like, you know, he's, he's under the influence and, and all this stuff. And it's like, well, you got me. You got me good, you know. Uh, and then, like, the Jenny Weasley in book two, like, she kept being referenced over and over again. Um, the, uh, I'm going to forget his name at the moment. Um who uh, the the owner of the journal um tom marvelo riddle tom yeah riddle tom riddle like uh, the fact that that name spelled out like i am voldemort god that's so good you know but like i i didn't think that was a thing i didn't think that was a possibility in this world so now mm-hmm. 
I, I'm, I have two books worth of knowledge that I'm starting to use in book three to try to come up with what I think is going to happen. I feel like I'm probably wrong on a lot of things, <laughs> right? Um, but it's, it's fascinating because you're doing it like in bite-sized yes, pieces. Yes, um, Whereas, I mean, yeah, like as somebody I – I got into Harry Potter around book four. Okay. Um, uh, where like I um, – I don't remember if I've told it on the show or not before, but I was basically volunteering at the library. Um, and like kids would come and like do book reports for me and I'd give them prizes. And so all these kids are starting to talk and tell me about this Harry Potter kid. And I'm like, oh, that's like this – this, this sounds cool and sounds fun. I mean, I'm in, you know, high school or something at the time. And so book four comes out and like I, while my sister's reading through book four, I borrow books one, two, and three that she had because she had been reading them. She and my mom had been reading them and I just missed it because I was, I don't know, playing video games or something. Sure. And so um, from then on, like I, I read book four, book five comes out, I get it midnight. I read it that day, six and seven, the same. And so it was like, I was reading through everything. And then I would scour places like MuggleNet.com or whatever um, because they would, like, immediately start coming in on their fan theories and start, like, hyper-analyzing everything. In the same way that you are, they would, like, go through. And so it was it was fascinating kind of being, like, what are the theories? What are the prevailing theories? Those are probably some of the first podcasts I ever listened to sure. where, like, they would, they would like, talk about the, their um, – like their experiences reading it and trying to figure out what was really going on with this character and, you know, were they going to come back and what, what did this thing mean from, you know, the, the, you know, the timeline of like Lily and James and, and stuff, you know, what, what did certain aspects mean? And so it was a very fascinating kind of like world to get wrapped up in, um, uh, in, in a time where we were having to wait for everything and nothing, not everything was out yet. Right. Um, uh, but knowing that like she had kind of, um, the arc for the the story and knowing she knew where things were going to yeah, go yeah. compared to like Game of Thrones right now where it's like, I don't <laughs> even know what the heck George R.R. Martin, like I couldn't imagine being a fan of that series from the start. Sure. Um, uh, <laughs> because like you're sitting there and just like, I've been waiting for this next book for 15 years. Right. <laughs> and now like the TV show is already eclipsed where the book yeah, is exact, and exactly, yeah. which so, timeline do you want to follow? <laughs> so yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's certainly a fascinating, um, uh, kind of hearing your tale and and the fact that you are like uh, I mean since you're obviously like really getting wrapped up into it yeah. these days um, and like and that you're still having the restraint to really only go through you know one or two chapters at a time it's tough man I, like I'll be curious if like once you you know once you get through this book you're like screw it, we're doing five chapters a time <laughs> moving forward because I just want like I just want to know what's going on yeah more oh, and more. we have that conversation almost weekly where it's just the listening audience wants us to go faster because they're getting frustrated only being constrained to like two chapters at a time. But like our shows are almost like an hour and a half to two hours each week as it is. And that's just with two chapters. Like, could you imagine having to break down three or four more chapters? Like we're either going to give the very abbreviated versions of each chapter and only talk about the highlights, which is kind of boring or, we break down just the two chapters and I could talk about all the strange, weird little things that I'm noticing as a first time reader and talk about those extensively. Whereas people that have read the books a thousand times, they don't care about flobber worms, but I'm going on a 15 minute rant about how cool <laughs> flobber worms are and how I want to know more about these flobber worms. And that's the most stupid thing to care about in the Harry Potter world. But I am absolutely fascinated by flobber worms, right? Like, I told a half-hour story about why 
a giant squid in a lake was possibly my favorite moment of the first book. That doesn't... There's nothing exciting about that giant squid happening at all in the lake in that first book. At all. But for me, I pulled something out of that, and I was like, this is amazing, and I'm going to talk about it. That doesn't happen if we're But is that giant squid going to come back and be important in a later book? I hope so! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I seriously like, but like that's the that's the conversations we wouldn't have if we were doing four or five chapters at a time. Like, yeah. that gets eliminated and chopped, or else we're doing five six hour podcasts. Which, who would be stupid enough to do long podcasts, right? Hi, hello. Yeah. hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's fun. The audience is is frustrated, but in a fun way because everybody knows, like probably ninety to ninety five percent of the audience knows what's going to happen like there are very few people out there that's doing the podcast as i am for the very first time this series so everybody's ahead of me overall whether they just watch the movies or the books or whatever they're listening for your crackpot theories yeah and they're just like god he's so wrong or oh my god how did he get that out of nowhere you know um so it's enjoyable for them i'm enjoying it um i've fallen in love with just harry potter as a franchise um uh hufflepuff Oh, yeah. That, have you have you gone through and like been sorted? Yep, yep. Uh, through middle of the first book, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to this uh, this Pottermore website and get sorted. And uh, I was decided to be a Hufflepuff. And at that point, I, I knew nothing about Hufflepuff. You know, um, the houses really hadn't been fully explained, and they really aren't still, other than Gryffindor and Slytherin. I mean, you get you get like the song in that first book. Yeah. Uh, uh, that gives you. I mean, that's basically what everybody's building. It, like everybody builds the like what house they want to be in based on what characters they identify with. Sure. And since there are no like notable Hufflepuffs, <laughs> nobody right. wants to be a Hufflepuff. Yeah. So congratulations to you. Right. So when I got sorted into Hufflepuff, I'm like, God. All right. Well, I'm just gonna own but it then, because but it has then to you be like right. do some research and figure out what are like what is what does it mean to be a Hufflepuff? I couldn't that? because that's oh, gonna ruin the story. Okay. You know, so I can't do further research. I have to be just given that thing. Well, I mean, like you've got you've got that Hufflepuff is like loyalty. So yeah. that's that's a trait that you have going for you. Uh, the the best thing to come out of being a Hufflepuff is seeing Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, and seeing uh, Newt Scamander being a Hufflepuff. Also, I'm like, I identify with that dude. Yeah. Oh, so uh, you you did go and see that movie and kind of break break the timeline. You said that's that I, we're going to allow that. I had to be greenlit by my co-host. He okay. had to see it first, and he had to watch it and say, "Yes, there's nothing in here that's going to spoil the events of the Harry Potter series for you." Okay. So once he gave me the green light, I went and saw it. Um, absolutely loved it, and that was a fun thing for me because I was able to experience something almost day one with every other Harry Potter fan out there who was experiencing it for the first time as well. That was a cool thing for me. I was like, I get to be part of you guys for this one moment. You know, like, everything else, you guys are so 10, 15 years ahead of me on everything, but this one little film, I get to be in with you, you know? And and, and, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are definitely things in there that they get that you don't get because you're not there yet. Exactly, and that's what Matt said. He was like, there's some references in there that if you were to dig into are going to ruin some things, but without any context, they don't mean anything. Um, Like, I'm super fascinated about uh, his past love interest that he talks about that he has a picture of, and that's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't research that. I'm like, 
Ooh, ooh, there's more to it. Oh my god, <laughs> where does that go? <laughs> um, and even like the Lego Dimensions Harry Potter, um, Matt had to play through the adventure world and determine that there are some references, there are some places that are talked about that are shown off, major set pieces and whatnot, but without any context behind them, I'm not going to really understand how they would spoil the story for me you know mm-hmm. um in the book prisoner of azkaban i just learned what the patronus was uh-huh. that's, which is was, that's what i was going to ask next yeah but like that's a major thing that you do in the larry po- uh, harry potter lego um but i just thought it was some spell that you know he would use to destroy stuff because it's lego and whatever but i had no context for it i'm hearing him say the words over and over again but I don't know what it means. I don't know why it's a a big deal. Then we read about it in the book. I'm like, oh, oh, I know that. I know what's going on. <laughs> so have you now gone and figured out what your Patronus is from Pottermore? Um, no, no, I'm not allowed to yet because there's okay. still more about the Patronus that I need to discover, apparently, okay. in the book. Okay. Um, how it all works and, you know, uh, that the, it, the little details about it that aren't fully fleshed out for me yet. So you know what a Patronus is, but, like, you don't know what other people's Patronus necessarily, like, reflects yet. Right. And, and like, yeah. when that happened, I remember that day on Twitter when everybody's like, oh, this is my Patronus. This is what I got. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. But, like, I... I, now, I you're, you, now you think back on that. It's like, oh, that's why everybody was so excited. Yeah, but at that time, I'm just like, oh... God, you guys are doing fun things without me again. Like, <laughs> and, and it's my own fault. I will always say it's my own fault. You know, I don't guilt anybody into loving Harry Potter and doing all these amazing things and talking about it and having these conversations and, and all the stuff um, in my presence because it's my own fault that I'm so far behind. Um, it, it, I, you know, uh, it's my cross to bear. I am doing so. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rectify the situation. I'm doing it slower than most people would probably like me to do, but... That's the interesting thing about this podcast in particular is there's an end to the podcast. You know, like once we get through all the books, we get through the movies, there's not going to be a whole lot to do with the podcast after that. So when I signed up to do this podcast, it was like a three-year thing. You know, like in three years, we will be done with it. Going into it, there was a chance I wasn't going to make it. You know, I was like, let me get through one book and see if this is something I can commit to for you know, almost three years of my life. After the first book, I'm like, yeah, totally in. Let's do this. But it's a little sad also. Like, I I hate going so slow because I want to know everything as much as I possibly can, as quick as I want to, and I just want to just consume everything Harry Potter. But then it's like, the faster I get through this all, the sooner the podcast is going to be done. And that's sad, Mm -hmm. you know? And in, in a very real sense, the sooner the magic goes away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... It's a fun thing. It's something that, you know, you asked me a year ago if I'd ever be doing a podcast dedicated to Harry Potter. Not a chance in hell. No way, shape, or form am I doing it. But here I am. I mean, wearing a Hufflepuff sweatshirt. Um, I'm the proud owner of Wands. Um, went to, I've been to uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Studios twice now. Uh-huh. Um, did, did that have to be vetted for you first? Well, well, the first time we went was before we started the podcast. That was at okay. E3. And I went through that whole thing. I was like, Butterbeer is really good. 
I don't know anything else that's going around me, but I didn't care. You know, I wasn't looking for things to care about or to be interested in because it was a world I was never going to get into. Um, but in November, uh, me and uh, my partner Valerie, we went down there. We went to Disneyland and we went to Universal Studios. And I'm looking at everything now with a little bit of context for things. And I'm like, oh my God, there's mandrakes. They have mandrakes here. Like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? But then at the same time, like, I'm seeing a wanted poster for Sirius Black. We haven't gotten to Prisoner of Azkaban yet in the podcast. I don't know who Sirius Black is. I don't know why there's a wanted poster of him. I don't know what the Three Broomsticks restaurant is, why that's a big deal. I don't know about the, the, the joke shop and the candy shop and all that stuff. Like, everything's still over my head. But it was like the little things, like going into the bathroom at Universal Studios and hearing Moaning Myrtle talk while you're in the bathroom was the most frightening and, like, smile-inducing moment, like, I've had in my Harry Potter. Because it's just like, oh, my God, I know that voice. <laughs> like, that, that's really creepy. I, I don't feel comfortable with this, but that's a really cool little detail, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but my first trip there, I, I felt like I needed to... I need... Valerie wasn't with us when we went to E3, and she wanted uh, uh, Hermione wand. So I bought her uh, Hermione wand replica, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy myself a wand, too. Just, just because, you know? It's going to be fun. So, as you know, you don't pick the wand, the wand picks you. Of course. Um... So I was like, man, what wand is just speaking to me? Like, which one is just mm, it's getting to me here, you know? And I ended up walking out with a Death Eater wand. <laughs> I don't know anything about Death Eaters. I, I don't know why, what is a Death Eater or who the Death Eater is or why they have a wand. But that was the wand that was speaking to me, Trevor. That's the one that I walked out with. I don't know. I look forward to your discovery of that. Yeah, that's that's going to be either eye-opening or a big old high-five in my direction. One or the other. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, Tales from Godric's Hollow podcast. We do that weekly. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, also have another you, podcast. Do, uh, uh, real quick, yeah. uh, the name of the name, Tales from Godric's Hollow. Yes. Um, like, uh, does that is there enough context that you understand what that... Because, no. uh, I mean, no. 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 Oh, okay. Uh, Matt, the the guy I do it with, he he decided on the name. He gave me a list of names, and it came down to either Butterbeer Banter or Tales from Godric's Hollow. For me, I knew what Butterbeer was. I knew that I enjoyed Butterbeer, and I'm like, that sounds fantastic. He's like, yeah, but. And then we asked other people that were fans of Harry Potter. They're like, yeah, Tales from Godric's Hollow makes way more sense. I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Can't tell you. Yeah, because it's I, like it's a location that. Like thinking back, could be discussed mm-hmm. for for where you are. I mean, from like the earliest moments in the book. Yeah, but I don't know if I'd like it was. It was. I don't know if they were explicitly stated. So yeah, I um, think there's been so, yeah. one mention, but very very small in passing. No no context for it at all. So I don't know. But like Matt also made some um, uh, some music for the intro and the outro of the podcast. Um, and it starts off with, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Um, and then at the end of the podcast, it says mischief managed. Mm-hmm. So for two and a half books now, you know, 26, 27 podcasts, I've been editing the podcast, inserting this music, listening to it, no context whatsoever. Like, I don't know what this means, 
but Matt thinks it's a good idea that we put this in here. So then when we get to the Marauders map in, you know, Prisoner of Azkaban, and they go to the little, I'm like, oh, that's what our podcast means! <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, it, it's these weird little moments where there are things that I recognize that I don't really understand until it's written and explained to me, where it's just like, oh, that's good. I like that. that that's cool. Um, I, I will say I have not liked the movies so far uh-huh that's that's a, i mean that's that's certainly a common um take is that the like the and especially the first two movies which yeah. are the ones that you've seen so mm-hmm. far um in my opinion the weakest of of the bunch i think they get better um uh as time goes on but sure. yeah the the it's i mean it's it's a lot to cram into right. an hour and a half two hours movie well well that's um, my problem i spend you know two months or so reading the book extensively and then as soon as i'm done reading the book i turn around and watch the movie and it's just like oh there's not that much in there like all my favorite stuff from the books don't make it into the movies like yeah i don't remember flabberworms being in the in the movies at all death day celebration like that whole chapter is completely eliminated from the movie uh the denoming scene from the weasley's garden that's not in the movie uh the giant squid definitely not in the movie like all of my favorite little things that I get attached to in the books, for whatever weird reasons I have, don't make it to the films, and I've been utterly disappointed by that. And yeah. I understand it, and if I were to just watch the movies without immediately uh, reading the books beforehand, I would probably have a, a different appreciation for the films, I bet. But I go into like breaking down every word, every detail of every chapter, and then immediately have to watch an hour and a half film about it. It's just not the same, man. Like I, I never thought I would be the guy to say the book is better than the movie, you know? Because it's like, you know, like Fight Club. I'm like, that's a pretty good film, right? I mean, the book was obviously superior, but you watch the movie, and you're like, yeah, it's pretty good, you know? Yeah. But now I'm just like, oh my god, the books are so much better than the movies, and I'm suddenly that guy now. So yeah, I'm uh, so Alex, who I've talked talked about a few times, uh, Alex O'Neill. Um, he is he's an ardent person in that same camp where like he he has a deep deep love of the books and hates the movies sure. because of it. Um, uh, and we've talked, and he's talked about it with other people, and we're kind of in the camp of like. It'll be really interesting when a little bit more time's passed and they say, hey, we want to reboot Harry Potter. We're going to do it as a Netflix series. Right. And, and you know, make each season a year. Oh my so God. you can flesh it out and you can get all of those moments in there in the same way that they're doing right now with, like, Lemony Snicket. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I think that's, that's what I look forward to in the next round of... And it'll probably be, like, after Fantastic Beasts is wrapped up there, five movies or whatever. Sure. But I think... I don't think they're going to leave that universe sit for long, and I think that's a natural next step for it. Yeah. Seeing how how well received... Because, you know, these movies are coming out before we had Game of Thrones as a show. Mm-hmm. So if, if they... If Game of Thrones as a show had happened prior, I think Netflix, especially now, would have been like, this Harry Potter's a thing... We don't think, like, I think they could have sold it to J.K. Rowling and said, we don't think you can tell your story in an hour and a half movie. We want to tell each of your books over a 10-episode arc right. each year. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, let's let's do that. Um, so I think that's I think that's where you'll get the future of the series, but it's going to take a while to get to that level where people are fine doing a reboot. Sure. 
give me the flopper worms, man. <laughs> um, so yeah. So, so, what, so what other I, shows do you still have? What's that? What other shows do you still have? Um, we have a, a wrestling podcast. Uh, it's called Talking Back. Uh, we kind of rebranded it, rebooted it. Um, we're, we're trying some different things to make it not like every other pro wrestling podcast out there. But it's it's basically us just talking about the things that we like about the world of pro wrestling these days, why we still watch it, why we still enjoy it, and have fun with it. Um, uh, I don't do that one as frequently, um, but it, it, it's, it's there. It gives me a chance to talk pro wrestling with people that I don't normally have a chance to talk about pro wrestling with, so... Um, but the bread and butter of the whole thing is, like I said at the beginning, was the Toys for Games podcast, um, where we talk about uh, the Toys Live genre, week in and week out, um, uh, all the news from all the franchises. Like it started off 2015 January um, at the you know just when the Amiibo craze was was kicking into full gear, um, people were were needing information about Amiibo. You know, Skylanders was a thing. Disney Infinity was a thing. Like that was our three franchises. Was those three, and mm-hmm. there there were there were rumblings in the industry about like another Toys to Life game coming out at some point. Um, Lego had a so had been associated very loosely with the possibility of a Toys to Life game, but it wasn't. Nothing was official at that point when we started the podcast. And then as we kept going, we we're like, you know, like we were there for the birth of Lego Dimensions. Um, we were there for the cancellation of Disney Infinity. We've been there with Skylanders. We've been the rise and fall of Amiibo, this whole thing. Um, when we started it, we are like, there's no way that we could do a weekly podcast about Toys Live genre. Like, it's, it's, that's, that's impossible. That's not a thing. There's not enough news that, that would warrant that. Right. Well, lo and behold, there is. When you dig just a little bit past the surface, you know, like, the minimal coverage that, you know, the major game websites do on the Toy Life franchises is just the tip of the iceberg as to what the community of people, the collectors and the people that are playing these games out there know and care about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, IGN and GameSpot and everybody, they don't cover the newest, re- like, which Skylanders are being released on this day. You know, it's yeah. just like... Unless the... it's something big like Crash. Right. But even then, it's still like, okay, Crash is coming to Skylanders. And then two months later, you're like, okay, here's the review of the new Skylanders game. And that's the last you'll hear about Skylanders until the next game's announced. Yeah. Whereas we're just like, hey, there's these three new figures that are being released. And you can only find uh, one's exclusive to Toys R Us and one's exclusive to GameStop. And this is when you could go get them. And this is... Uh, how you could pre-order them, and you know, there's a Skylanders Day at GameStop on this day that gives you buy one get one free, and that's important information to our fan base and our community that we have that they're not getting elsewhere. You know, um, and we're collecting it all into one podcast with all the franchises and and covering the entire genre um, in a way that nobody has really done before, and really nobody has really done since. Um, but it, it's it's a passion for us, and it's something that we love. And we've seen the ebbs and flows of the genre. We we talked about it from day one of this is a bubble. It's going to pop. It, it, it's either going to explode and disappear, or it's going to evolve into something else. We are currently seeing the evolution of it. Um, and whether or not that evolution is successful or that does mark the bubble popping and it's completely gone, we don't know yet. Um, but it, we're, we're covering it until the day it dies, you know? Um, but like, 
one of the most groundbreaking things was when Greg Miller came out and he was like, you know what? This Lego Dimensions game is uh, pretty rad. And, like, my head exploded when I saw him, like, put that on Twitter. I'm just like, wait, Greg Miller likes a Toys to Life game? Like, hold on, wait a second, you know, because you never heard him talk about Disney Infinity or Skylanders or anything yeah. like that. Um, so, like, when he did that, like, that was like, okay, here's a chance for this genre to get some mainstream traction, you know, more than uh, I can't find X, Y, and Z amiibo at the store no matter how hard I look. Like, that was the only stories coming out of people. Yeah, no, I, like, my uh, amiibo was certainly, like, because I, I, uh, I would listen to, like, Nintendo voice chat, and they would talk about all of the all of their worries and trying to find amiibo. And I was like, I, like, I'm not, I'm not going to fall down this rabbit hole. There are a couple of them that, that are exciting and fun. And I like, I like, I look like looking at them. Like I've got, I've got my, uh, my eight bit Zelda that oh, came sure. uh, a little bit ago. That's uh, it's just been sitting kind of here on the floor <laughs> me for a little while. Cause I haven't, I haven't bothered to do anything with it, but like I, I got it. I, like I saw when they were coming out with it, I was like, I've got the eight bit Mario. So I'm like, that's, I want to add that to the collection because that's, like that takes me back, but yeah, it was it was never like, like I don't I don't ever do anything with them in the games. I right. barely ever, I never bust open my or bust up a uh, turn on my Wii U or anything like that. It's just I've got a couple things because, like I I ordered a a, a NES amiibo finally this week after the after the Switch thing because I was ordering like Breath of the Wild and I was and it came as like a <laughs> recommended thing. I was like. Yeah, I want this. I, I love Earthbound. I've wanted that forever, and it was just one of those, like, for a while there, it was impossible to find. And sure. so I was like, now that time has passed, yeah, I'll, I'll add it to the cart. And so that's probably in my mailbox today, and I just haven't picked it up yet. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, the, 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 when Greg, when, when Lego Dimensions came by and did their thing on Kind of Funny, that was, that was certainly what got me into it. Um, and yeah, as, as we touched on a little bit earlier, like, I've got all of mine here or I've got half of mine here, um, uh, in, in frame. Um, uh, and I've certainly fallen down that rabbit hole in particular. And a lot of times I come to you guys for like where that for, for like the, like when, when, uh, year two got announced, like I just scoured your guys' site for like the specific details and all that sure. stuff. So, yeah. um, absolutely. Like it's, I, I think it's great when you can find a niche like that. So long as there is like the so long as the niche is there to support you, right? Um, that's I mean, so yeah. When I like when I think of like I don't I don't know what's going on with Skylanders or Disney Infinity on a on a day to day basis, and then when Disney Infinity gets canceled, like that that certainly makes big enough news, and I'm like, oh, like how's that? Like I I remember thinking like how's that going to affect Josh and what he does? <laughs> yeah, um, you know there there goes like a big old bucket of news that they might have each week, right? Um, uh, in in like devastating fashion because like those are some of my favorite um, pieces certainly because mm -hmm. um, I again those are characters I know sure. but like I'm not gonna play Disney Infinity the game itself maybe until I have kids down the line sometime right, right. Uh, and and now who knows because you know I'll, like I'll, I'll probably have to figure out something else for them to, to sure play. yeah so yeah it's 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 interesting because yeah I I certainly think like. I mean, is there enough news in that? Because I mean, like, even even like doing a like a PlayStation podcast or something like that, there's not a, like enough ample <laughs> PlayStation news every right. week yeah. necessarily. So how do you 
you know, in those in those really dry weeks where there might not be something. Um, how do you guys handle something like that? Or is or is there just enough news out there? Because, like, I mean, one of the things I could think of that that like I think about that's not news related is like um, that you guys introduced me to is like uh, Gondacris and like mm-hmm. all of the great custom stuff she does. Sure, like that's constantly in my Instagram feed now. Yeah, um, all the all the fun and crazy designs that she's doing, especially now with like um, like. Uh, all of the mimicries or mimicues or whatever mm-hmm. from from Pokemon, like every little variation she does of that, I'm like, that's amazing, yeah, and really yeah. cool, and that like that she's really doing great. But yeah, what do you guys kind of come up with on those like light weeks? Even on the light weeks, it still feels like enough stuff falls into our lap to where we could do a podcast about it. Um, uh, we have such a good relationship, my co-host Jason and I, to where we could just go off and talk for a half hour about nothing and then get to the news finally. And even if the news segment is is shorter than our just intro of a half hour, people still like hearing us talk at this point. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter too much, but you know, between Lego dimensions, like somebody's always doing an interview about something somewhere or there's people finding out little details here and there about, um, you know, like we, just recently got a uh, pretty good confirmation of when wave eight is going to hit, which isn't officially announced yet, but due to a pre-order card that somebody found for the Batman figure at target on the back of it alludes to when wave eight is going to be released. Like that's suddenly a news item that we could talk about. Um, whereas like, you're not going to find that on IGN, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> that's, that's us in the trenches doing the work that most gaming journalists don't have time to do because they're covering bigger stories. But yeah, for that's, our... that's you guys scouring the Reddit NeoGAF on Lego dimensions. Yeah. Because our audience is demanding that, like they want that little detail, you know? Um, and it just feels like, even when there isn't much to talk about, there is still always something to talk about that our audience is going to be interested in learning about. Um, so we we still cover Lego Dimensions, Skylanders, um, in this weird place where there's a possibility of it might getting canceled. That's still up in up in limbo. Um, uh, Amiibo, the ups and downs with Amiibo. Uh, but then we got like uh, board games like Beast of Balance, um, which isn't full on toys to life game, but there's enough toys to life aspects to it to where it feels like it it's the genre evolving into something different. Um, or this new game that's that's coming out this year called Light Seekers. Um, we randomly found out about them as they were just starting to launch, and they had like sixty Twitter followers, and we're just like, "Hey, you guys got something cool here? Let's talk about it." And you know, now they're up to like six, seven thousand followers on Twitter. They had a successful Kickstarter campaign. Um, they are putting out their beta for the game like this month. Uh, and they're launching, like, in summer. Like, we're watching this game being developed in front of our eyes that is 100% Toys to Life, but it's also adding all these different little elements of Toys to Life into something that's new that hasn't been done before. Um, So we're seeing these things kind of pop up, and we're covering that aspect of it as well. Um, And and just we're just talking about the things people like like us to hear about, you know? Um, Nintendo shows one image... Of, of a new amiibo and that's a 20 minute segment you know just breaking down what that amiibo is going to be and you know like all that kind of stuff so 
after 102 episodes, like, again, going back to episode one, uh, no way I would have said that we could do this on a weekly basis. And uh, we've we've hosted three panels at two different PAXs now. Um, Greg Miller uh, was generous enough to, to be on our very first panel at PAX East, uh, which, you know, he had a broken rib. Um, <laughs> there was a chance that he wasn't going to show up for the panel and, and bless his soul for making it to the panel because I, I told with him with a bag I, of ice on his chest yeah, like the entire time. I told him I was like, dude, you don't have to be here. He's like, no, I told you I'd be here. I'm like, you are in pain. Like please see somebody. He's like, nope. I'll do this and then I'll go get checked out. I'm like, okay, you you're an amazing human and you need to know that. Um but like he had he had uh, of all the things that he was doing at PAX East, like he was on our stupid little panel to talk about Toys to Life and share his love with Lego Dimensions. And that was such a big moment for us, not as a podcast, but as a community to be validated by somebody like Greg Miller from Kind of Funny, formerly of IGN, to say, hey, your community is, is valuable enough for my time, especially with a broken rib to talk about something that we all kind of collectively love in a whatever, you know, whether you've been with Skylanders for six years now or whether you just got into it with Lego Dimensions like me, like, we are all kind of part of this weird little niche family of the gaming industry. And that was such validation for our community as a whole of, like, we're not outcasts from everything else. Like, we are a a subgroup of it, you know, but on equal playing fields as all the other subgroups of the industry, not this weird little group in the corner at high school, you know, that stays themselves and gets picked on every day. Like we are now at the table with everybody else. Yeah. I feel like I might also be one of the few people that have been to every one of your three panels. Yeah. Yeah. Probably are. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, I mean, it's, man, I don't know. Like I, 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 when we started the podcast, I, I I was having this idea about doing a podcast about collecting Toys to Life stuff because I love Skylanders. I love Disney Infinity. I was getting into Amiibo because I love Nintendo. And I, I didn't know Jason at all. And I had followed his Inquirer sites for Skylanders and Amiibo at that time on Twitter. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, who am I going to get to podcast with me? None of my friends that I know collect this stuff and are into this stuff and i was like well there's this twitter feed i follow that seems to be pretty knowledgeable about this stuff and i just um i sent him a dm i'm like hey can i have your email address he's like yeah sure here it is and i sent him like this super long email i'm like you don't know me i know you don't know me i don't even know you i have this idea for a podcast i don't know if it's something i don't even know if you podcast i don't know what your situation's like but would you want to do it with me? He was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, within a week, we were recording our first podcast. That was the first time we'd actually spoke to each other ever was our first Skype call to do our very first podcast. So there was a chance we were going to have zero chemistry and it was just going to be a total train wreck, right? And it it worked out amazingly. And here we are. We've done, uh, we've gone to PAXs. We've gone to, you know, last two E3s because of it. Um We've done some amazing uh, charity work. Um, we did a customs with customs with care um, last year, which um, all proceeds went to take this 
uh, Foundation, um, which you dropped a whole bunch of cash on um, <laughs> for Lego Dimensions figures that I had modeled after uh, Greg and Kevin, of course. Yep. Um, the true Slimer of the group, and uh, um, and those uh, those now sit in their in their new office, right? Yeah, I sent you, and, I sent and, you that picture, right? Yeah, and that was such a, a cool thing for us because you know, like you said, there are amazing customizers out there that do amazing artwork with these figures, like Gondacris and so many more other people. Jason and I are not artists. We we have very little artistic skill when it comes to these things, but we're just like you know, we're gonna have fun with it for our community. Uh, and show that, you know, you don't have to be a great customizer to still do something fun and artistic with them. And we're not going to sell them. We're going to give all the money we get to a charity. Um, absolutely love what Take This does. Um, they're such a fantastic organization. Um, I, I really wish that I could do more work for them because of what they do for this community. Um, I think they get overlooked big time. Um, yeah, no, I... I... I got introduced to them um, for like at PAX South last year, and I actually volunteered at their um, at their their like their booth at mm-hmm. PAX South, and then again at PAX East, um, volunteered for them, uh, and yeah, it was the same kind of thing. Like I like a friend of mine put me in touch with them, and I was like, yeah, I'd love to. You know, I'm gonna be at PAX South. I'd love to put in a few hours and just kind of help you guys out, and right. um, have made good friends in in the industry through that kind of connection. Um, and yeah, the, just the, the fact that they are out there for those that don't know, take this, um, goes to conferences like PAX and, uh, and E3 and they, um, they have, uh, basically an AFK room where you can like, they recognize that mental health is an issue that people like need to, they need to remove the stigma from. So they, they've got a room, like quiet room set up that like, if you're overwhelmed by, you know, the, everybody at PAX or at, at an E3, um, and you just need a quiet place to like get away from it all. You can go to the AFK room that that take this runs, and they have you know they have health pr- healthcare professionals in there that you can talk to if you need, or it's just a place you can go and like calm down and unwind and and relax color. away from all the hustle and bustle <laughs> of everything. Yeah, color. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so yeah, it's it's they're they're doing great work, and I uh, like I love, I like so that was one of the the things that when you started um, posting. Uh, that you were doing this custom thing, and then you said, and the proceeds are going to take this. I was like, oh, I'm I'm in because yeah. take this is an amazing organization that I like. I'm happy to support, yeah. um, even if I need to undercut Greg Miller himself <laughs> to to win the the Lego Dimensions things based on his likeness. Sure. Um, uh, so yeah, I was like, I was I was happy to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, you know I applaud you guys for um, for connecting with that organization in such right. a way and and. Um, what a lot of people don't know is the year before um, at PAX West, so not this most recent one where you and I hooked up, but the one before that, um, Susan Arndt, who's um, one of the founders of Take This, um, her and her husband, Russ, um, she had put on Twitter, she was like, hey, so if I have like this Amiibo that's, that's pretty difficult to get, do you think it would sell well like for a charity auction for Take This at a PAX? Like, she just put like this general tweet out there just asking people's opinion. And I think it was like a Rosalina or something that she had picked up when she was over in Europe. That were, It was easy to get over there, but it was impossible to find here in the States, right? Because this was at the height of the Amiibo craze. And 
you know, she was like, you know, do you think this would go for some decent money for, you know, the, a charity auction or whatever? And I, I saw that and I immediately sent her a DM. I'm like, hey, this is what we do. Like, this is this is our specialty. And I'm like, are, are you looking for, you know, for help with, like, this charity donate, you know, auction that you want to do? And she was like, yeah, of course, you know, um, we're always looking for, for things. And we, and we sent her up um uh, uh two different care packages one for myself and one from jason um each box had like 20 amiibo in it and these were like the hard to get like king ddds and rosalinas and marths and villagers and all the ones that like nobody could ever get that we had extras of that we would use for giveaways and that kind of stuff and we sent her up two full boxes of amiibo that she could use um, for her charity auctions for Take This. And she made, like, four uh, or, or uh, little packages of, like, four Amiibo uh, for auction number one and, like, four different Amiibo for auction number two. And I, they made quite a bit of money uh, that all went, you know, to the organization. And, and we did that just as, like, us to get in the door of, like, hey, we want to help you out. We're doing a good thing. And, this is what it was so like that's how our relationship with take this started and then the customs thing obviously it was more uh more visible uh for us helping them and whatnot but it, it's all just because of you know what they do and and why what they do is important and more people need to to see that so yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah so great that's Any other... games in a nutshell man i mean yeah <laughs> And you guys have a Patreon. I'll, I'll I will absolutely link the, the sure. Patreon in the uh, in the group. I got my pin a couple weeks ago. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like I, I yeah, full disclosure. If that's a thing that matters <laughs> on my free to consume podcast, I I am a patron of Toys to Games. Um, and I pirate your show, so we're even. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was one of those things. Like I like I remember seeing that you guys were doing that. Or that you guys had a Patreon. And then it what like I think it was like the night uh, after I did Joy, Joys of Games, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like they like they're doing some awesome stuff. I want to give them some support, right. so so I went and and, uh, and signed up for that, and I was like, ooh, and I can get a pin. Yeah, <laughs> and all that honestly, it goes back into the community for all of the giveaways that we do. Um, you know, we we try to engage with the community as much as we possibly can, and. Um, we we try to reward the community for for being amazing and and you know every little bit on patreon helps us do even more um that kind of stuff and and be able to go to paxes and and do panels and interact with people that get to meet us like being on that panel with greg miller like when he walked in the room and like that was our first time like meeting him in person and again i've been following him for years right and like I, I fanboyed a little bit. Like I was trying to like keep it calm. Like okay, we're doing a panel together. Like you know, like I'm not at a meet and greet with him, and he's not signing an autograph for me. Like he's on, he's sitting you, next to you me. You guys gave him a custom amiibo. Yeah, I'm like, you're on our panel. I'm not on your panel, you know. But I'm like, I'm trying to rein it in because I'm just like, I love you so much. Um, I wish Colin like toys more because I'd love to talk to him. Um. Tim, if you're watching, I'm still waiting for our Skylanders interview about Crash Bandicoot. Uh, um, I, I guarantee Tim is not watching my show. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody out there is watching that maybe knows Tim, um, no. So, so like meeting Greg Miller for the first time, I was like, I was fanboying out like big time, but like trying to rein it in. But then I realized that there were people 
that were watching our panel that were fans of us and were there to watch and listen to us that had been listening to our podcast for a year now and came to Paxi specifically to meet us. That was the most humbling experience I've had as a podcaster ever. When people want to meet you in person and get starstruck meeting you and kind of get fidgety and have like a loss of words because they don't know what to say because they're listening. They're standing in front of somebody that they listen to on a weekly basis. I, 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 to this day, I still don't know if I can like quantify that feeling into any, any rational explanation of to how that feels. Like it's so humbling and remarkable. And I don't know how like people like Greg Miller do it on a regular basis. Like he's always meeting people who are like, he makes their years shaking their hands and giving them a hug or signing an autograph. He does that like on a daily basis. Right. Like I've had these very few minimal experiences, but they're experiences nonetheless that I will forever treasure uh, of having that same feeling. And it, it, it's an incredible, it's. It, oh yeah. I, I, I can absolutely relate and understand and, and absolutely have the same kind of like, I have no words for how surreal of an experience that is. Yeah. Um, and I like, I, cause I, I, you know, I started getting it tangentially, um, uh, f- like after I went and was on kind of funny. Um, and, and then, so like at PSX last year was like the first time, cause I had met a ton of people or this is, I guess, 2015 now. Um, cause I had met a ton of people at the first kind of funny live. And then a week after that, I was, I, I was on the show. And so people that like I had met that week got super excited for me. And, and <laughs> like, I, I got a ton of friendships like that kind of came out of that. Um, and then like PSX that year, or actually, like even even before that, like a month later, I was back in San Francisco at um, the Beyond event that year, and people like like people were like, "You were on, you were on, kind of funny, right?" And I was like, "Yes, I was. This is really weird." Yeah. <laughs> um, you and, should not and know me, <laughs> especially by PSX. Um, I got like I got used to people finding me on Twitter and stuff, and and having conversations, and right. and like and so starting at PSX, I started talking about the idea of like. If 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 people are like um, like know who I am or anything like that, I'm gonna put on my best Greg Miller impression and 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 try and be like as as welcoming and warm as he has been, as, yeah. and, as I have seen him be right. time and time again. Treat everybody like a best like friend. That. Exactly. So yeah. like it's it's always like um, you know oh like I love John kind of funny. Oh that's like thank you so much, man. That means so much. And, you know what like what are you liking about PSX? What's your like what's your favorite thing that you've right. played? And trying to trying to engage with them. And make it so it's not like a one because I, like I'm I'm a nobody in the grand scheme of things. Like the fact that people are. read the the fact that people read anything I write or that they listen to this show or anything like that is is absolutely like surreal and humbling. Yeah. Um. And and like I like I mean I I look at the numbers every now and then I'm like oh there are like more people out there who care than I thought there were. Right. Um. And that's that means the world to me. The the fact that I have people that like listen to the show every week like Brandon, um, who I've. I've become friends with through this community um, because he was, you know, brave enough to reach out and say like, Hey, I really like this thing you wrote about kind of funny life too. Like, how do I get involved in the community? Um, and, and the fact that like he took what I said and, and or, like that I took that as like a, Oh, like that's something I'm going to write about. And then he took it and lived it um, and has become more involved in the community um, is it like it, the fact that like we've affected each other's lives in that way without having met is 
humbling and surreal in, in all the same ways that you're talking about where right. it's it like I I can't I try and put it into words at times and I like I feel like I'm always failing at expressing just how much it means sure um, because there aren't enough words I can't I'm not gonna make a four-hour podcast just of me like thanking people <laughs> for, for watching the show I could do it I, I like I know I could um, but it, it's uh, it's like even that wouldn't be enough to um, to kind of express like where the 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 successes I've had are not my own successes. They are successes I've had with the friends that I've made absolutely. in this community and right. with the support that I've made in this community. So, so yeah, absolutely. I can I can totally relate. And and yeah, like at this point, like it's it's surreal that Greg um, like sees me as as like a, an industry friend of his mm-hmm. um, to the point. And and like we will talk about it. You know, when when I go to an RTX or something and it is people trying to meet him for the first time. I'm like, I, like I know Greg. If if I want to DM Greg on something, yeah. like I know, I, you know, he he might be super busy and so he might not get back to me or something. But right. I know he'll see it. Um, and and so I don't I don't want to take that for granted. And I want to like I'm I'm happy to give those other people that experience. Yeah. That that first Greg Miller meeting. Because yeah. like I think about my first Greg Miller meeting um, at the first PlayStation experience, and it was exactly that. It was him you know saying oh like that's you know i'm so glad you like the show you know what's what's the favorite thing you've seen around here yeah and 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 having that like having that one moment with him um and wanting to give everybody that opportunity to have that moment with him um and he like he he'll he like he's called me out on it being like like i see you there and i see you standing back to give other people that moment and that's really cool and i'm like like (laughs) i want them i want them to have the cool experience i had and so i'm not gonna get in their way i know like a head nod is is all I need from you, Greg. Yep. At this point, um, it's good to see. You. I'm glad you're having a fun time at right. an event at whatever. <laughs> um, and and yeah, we can like I'll catch up if I need to say something. I'll send you a DM, sure. and that's yeah. there we go. Um, Sometimes I wish my first Greg Miller experience wasn't him trying not to die, like because yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was not Greg Miller in his finest form. You know, like he was still super personal, but like he was in so much pain. Like when we first met, and it's just like, oh my god, you are so miserable right now. And uh, it, it was, yeah, like him getting through that panel is is something I will not really ever be able to comprehend because he was in legit pain, and afterwards. Like, Kevin's like, we need to get you to get checked out. Like, you are done for, you know. Um, But just class act. And uh, when we we went to his, uh, the kind of funny panel at PAX West, um, where Colin made a surprise entrance and, you know, all that good stuff. And after the show, everybody's, like, going up there and getting to meet him, you know, for the first time and say hi and everything. And we're just kind of hanging back. And once everybody started, like, clearing out, Jason and I like, Oh, let's go say hi. And we went up there and we didn't want to like have like this great conversation, but we just wanted to say, Hey, we're here to support you. We just want to say hi, you know? And, and like the reaction of like him was like, again, it was, it was Greg Miller being a best friend to people that like he has no business being best friends with. You know, <laughs> like, um, it was just like, we've been like friends forever at that point. Like, and it, it was like you said, like a, a simple head, non simple, hey, you know, just want to say hi type of thing. Like, you, we don't need to have a, a fanboy conversation right now. Um, and, and it was it was fun. Like, you know, he he's a special... I don't know how we started talking about him, but he, he's a very special person. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. 
One thing I want to clear up, though, like not have to not having anything to do with him, but I don't know when else this is going to be brought up. Um, uh, but we brought up Joey Noel a few times on this podcast, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I officially got to meet Joey at E3 when she was working the Take This booth. Um, right. I had to deliver the custom Lego Dimension figures that you had won because she was going to be giving them to you. Like, I remember, like, asking you, like, are you sure this is, like, a, <laughs> a, a for sure thing? And you're like, yeah, you could trust her. I'm like, okay, cool, no problem. Um, but before then, you know, on on the, your show last week, she was talking about how she got into E3, right? You know, she, Mark from uh, TT Games was, you know, offering LEGO Dimensions fans some passes to go to E3 on behalf of LEGO Dimensions. She was one of the people that responded. She ended up, you know, winning the pass and whatnot. Uh, the little detail that she forgot to, to mention when she's explained the story. Oh, throwing her under the bus, eh? Was the validation from the Toys for Games Twitter account to be like, yeah, this Joey person, she's legit. She definitely deserves a badge to E3 on behalf of LEGO Dimensions. She's definitely a top fan. And Mark's like, all right, cool, definitely. Joey, here's your pass. So, I mean, I know Joey's trying to be brief and, and, and get to the 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 important thing of her going to E3 for the first time, but I didn't hear a thank you at all from Joey to Toys for Games for uh, maybe pushing that a little forward to, to make sure that she got that pass in the first place. But, you know... Well- well, I'm sure she'd say maybe if you gave her a Supergirl, she might have had uh, kinder words to say to you. Well, uh, this is before Supergirl of, came out. Yeah, yeah, but if you'd done it, if you've if Afterwards, given it to her after the fact. Yeah, well, you know, Instead of giving it to stupid Zyger. Zyger yeah, ruined we're, we're, our relationship we're both, with Joey. We're both still pissed at you about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to clip this whole segment out and throw her under the bus for you there. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, so let's let's go ahead. Uh, wrapping up uh, uh, that topic. Moving on. Now that we've crossed the four hour mark, um, we're in Zyger territory in now. Audio version. Yeah, we're 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 getting up there. We got the uh, the last topic to to hit on. So topic number four, trove topics, is where people can be part of the show by tweeting uh, at me or at uh, the show. Uh, so at me at Snarky Starky or at the show at Trove Talk, or just keep an eye out when I tweet out and say, Hey, this is the guest that's coming on this week. What do you want to talk about? Uh, use the hashtag trove topics, and I'll I'll try and track them down. Uh, so we didn't get too many this week, but we did have you know the big switch presentation. So that's what a lot of them are kind of uh, geared towards. So um, yeah, it is just where we can kind of answer questions from the audience. So uh, Ryan Santil, Ryan Santilli, and uh, Brandon Gann both kind of touch on obviously the big news this week. I think Ninten- uh, Ryan Santilli says I think Nintendo had something small and Brandon uh says the Switch is getting a lot of negativity. So what were your overall takeaways plus and or minus? Um so we'll we'll and there are a couple more specific questions that we'll kind of jump on from there, but um uh what are your uh, and I I apologize I haven't had a chance to listen to your your emergency Switch presentation reactions. Sure. What are your takeaways from from the Switch presentation? <sighs> I ordered two switches. You ordered two switches. Yeah, pre-ordered. Um, I, I will say, I understand people not liking the presentation. My argument to that is, this presentation was more geared towards the business investors in Japan than it was 
mainstream American audience that we would see at like a, a Sony or E3 or Sony or Microsoft E3 press conference. You know, totally different audiences. Um, the reaction of the audience was almost nothing at all. Like it was just silence. Um, There's a lot of dead air time. Um, the flow was choppy. Uh, having like the uh, interpretation over, you know, dubbed over the presentation was weird. If this was one of the translators, sounded like he was really not understanding and following what was yeah, going on. Yeah, struggling a little bit. That's, um, I, that was one of like one of the small things. I was like, I feel like you guys should have had the script going into this <laughs> of what they were gonna, you know, like right. the translation from the teleprompter right. ready to go, so you can just kind of use that instead of really trying to translate on the fly like it sounded sure like well it was almost like was. they were they were translating the script but then they're also hearing what's being said and some people might have been going off script a little bit which was throwing them off as they were trying to translate it wasn't a polished event at all but again it was meant to explain what the switch was how it worked and and give the japanese business investors the information that they've been clamoring for uh going into this you know fiscal quarter um, so I, I understand not liking the presentation as a whole. Um, uh, there's a lot of negatives about the Switch. Um, I, I still think there's a lot of unanswered questions about the Switch that they didn't get to. Um, I think the important thing that they were trying to hit was, like, launch day, um, uh, price, and how the Switch plays games. You know, what these Joy-Cons are capable of, what the pad's capable of doing, how this all plays into different games. Um, there's stuff like a, a trophy system that wasn't addressed, like the UI wasn't shown off. Um, did you that... did you have a chance to look at the like the treehouse stuff the next day? Because I've seen I've seen images now of like yeah. the UI and stuff from that. Sure, and, and you know we don't even know if that's like the final UI or if that's True. just for the test demos. You know, um, because Nintendo is not outwardly saying this is it, this is what it looks like, this is what's right. going to have. The online services are still not fully explained. Like, there was stuff about the system itself that wasn't explained in the presentation that you could find in a little sidebar on their website with all the information in it. Um, so it's it's still... People like to be negative about things on the internet. I don't know if you've, you've noticed this or not um, in, in your dealings with people on the internet. But, um, a little bit first reaction is to be negative um i can see why like the kind of funny guys for example watching the presentation being bored and not being interested in what was being shown off yeah okay i get that but let's play the games like even tim you know he was he hated the presentation right he was a yeah. mess during the whole thing the next day he went and he got to hold it and he got to play it and what was his takeaway from it like he really enjoyed it he yeah wait to play it again exactly so like Everybody likes to be armchair quarterback when it comes to, like, having opinions on things that they just see. But until you play them and you get to experience them, eh, maybe just, you know, pull back just a little bit, you know. That, that, that's my overall takeaway from it. Um, the launch lineup isn't ginormous as far as, like, day one launches. Uh, we are getting Zelda day one. Like, if they didn't have Zelda, then everybody would have every right to just demolish Nintendo for having the weakest launch lineup of any gaming console in the history of games, you know? But they have the biggest Zelda game potentially ever on day one. That's a big launch day game, you know? If Zelda's not your thing, there may not be a lot there for people 
on day one to be attached to, and I get that. But the people that are saying, like, oh, there's not enough new games on day one. Well, how many games are you playing at one time anyway? Like, that Zelda game's potentially going to be a big game, which will hold you over until new games come out. Plus, Yeah, and I think, I think the criticism there is more like, I need a variety of games to play if Zelda isn't for me. Sure. You know, if, if Zelda isn't for me, is one to switch for me. If that's not for me, then I, there's there might not be anything for me at launch. Right. So that's I think that's where people are are coming from more so on yeah. the like there aren't enough games for me at launch. But but that's that's also fair to say about every console release. Like, right. Absolutely. I mean, but, and that's like that's where I think Killzone and Knack for PS4. You know, like <laughs> right. But there was I mean there was also like Call of Duty and FIFA and and a handful of other. Um, games that did come out that were like I mean Lego Lego Marvel superheroes sure. was yeah. like was probably the first PlayStation 4 game I played sure. um uh so there I mean in in something like that there was enough variety because there was that third party support I think that Nintendo still having a hard time trying to re- reel in and, yeah. and really capture um yeah I like I I don't uh, I I put up Obviously, I, I had a lot of negativity kind of in my in my tweets that night, and I put up uh, a little bit before we started recording, um, kind of my thoughts a couple days removed, and they do still skew negative in terms of like I was ready to buy the system and ready to to do a pre order, um, and that conference actually unsold me on it because I was like. Well, if Zelda's really the only thing I want at launch, mm-hmm. and it's launching day and date on the Wii U version, sure. I'll just buy the Wii U version sure. and not spend $300 on the new system until there's really right. more for me there. Um, they, they were in a tough position with Zelda, because, one, if you don't put Zelda on day one, you know you have a weak launch title, a weak launch lineup, right? Yeah. So Zelda has to be there day one. But at the same time, you promised the Zelda game to Wii U owners for years now. And you absolutely need all of your Wii U owners to adopt this new console. You can't lose that market share. You can't lose those fans that were with you during the hard years at this point in the game. Like, you need to keep them and keep your good graces with them. So you can't put out the Zelda on the Wii U a couple months after the Switch version just so you could sell more Switches because you still need to fulfill that promise to the Wii U owners. Yeah. So they were in this tough spot of like, if they only put it out on Switch, you're selling more Switch consoles, you know. But you, you're like, well, if it's coming out on the Wii U, I'll just buy it on the Wii U, and then I'll buy the Switch later on, which you know they're going to encounter with a lot of people. Which, but again, if you didn't put it out, then you may lose the Wii U owners who were waiting for it because they're just like, fine, you're not going to give me what I want, and this is just all a business and. You're not really about the consumers, and you're not about the games. I'm done. I'm going to PS. I'm going to to Microsoft. Whatever. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was. It was. I mean, like my my big takeaway um, in terms of like the the presentation overall and what we've kind of learned overall is that I I feel that they're launching prematurely. Um, that that I think if they'd held it for another six months. Um, and and let it be a fall release mm-hmm. closer to I mean and there's obviously there's no guarantee that Mario will hit that holiday 2017 launch window sure um, it, that can certainly be delayed you know further out um, but at least giving it a little bit more breathing room a to di- to to account for production because 
Nintendo always kind of falls short on like giving people that day one um, meeting that day one demand on a system. Um, uh, and it seems like we're, we might run into the same kind of thing here. So having another six months to actually manufacture more consoles um, would, would benefit, but also giving just more time to get those games um, kind of in the hopper for people. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of like Splatoon two and even like the Mario Kart eight deluxe are enticing, but I don't know why they're not there and ready to go at launch. Like sure. why they aren't offerings that are, that why they are going to be trickled out over the course of the next six months. Yeah. Um, and, and they're also in a hard position where other consoles haven't really been before to where if they were to hold the switch back until the fall, they don't have anything else coming out for the Wii U. Like, yeah. that, that console is dead, you know? Yeah. At least with, like, the new PlayStations and new Xboxes, you have the third-party support to where there are still games coming out on your console that give you the time to launch a console with some games that you've been working on for the new thing. Nintendo doesn't have that luxury. Once, right. once Zelda Breath of the Wild for the Wii U comes out, that's it. That's, 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 that's it, you know? You can't be in the market um, without a game coming out for six, seven months. Like, that's unheard of, you know? No new Wii U games for six, seven months? Like, that would be absolutely stupid, and people wouldn't, would be, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's, I, I don't want to pretend and say that I know what would happen, but it, it seems like a, a big ask for a company to go that long without selling any new software. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like that's largely what we had in 2016 with them, was that yeah. outside of outside of a couple like Mario Color Splash and and uh, and Tokyo Mirage sessions, yeah, like that there was Star Fox. I mean, it wasn't good. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they could still say, "Hey, we got something new coming." Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. It, so that's that's the kind of thing. Like, absolutely, I think they they're definitely in a rock and a hard place kind of situation. But it's it's one that they kind of put themselves oh, in by, absolutely by saying like. Okay, the Wii U just didn't sell, so we're gonna make Breath of the Wild a cross-platform thing and sure. put it on the next thing that we're creating. Yeah. And Mario Odyssey looks like it could have been a, you know, a late life cycle Wii U game, and instead they said, no, we're gonna scrap that and put it on the next system. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I th like it's part of it is like, yeah, they they put themselves in that position and it sucks, but they. They like they made those mistakes, so they need to kind of either get either they needed to get the the um, the switch out earlier than they than they did mm -hmm. um, to kind of say yeah here's here's all this stuff you know in in November of last year and yeah there will be a little bit of time trickling out games the next year out or it's it's just like it's it's releasing in that weird middle area yeah um, without you know, the ample support that I know a lot of people are looking for. Yeah. Um, the trust sell as many as it can before the end of this fiscal year. Uh, which yeah. Is oh yeah. The that's end of that's March. absolutely what I, what, what I touch on is that yeah. yeah, March 31st is there like that's, it seems like a, a business led decision more so than a production led decision. Right. And, and um, I'm sure they're hoping to sell much more by the holiday of this year. You know, like yeah, come the holidays, you'll have a Mario, you'll have a Zelda, you'll have a Splatoon, you'll have a Mario Kart. Like that will be an enticing console for people to buy for Christmas presents. Like, yep. Hey, you can buy this new thing and here's a whole bunch of games that you're familiar with. So, yep. They're going to, they're going to get all, all the early adopters, mm -hmm. um, in, in March. Um, and then, yeah, they'll, they will, there will be another push 
come the holiday season. Right. But in those like six months in between, it's probably going to be a bit of a drought. Sure. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's people, it's the early adopters. It's the people getting the iPhone one yeah. without knowing what the heck it is. And, yes. and that's why they're not charging for their online service until the fall. Of right. 2017. I mean, yeah, in, in part because they have no online service yeah. to give them to, to give you. They have no online games to play. Yeah, that, that's them acknowledging, like, hey, this may be a little bit early, but you know, it's the. I mean, it going back to we touched on earlier, and that you were a day one with the 3ds. Mm-hmm. Like, they recognized that they didn't have enough to give you on the 3ds, um, and so they gave you that ambassador program, and you got a handful of other games. I'm surprised. Well, they also it, overcharged for it too. Right, but like, <laughs> I mean. I, I like I feel like you could make the same argument on on this potentially um, where the switch is a high priced console for the quality console it is but it's it, so if you if you think about it in terms of a console you're getting an unpowered console an underpowered console for um, more than you could get a ps4 or an Xbox uh, one sure. um, and if you're thinking about it as a handhold handheld, it is certainly the most premium of the handhelds, but it is also priced accordingly yeah. at, a, at the three hundred dollar price point, right. one hundred dollars over three DS or a, or a Vita. So, it's it's a weird it's a weird place to be in, just kind of all around. That um, I think like two fifty would have been maybe a better sweet spot for something like that, where you could at least say, yes, it's not as high powered, but it's uh, it's a console that you can take on the go with you. So. Um, you know, you're you're not paying as much as you would for the other, you know, the other two, um, and he, and here's where we go. And I, so I just don't know if that's if price wise they were to make it work out. And one of the other criticisms I had, kind of of the three hundred dollar price point, is the fact that the Wii U has been at the three hundred dollar price point for three years still, <laughs> and 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 so that 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 inherently like devalues the Switch. Where it's like, okay, I'm getting new thing, but it's the same price as this thing that you haven't been able to sell, right. move off the shelves for a few years. Yeah, what does that mean in terms of like the future? Of, like, one of my jokey predictions was was yeah, the switch is going to come out at three hundred dollars, and it will be three hundred dollars four years from now still. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. So it's it's like I don't I don't like I don't at all begrudge the decisions that they had to make on on the switch to try and kind of remain viable and whatnot but they're certainly tough decisions to sell people sure. on um... my my biggest criticism i think um is i am disappointed that one two switch is not a pack in title because i think that absolutely has the potential to do for the switch what we sports did for the week absolutely and yeah I, I have the same kind of like the, that was one of my same takeaways is like i I thought that as soon as I saw one two switch, I was like, okay, here's your pack in. Yep. Um, and and yep. And then they talk about how like it's it's a weird game though because it's like they talk about like yeah you don't I mean this is a game to play head to head. You don't even need you're not even going to need to be looking at the screen. I'm like so so you're selling me a toy. <laughs> like I, I I basically joked I was like so this is this is as much a video game console as those like laser tag setups that you got 15 years ago where it's like you've got a gun you got a thing that you throw on your sure. chest and you're just you shoot at somebody and it vibrates yeah i don't need anything else <laughs> it's it's it is it is nintendo as a toy maker over nintendo as a video game maker right. because they're taking the video part out of it <laughs> um and it's like that's that's a that's a bold move yeah. and absolutely it could it, it could easily be the wii sports but then i i mean i like 
on on looking at it from their side, like they look at Wii Sports and how popular that game was and all of the money they lost by making that a pack-in um, and not as like a standalone title that people had to buy. And they probably say, like, yeah, let's make them buy this thing right. and hope that we've made it good enough that it's something they want to buy. Yeah. So. I, I, I just hope for their sake that, like, the push of people playing that and people playing that on like YouTube let's plays and stuff is enough of uh, a buzz to get people interested in, in what's going on with it and be like, Hey, that is something that you could only play on the switch. I want to check that out. That is something, a party game that we could play as a family around, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or something that you're not going to get on the other consoles. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And that, and that speaks to, again, that speaks to me as a gamer as well, where it's like, I don't like, I got the Wii U in the hopes that, like, me and my then-girlfriend Kat would invite our friends over and we would play Mario Kart or we would play Smash or something like that. We would play couch co-op games, and that never happened. And so now I sit there and the Wii U is just gathering dust because there aren't the first the single-player experiences that I'm looking for on, on that system. And, um, and out like, 1-2 Switch is not a game I'm going to play because I don't have a friend to invite over and sure. do that kind of stuff. It's not... It's... It is, a, going back to what we talked about earlier, that's the kind of thing that, and ARMS and stuff like that, those are going to be very fun games to play when I have kids. Right. And we can, <laughs> we can just kind of fool around and play that kind of stuff and be silly, um, as opposed to, like, throwing them into Uncharted or something yep. like that. Um, but I'm not, that's not a point in my life where I'm at, and so, I like, I look at Nintendo, I'm like, there's, there's Zelda and there's Mario there for me, and is that enough? Yeah. And... Zelda, it's Zelda alone, as I said, is not enough for me to go out and, and buy the, the new, the brand new console um, when it is going to come on the system that I already have and already put money into. And sure. even if I haven't played it in eight months, yeah. I have it, it still works. So I'll just pick this one up and, uh, and, and, you know, hope that the game isn't going to be so drastically different between <laughs> a Wii U version and a, and a Switch version that I'm going to be underwhelmed knowing about the switch's screen and, and that whole you know what it's capable of doing with the multi-touch and like how small and light it is and all that good stuff it's like i i can't wrap my head around picking up my gamepad for the wii u and playing that same game like knowing what else i could be playing it on it's just like that's so archaic at this point like get it yeah. out of here <laughs> and that's like i don't it's, i i don't envision playing it on the gamepad or like i will I, you know if I mean, I hate the gamepad as a controller anyway because it's just sure. way too. It's 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 beyond the Duke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so I will like, but I I have you know a, a Wii U Pro controller that I can throw on and and I'll play it that way or something sure. like that. So yeah, it's it's that's that's where I landed on on the uh, on the Switch uh, as a whole. Right. Um, kind of moving on, but in the same vein, Sarah Weingartner at Sarah Barbera Game asks. Uh, uh, you could talk about the Switch's lackluster reception so far and how will it affect Amiibo. Mm. Um, and this is certainly much more in your camp um, because I'm not, like, I don't, I, like, I don't even know if, like, gameplay element affects Amiibo anyway at this point. Because <laughs> I feel like nobody's actually buying Amiibo for what it can do in their games. Not much. Um, it's, it's like, it's, it is the collectible aspect, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, like, I don't see it having a, a, you know, detrimental effect. But at the same point, like I was, I was in a Walmart today and looking around and, and I've, as I've been in retails recently, like I, I look, I walk through like the toys to life section 
because now that now that I have a vested interest <laughs> in like how Lego Dimensions is doing, sure. and not wanting to see them go down the path of Disney Infinity, where you've got like a million things on the shelves that aren't selling, like I look at uh, Amiibo and I I note I take note of like the the Amiibo that are there that nobody's buying, um, like Animal Crossing Animal Amiibo Crossing. and stuff yeah. like that. I'm like I like. Ooh, and and like now I see something like Rosalina. I'm like, oh, I remember that being like really hard to find once upon a time. <laughs> right, right. And and now there's like twenty here. Yeah. So that's how, what in terms of like how Amiibo is doing, um, just in general. Can you speak to that a little bit and 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 your analysis, your industry sure. analysis as a, um, as a knowledgeable uh, person? The the Switch presentation, um, as far as Amiibo is concerned was super valuable as to kind of determining what Nintendo thought of Amiibo going forward. Um, you know, they've put out more Amiibo. They're easy to get now. You could go into the store and buy whatever ones you want. That's a great thing for Amiibo, but they still don't add a lot of support to them as far as, like, what they do in-game. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I saw a lot of the Breath of the Wild ones, and they look very beautiful. Yeah, um, but going into this presentation, they could have gone one of two ways they could have gone the way that they did with amiibo where they they announced two more new amiibo for the breath of the wild uh sign uh game um they also showed off how the amiibo work with the switch which the joy cons have built-in nfc readers and all you have to do is just put the amiibo close to it and it reads it and brings it into the game amazing right they could have gone that route, or they could have gone the route of we're not even going to talk about Amiibo at all. Like it's it's let's not bring that up because there is a possibility that they were going to just try to sell an NFC portal reader like you could buy for the 3DS. Um, the new 3DS systems have an NFC reader built into the screen, mm-hmm. um, but older ones don't have that. So you could buy like this little white portal that takes batteries that connects via Bluetooth that you can set next to your 3DS and you can scan your Amiibo in that way. And it's a completely different thing that you have to buy separately and you have to lug around with you everywhere if you want to play Amiibo with your 3DS on the go. Ridiculous, right? There was a chance that the Nintendo was going to be like, hey, we're going to sell you this again because if you want to use your Amiibo for the Switch, this is the way you're going to have to do it. Um, if, if they went that route, one, they weren't going to talk about during the presentation. It would have been revealed in like a little like press release or unveiled during the treehouse or something. Two, that would have meant that they're done with Amiibo. They're out. You know, um, they, they don't want to go that route anymore. The fact that they showed it during the presentation, they have built it into the Joy-Con controllers, um, means that they, they are... going to continue with Amiibo going forward. Um, Will we see the Amiibo hype at its peak like it was before? No. We're not ever going to see that again. But maybe they're going to be smart and they're going to release less Amiibo um, per set and make each set and each figure feel more special instead of releasing like 10 different Amiibo at a time and you're just collecting them because you feel like you're not going to be able to get them the next day. You're just buying them and then collecting them but you have no attachment to all of them. Like, who cares about every individual um, amiibo in the Smash line? There's like 60 of them, right? Did like, they ever come out with Cloud yet? Not yet. Nope. Nope. Okay. Here's a prediction. They're going to bundle that sucker in with uh, the new uh, port of the Smash Brothers game that's probably going to be released. Hmm. 
get people to buy that game. You want the amiibo? Buy the new there game. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. But like, you know, maybe they'll scale back on how many amiibo they release to make each one that you buy feel a little bit a little bit more special. Like each one of those Breath of the Wild amiibo look fantastic. They've also secretly raised the price of amiibo. The new Breath of the Wild amiibo are fifteen ninety nine. Compared to the twelve ninety nine price tag that Amiibo have been getting before, mm-hmm. is that just for this line? Is that going to be for Amiibo going forward? We don't know. Um, that that Guardian Amiibo with a uh, uh, posable limbs, like he's going to be nineteen ninety nine. So they're definitely playing with the price point of Amiibo. Yeah, I mean, is, it, like it's 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 back to Nintendo as a toy maker. Yeah, which like, is a good sign. Really good toys, um, and it, that's like the. The for me always the the game functionality of Amiibo has been an afterthought. Yeah, it's like they like they want to make these really cool toys, and that's what people are that's what like people our generation are buying them for because they have those memories of those games. Mm-hmm. And like outside of Smash and Mario Maker, I have no idea what any like what throwing <laughs> a, an Amiibo and like Mario Kart maybe right like what what throwing any of them into any kind of game does for me at sure. all. Like I don't know like. Like no idea what this what this would get me on any of my games, um, outside Nothing of yet. Like, Smash, because it's gonna. I'm, I assume it's gonna read it as a as a Link character, and so I'll have. Should theoretically. Like, yeah, but yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I. I'm it'll not it'll, it'll bring I'm you a gonna... pile of meat in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Seriously. Nice. Um. So yeah, I I think Amiibo is going to be part of the future of Nintendo for at least a little bit longer. Um, they're they're going to work it into the different Switch games. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with like the Mario Kart 8 Deluxe game. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a good sign that Amiibo is going to be around for a while. Um, I, I don't know if we'll ever see that full-on proper Amiibo required game like you would see with Skylanders or LEGO Dimensions. Because um, Nintendo's come at Amiibo as a different direction than the other games, but we'll see. Um, also, I just want to say, like, they announced that Skylanders Imaginators is going to be a day one release for the Switch. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the questions coming up that came in okay. uh, while we started recording. Um, uh, we'll just jump to that. At, at um, or Ken Ken Pescatori at Proud Gamer tweet says we had rumors of a Skylanders cancellation, and then we see it as a launch title on Switch. Yeah, so. Um, that, that's a big thing. Like, Skylanders may still get canceled. We we don't know at this point, but we know that's a day one launch for Switch. Um, and why that's exciting is because we're seeing Skylanders do something different, and they're looking at the toys to life genre in a different way. All of a sudden, um, they've they've come out with Skylanders games for 3DSs for years. They don't. This year's game didn't come out for the 3DS, but previous versions of Skylanders games have come out for the 3DS. They've always come with a little tiny portal that has to take batteries that, you know, connects via Bluetooth with your 3DS. Um, and you have to bring all your characters with you and scan them in and keep them on the portal as you're playing. And when one dies, you have to take them off and swap them around. And that's not how you play portable gaming. Like, you don't take a bag full of stuff with your 3DS. to Like, that's going back to the old Game Boy days with the magnifying glasses and the lights and everything. Like, get out of here. We're past yeah, that. I, I remember Disney Infinity doing that for, like, the Vita and me yeah. thinking, like, what? <laughs> exactly. That That's it's, not a portable game. 
Yeah, it's it's when when people joke about how like every PlayStation uh, four game is a is a PlayStation Vita game. I'm like Lego Dimensions isn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so so what did Skylanders do to change um, how it's going to work on the Switch? They are allowing you for one, they're not going to sell a new portal for the Switch because the Joy-Con has that NFC reader in it. It's now capable of reading Skylanders as well. So all you're going to have to do is touch your Skylander to your Joy-Con, and it's going to register that Skylander to the game. Now, the cool thing that they're doing is they're allowing you to store up to 300 characters in the game. So you scan them, and it, inclu- it, it, it brings it into this digital library in the game that as you're playing Skylanders on the go, you just open up this menu and you select which character you want to use, and suddenly you're playing with it. So no longer do you have to have the toy along for the ride the entire time. The toy is now used just to unlock something in the game as opposed to it physically having to be part of the game the entire time. That's a cool way to make Skylanders on the go um, and accessible for people. So I, I'm, I'm super stoked about it. Like I, I'm, I'm excited to get that on the Switch and see how that's like being able to play that wherever I want, however I want, without having to have the figures next to me at all times. Do you think that partnership will continue extending into um, like more custom crossover Nintendo Skylanders figures? Like we Hopefully. Got the, we got uh, last year, I remember that being a, like as not, not as somebody like who followed Skylanders or anything, but mm-hmm. seeing like, here's a Bowser Skylander right. and, and, and Donkey stuff. Kong. I was like, oh, that's, yeah. yeah, Donkey Kong. I was like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. But, like, that's, that's an interesting variation. And now PlayStation has it with Crash. Sure. And, and the fun part about those is they worked as Amiibo as well. They had right. the same Amiibo functionality. So uh, and it's, I mean, now knowing this in, in like hindsight, it seems like that was probably the plan from, from that point is, yeah. is like, oh, like we know we're going to be doing this with the Switch. So, mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and make this thing that can be an Amiibo and a Skylander since we know that the Switch is going to be able to read both. Yeah, so I think it opens the door once again for Activision and Nintendo to work uh, pretty closely with Skylanders. And and maybe that will keep Skylanders around, you know, whereas we saw the potential end of Skylanders. Maybe this is just Skylanders evolving into more of a Nintendo-based game, you know. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um uh, Colin asks uh, your your uh, your co-host at PDX underscore Geek. Uh, ask him about his undying love of Shopkins. Uh, Shopkins Inquire has been uh, building a piece on it. So this is the equivalent of the uh, the Fast and Furious running gag on this show is okay. is your love of Shopkins, right? I I will do a, sh- a uh, Fast and the Furious podcast um, every single night for the rest of my life if I never have to talk about Shopkins again. Um, <laughs> Uh, Shopkins are horrible little things um, that started picking up popularity around the same time as Amiibo. Um, They are little tiny household things. They started as just like food, but now they're uh, furniture and household utensils and gadgets and and just things uh, that have eyes and feet and facial expressions and the little tiny miniature things um that little kids love to collect because you get like a 12 pack um and i i don't get them i don't understand them they were a, a running gag on our show for a long time 
Um, but there are millions and millions and millions of Shopkins fans out there. Um, the two eight-year-old girls we have in this house uh, absolutely adore and love Shopkins. And it uh, burns my soul each time they bring up Shopkins. And uh, I, I just don't get it. But at the same time, there are people that don't get Skylanders or Lego Dimensions or Amiibo uh, the same way I get them. So, like, who am I to judge, right? I, I collected all kinds of stupid stuff when I was a kid, too. But Shopkins, for any anybody out there listening that, that is unfamiliar with Shopkins, go down that rabbit hole. Just Just take a couple minutes and Google Shopkins and see how far you get before... Uh, you decide to burn your computer because it's... <laughs> Whoo, boy. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, Zyger chimes in, uh, uh, I don't know, a couple hours ago, probably. <laughs> probably well after we started recording. Because <laughs> it's likely. like, the tweet says four hours ago. Sure. <laughs> so, um, but he, uh, he says, tell him I say hi and wish he'd, he'd seen this tweet earlier. So he didn't have a question, but he says to say hi. Hi, Zyger. Um, the, uh, the last question I have for you uh, just is my own. Okay. Um, uh, so I was going through and looking at your your kind of your end of the year awards at Toys for Games and uh, and biggest story of the year for me was a no brainer in terms of the Disney Infinity cancellation and I'm curious to pick your brain a little bit on like what you think led to it and what you think um, other companies are maybe trying to learn from it. Disney is a special beast. Um, they are quick to pull the plug on something that they think has the potential to lose them money before it starts losing them money. I don't think Disney Infinity was losing them money. I think it's very true that there are probably warehouses full of figures that they haven't sold because they overproduced. Because from, you know, uh, uh, 2.0 on, um, especially into 3.0 when Amiibo was at its craze, John Vignocchi, you know, um, the, the mouthpiece for Disney Infinity, he was on record many times as saying... You're never going to have uh, a time when people are waiting outside a store for hours and hours to buy one of our figures and then end up not being able to buy them because there's not enough for people to buy. You will always be able to find Disney Infinity figures on shelves. Whenever you want to go buy one, they will be there for you to buy. That sounded great because at the time, nobody was able to buy Amiibo. And everybody was frustrated because they weren't able to buy the ones they wanted to. So they're like... Well, yeah, I love the idea of being able to walk in at any point and buy what I want. Now, as we see now, Amiibo are around for everybody to buy, and nobody's buying them. Um, so I think that mentality kind of hurt Disney Infinity. I think they went way over production scale and, and wanted to completely overcompensate um, more than they needed to for how many figures they needed. Um, but even having those figures sitting around, I don't think equal the death of a franchise like that i think somebody looked at some numbers and said it's not selling as well as it should be or as well as we think it should be and before it starts potentially losing us money we're just going to get out of it and they pulled the plug um no other company is as brash about those decisions as disney is you know they they don't play around when it comes to potentially losing money they they, mm -hmm. they don't take risks they're, they're not disney for no reason you know like <laughs> they are where they are because they're a smart business you know yeah. um and they wanted to get out because they saw potentially where the market was going with toys to life and they said we could be making money elsewhere 
we're going to get out. So uh, Skylanders and Lego Dimensions had a lot to learn. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's tough. Like, uh, again, we don't know if we're seeing the end of this genre or we're seeing the evolution of it. Like Skylanders working with the Switch in the way that it is, is them kind of evolving the way um they may need to in order to survive. Uh, we saw Lego Dimensions not put out Lego Dimensions 2 this year, but instead decide to go year two um, and just continue to put out figures and bonus additional content for the game that they already released instead of selling a brand new starter pack. Um, and that was something that we hadn't seen in Toys to Life before. Because um, Skylanders has been an every year thing. Disney Infinity was an every year thing. Lego Dimensions is like, eh, we're going to skip a year, you know? Is that going to work out for him? We don't know. We would hope so. Um, it, so it's tough. Like, was Disney just seeing the writing on the wall of the genre as a whole? Or was Disney just being Disney and just getting out before there was a possibility of possibly losing some money on it? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, I... One of the most fascinating things for me in that in that whole story was knowing that IGN had just like a month or so before the cancellation happened, like they had a whole feature where they sent somebody from IGN, they sent Alana Pierce from IGN to to like the manufacturing facility, mm-hmm. and like they they did a whole like documentary thing, basically making uh, like from like going from mold to production of I think it was like Kylo Ren, yeah, uh, I think those figures or something, and I want to say like the decision to kill Disney Infinity came before that documentary series was done even airing. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, this is really weird now yeah. because this is a piece of like history. Right. Um, and that's, so yeah, that was, that was certainly one of the, the fascinating things for me. And it, like it's seeing um, uh, John, John Vignocchi, um do, they did at, at E3, I think it was, uh, they did like a one-on-one with him and Greg um, kind of, talking as openly as he could about it right. um, in the aftermath talking about that it was like that's one of my favorite pieces of content of theirs in the last year was mm. getting his take on it obviously there's more of a story to tell there but seeing how like wrecked he was knowing that he was sitting in meetings where those decisions were happening and he like he knew whose lives that was going to affect yeah. um, and what he could and couldn't do or say right um, that was yeah that that was like gut wrenching and yeah. seeing the toll that it, it had taken on him and how emotional he got kind of just in relating those stories. Um, we saw kind of like the team behind Disney infinity possibly feel like the pressure was on to start making their case for them to still be around because um, first they announced that they weren't going to have a new game that year. Um, they weren't going to put out like 4.0 the next year that they were going to go the Lego dimensions route and kind of, put out additional play packs and just like, extend the life of 3.0 um, before they could develop and fully release a new game, a new starter pack. Um, so we kind of got that. And then we got the the uh, announcement that they weren't going to be at E3. And it's like, well, that sucks. But it also kind of makes sense that they're not going to be at E3 because if they don't have a new starter pack to to push out, you know, like they don't need a giant booth at E3 to talk about like the individual figures, you know? So that kind of made sense. But then like now in hindsight, it's like, well, maybe those decisions were being made as like a way to 
minimize how much they were spending to make the bottom line look a little bit better to prevent the axe from falling down on him. And ultimately, obviously, it wasn't enough. But um, I like to think, and that's why it was so quick, and, you know, like, they just cut off its head just immediately. It wasn't a long, drawn-out death. Like, they could have pushed it into this year and then finally decided, okay, now all of our new content is out and now we're done. Um, Like, we could have seen Rogue One come out. We could have seen the Moana come out. Um, uh, All the stuff that they were working on and planning on that, that never came out. We could have seen that at least to completion and then say, okay, this was our swan song. But Disney is just, nope, we're done. Yep. You know, end of story. Um, And then kind of lastly, last follow-up there, um, do you see um, uh, in the, the, like, the aftermath of Disney Infinity, should LEGO Dimensions continue, do you see Disney maybe trying to work with them and getting Star Wars and, and Marvel... Um, into Lego Dimensions Year Three, we've had um, a, a running prediction on our show. Um, there, there are very good signs to point that there is one additional wave coming to Lego Dimensions this year before Lego Dimensions Two officially comes out. Um, one wave that they haven't talked about. All the other figures and play sets and everything that they've they've discussed seem to fit into the the waves that we know about thus far but there is this mysterious possibility of this mystery wave that nobody knows anything about that that seems very likely and it's it's unusual that there's still nothing to be had about it um There's a possibility we see Star Wars and Lego Dimensions this year, before the new game. It would make sense to use Star Wars in the next game to push that Lego Dimensions 2 uh, starter pack. Like, that would immediately make it a must-buy for, for everybody. Um, so, like, this mystery wave may be related to the Power Rangers, uh, since that movie's coming out. Yep. Um... But I still think that, like, we may see, like, maybe a story pack or even just, like, a fun pack or a buddy pack of, like, Star Wars figures as, like, yeah, Star Wars is in LEGO Dimensions. And then that would lead into a full-blown Star Wars adventure in LEGO Dimensions 2. So, or that's the green arrow that gets doled out at, at uh, E3 this year. Possibly. Yeah, something. But I, I think... They have something, and and I hundred percent. I mean, Star Wars Disney likes making money. You know, plain and simple, they're going to push that Star Wars license to anybody that wants to take it. You know, we're we're seeing what two. I mean, the the fact that like it continued on, and we got a Force Awakens game, um, like when it was like, well, EA has the rights for Star Wars yeah, now. Right. The fact that yeah, we got Force Awakens is like, oh, okay, maybe this keeps the door, and and then. Lego um, Marvel Avengers came out. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's that's certainly what the the biggest political dance that I would see with it is going to be like. Okay, well, like, how do you how do you marry DC and Marvel? Um, I can tell you how. And it's I mean it's the it's it's the argument I pitched on last week's show is like you make it like you make it fun like Warner Brothers and TT are the ones that could do it in the same vein of like 
we we got a Roger Rabbit movie that had <laughs> Disney characters, yeah. Warner Brothers characters. Right. I think I think if anybody's going to get crossover content, it's going to be it would be a Lego game. Yeah. Or wait for that day when Disney decides to buy DC. Ooh, that that's <laughs> that's, that's surreal. Like, <laughs> thinking, thinking about a world where that that exists. I mean, like, because yeah, does does. Does Disney have the clout to buy that out from under Warner Brothers? Like, is Warner Brothers ever heard? Well, I guess I guess if the movies keep going the way they're going, yeah, Disney might be like, hey, uh, no, let's. Fix this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's a fascinating prospect because uh, I mean, e- even in just talking about this, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, maybe Lego Dimensions two drops DC and becomes a Marvel um, story, and you have you have like Iron Man filling the Batman role of of uh, sure of like whatever the next story mm-hmm. um there entails but yeah that's like that's the that would be my pie in the sky dream is is like getting to play a game with batman and iron man yeah like just like and and everybody being in on the joke of it right right yeah i mean with um disney Infinity, everything that we know about um with including marvel into the game um and then star wars the the lawyers behind the Marvel franchises were extremely hard to work with, and there was so much, um, so many cooks in the kitchen when it came to like making decisions that it, it was a mess every time. And uh, even trying to get classic Disney characters to work with Marvel characters was a challenge. Um, introducing the Star Wars figures with Marvel was a challenge, and it was always centered around the Marvel lawyers. So I think Marvel figures in Lego dimensions is like you said, more of a pie in the sky dream. Um, just because of the weird Marvel lawyers. Uh, but I, I honestly think star Wars is almost a given at this point to happen because yeah. the brand's too big and too popular to, I mean, that's what started. That's what started it all. Yes. Yeah. Lego star Wars. Yep. Yep. Got awful prequels. <laughs> yep. So. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, that, that wraps up like all the, all the, uh, the questions and stuff. Um, uh, and we're, we're, we, we almost hit Zyger levels of, uh, of show. Uh, not quite about a half hour short, but we're about to hit five hours. <laughs> so that's, I mean, this was certainly a long one and, and in like, and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke, but honestly, like one of my favorite conversations, um, oh, thank of, you. of all the ones we've had, um, uh, your perspective, um, suck our, at blockbuster. Yeah, suck at blockbuster. Are <laughs> are shared. I mean, like, I for whatever reason, I thought you were a couple years older than me. Um, uh, but we're only about a year apart. It sounds like you're 83. Yeah, yeah. So I'm 85. So yeah. year year and a half, two years apart. So um, yeah, but like I'm six kids ha- ahead of you. So that's that's fair. That's absolutely <laughs> fair. Um, you started young. Uh, the yeah the the. Um, yeah, just a, a lot of good conversation. I love, I, I mean, getting to know you better. Uh, in part, like a lot of a lot of people I've had on the show so far, I knew some of the stories they were going to tell because we've had those conversations at you know at events and stuff. Sure. Um, but but someone like you, uh, a lot of this was very new information to me, and and like I mean, like the Harry Potter stuff is a very fascinating <laughs> way to consume Harry Potter, and like you sold me, and I'm gonna try and like find time to squeeze Godric's Hollow into my my podcast rotation because I'm excited to follow your journey along sure. as well. Um, so yeah, for for uh, tell everybody where they can find you online, um, and I'll I'll include a whole bunch of 
links and and uh, and places in the description below. But go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Okay, uh, my personal Twitter handle is the noise in a Y S E. Um, let's see, the various show Twitter handles are at Toys for Games, at Joys of Games, at Tales from GH, and at uh, Talking Back. I believe it is the Twitter account uh, for the wrestling one. Um, everything is kind of centrally located at our website, toysforgames.com. Um, there we have links to all the different shows, and um, every show has its own um, podcast feed, so you could download and subscribe to whichever ones interest you, if any at all. Um, and then our Patreon is patreon.com slash toysforgames. Excellent. Thank you again, Josh, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Um, do you know if you're going to be making it out to any of the PAXs this year? Um, I'm still on the fence about PAX East. Um, I don't think we'll do a panel because Jason won't be able to make it for sure. So I might still go out there just as kind of a fan just to hang out. PAX South interests me. That's like, what, next month? Uh, that's in a couple weeks. End couple of this weeks. month. Okay. Um, so probably not that, but I've never really heard enough great things about Pack South to make me like really want to go. It's still pretty a pretty small show. Yeah, um, yeah. Like uh, like I know like um, for example, IGN isn't going to have a presence there, but they're like I'm getting a, a media badge from them um, to go and cover cool. it. So maybe I'll get to play some Switch or something. Sure. Um, and and it's like they um, uh, my friend joked with me. She's like. Yeah, you're going to be the only IGN representation of PAXF. And I was like, that's weird. That's, <laughs> that's, that's weird. hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, so then probably E3 um, and then PAX West for sure because it's just a couple hours away. Um, and then like, I really want to try to make it to the Kind of Funny Live 3 this year. So well, I hope I hope uh, to see you at at least a couple of those things. Yeah. I, like this is the year I really want to get to E3 yeah. um, myself and uh, and figure out a way to, to make that work. So. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll certainly be at all the packs this year and, and, uh, and kind of funny live three. So hope to see you at any one of those. Um, cause it's always a pleasure chatting with you and catching up. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I'm Trevor Starkey. You can find me at snarky Starkey on Twitter. You can follow the show at Trove talk. Um, if you've, if you've sat through this long, you probably already knew that. Um, uh, you can follow whatever I'm reading or, or whatever I'm writing about, uh, recently at, uh, trevortrove.com. Um, the most recent thing I put up, as uh, as I mentioned to uh, to Josh earlier, is I put up a piece about kind of my thoughts on the Switch uh, presentation a couple days later, um, which there might be more uh, in the days that have come since you're watching this, because this is you know coming up at Thursday at the latest or at the earliest. Um, but yeah, follow me, at, follow at any of those things. Thank you for tuning in. Follow Josh; uh, he's great. Um, Give to uh, patreon.com slash toys for games if you can. And until next time, from us here at the Trove, treasure your friends.